to use every government lever to address the near-term disruptions related to the pandemic. One area he asked the task force to focus on was ports and trucking. In July, Secretary Buttigieg convened all of the key players from the goods movement supply chain, ports, labor, trucking, businesses, and more. In August, I joined the effort to serve as an honest broker who could help move everyone from finger pointing towards taking action. By October, the President brought together the nation's largest retailers, ports, and labor and earned commitments from all to move toward a 24-7 supply chain system. We also worked with the ports to propose fees on ocean carriers that were leaving import containers at the ports in Los Angeles and Long Beach for too long. This fee has helped lead to a 40% reduction in long-dwelling containers at those two ports. We worked with the Georgia Ports Authority to provide flexibility to fund $7, billion, $7 million of pop-up inland ports to alleviate congestion at the Port of Savannah. These pop-up ports started operating in December. The Port of Savannah has also seen a drop in long-dwelling containers and ships at anchor outside its port. And there have been several steps we've taken in between to help get empty containers removed, to generate commitments from leading retailers to move their cargo during off-peak hours, and working with the state of California to support infrastructure projects. There's still challenges, and Omicron could surface more, which we're closely tracking. When bottlenecks emerge in the global supply chain, it can take more time for goods to reach store shelves, which can lead to price increases. That's why the President has taken such aggressive action to alleviate these blockages, and we've seen significant progress. First, we were able to sustain a record-breaking holiday shopping season. As you can see, our preferred measure of goods on shelves, inflation-adjusted retail inventories without autos, rose 0.5% at the end of November compared to the end of October to not only exceed pre-pandemic levels, but also hit the highest monthly level recorded since 1992. Consumers also received 97 to 99% of their packages on time or with minimal delays from the U.S. Postal Service, FedEx, and UPS. Second, as we begin the new year, the ports of Los Angeles and Long Beach announced a new fee on long-dwelling empty containers, building on the success of the fee imposed on long-dwelling import containers in November. This should help further unclog our ports. Third, we're ramping up efforts to ensure U.S. exporters are treated fairly. The Port of Oakland, for example, announced new actions to improve U.S. exports, particularly agricultural exports. Fourth, we're monitoring potential Omicron-related disruptions at ports overseas and at home while working to prioritize the movement of medical supplies at the nation's ports, working closely with the Biden-Harris COVID response team. The impact of the Omicron variant may continue to unfold and will remain focused on report supporting the public health response, building on our progress to help ease bottlenecks in critical supply chains, and ensuring consumers have the goods they need. I'll be happy to take some questions. Thanks so much. One, can you lay out in detail what effect you are seeing that the Omicron variant is having on the ports? You know, and kind of what are you seeing? What are you hearing from officials? Uh, in, in the very short term, 
there have been some uh, uh, increased uh, outages uh, from longshore workers and others. Uh, so far, that has not disrupted operations. Uh, as you saw early in the pandemic, uh, there are procedures in place uh, in terms of personal protective equipment and uh, safety measures uh, for the workers uh, at the ports. Uh, and those uh, will be ratcheted up as needed. Uh, but as we stand here today, uh, the, the ports and the supply chains um, are operating at record levels. Okay, and then I guess just my broader question, in the view of the supply chain task force, have these supply chain pressures peaked? Uh, it's hard to tell uh, if the supply chain pressures are pe have peaked. Uh, I think what is clear is the pandemic laid bare uh, what was the underlying reality, which was the supply chain was stressed even before the pandemic. Um, and we clearly have uh, changes uh, to make to build a more durable, resilient supply chain. One of the great uh, 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 things that's happened uh, is with the passage of the bipartisan infrastructure law, some of the physical infrastructure upgrades uh, to infrastructure that was built by your parents and grandparents uh, can actually be uh, updated uh, through that uh, infrastructure program. Trevor? Um, one of the questions that's come up from the trucking industry is about uh, whether vac vaccine mandates are uh, restricting uh, worker supply in that area. Is that something that you've seen? Is that still a concern? Well, first, we know that uh, vaccines work. Uh, and with 200 million Americans vaccinated, uh, it's a big step uh, forward. Throughout the supply chain, whether it's uh, truckers, uh, longshore workers, uh, distribution centers, or any other part of the supply chain, uh, uh, we're working hard towards uh, uh, vaccination, uh, which is the real protection uh, for Americans. Um, uh, going forward, uh, we've been working with individual industries uh, to make it as easy as possible uh, to get vaccinated. Thank you so much. Thank you for being here. Um, the Virginia Department of Health said on Tuesday that it's experiencing supply chain issues with getting COVID-19 tests, rapid tests. Can you speak to what's being done to address that issue, not just in Virginia, but all across the country? And do you anticipate it being a problem in terms of getting the half a billion tests that the president wants to bring online? Uh, well, first, I think what that illustrates is that the uh, it's the global supply chain and it's a global COVID uh, issue um, that's affecting all countries. We have a, a procedure in place to prioritize medical supplies as needed. Uh, if you'll see in today's White House blog that there's a uh, an example of within the last week of medical supplies being prioritized uh, by the ocean carrier. Uh, by the uh, um, uh, longshoremen, the railroads, uh, the terminal operators to move those supplies. We're working closely with the COVID task force as they designate those priorities. Uh, we have a procedure in place uh, starting with the uh, uh, place of manufacture of those medical supplies to identify them early as they're put in containers, make sure those containers are separately identified are what's, uh, what we call block stowed, stowed in a, uh, a position on a ship where they can be the first off, and then are prioritized for unloading. Okay. Uh, that would have to happen, obviously, on a priority basis. But do you anticipate that the distribution of the 500 
billion tests that the president is looking to bring online could be slowed down? We're working hard uh, to make sure that those tests are there when they're needed. And uh, uh, together, this uh, supply chain uh, with the millions of people that work on it have met the challenges so far. We expect to continue to do that. David? Uh, hi, thanks. You mentioned the Port of Oakland coming up with a short-term uh, measure to ease, uh, to alleviate some of the pressure on the agriculture exporters. Is there a long-term plan to help ease some of those, those same pressures on the ag industry? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, in, uh, many people focus on the import of goods to the U.S., which is important. Uh, exporting uh, goods of all kinds, including agricultural projects, is every bit as, as important. Uh, the Port of Oakland uh, partnership uh, that we have uh, is focused on both the short term and the long term. In the short term, uh, making sure that agricultural exports that go out in containers uh, are not disadvantaged by the global dislocations in supply chains. Uh, and in the long term, uh, making sure that everything from the ocean carrier service that brings those American exports around the world uh, to the physical facilities at the Port of Oakland and other ports uh, are in place. Uh, again, it's a great example of where the bipartisan infrastructure law can help build the infrastructure that we need today uh, rather than relying on yesterday's infrastructure. Ebony, I'll be the last one. Thank we'll you. We'll invite you back. <laughs> Thank you for taking my question. Um, very quickly, the uh, American Trucking Association has said that there's about 80,000 um, truckers at shortage of truckers. And so how is that feeding into this disruption, and what is the administration doing to kind of com compound those effects of the losses, the shortage of truckers? Well, first, uh, Secretaries Walsh and Buttigieg uh, have been working hard uh, to uh, make sure that uh, uh, the trucking as a profession uh, is, is more appealing, and uh, it's not just recruiting new people to trucking, it's retaining the truckers that you have. Uh, so um, uh, w whether it's um, uh, internship programs where you don't have to pay for the training to become a trucker, which make it more appealing, uh, or quality of life, quality of job life um, uh, issues uh, where uh, it's, it's, uh, people are more interested in staying in the profession, uh, uh, those are some of the ways that it can be done. Uh, at the risk of stating the obvious, the private sector has an important part to play here as well in terms of pay and working conditions. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Thank, Thank, you. You. Thank you. Okay. I only have one item at the top for all of you. Um, <clears throat> just wanted to provide a brief update on our federal testing sites, which we continue to expand and are doing strong work to reach Americans, especially in the areas where we're seeing uh, the greatest need. Uh, throughout the holiday, we work to rapidly establish free testing sites in multiple states, and in the coming weeks, we will have new sites operating across the nation. Additional sites are opening this week in Washington, D.C., Philadelphia, with Maine, Maryland, Nevada, Delaware, Texas, and Washington State to follow. Mobile federal testing sites are now open in New York City and New Jersey, which are providing thousands of free tests daily. Our 12 testing sites in New York City alone have processed over 8,700 tests. Since 
since the first site launched shortly before Christmas. Uh, these sites have been effective in reaching a diverse set of communities, with 76% of those tested in New York City and 82% of those in New Jersey self-identifying as non-white. These numbers reflect the Biden administration's commitment to enduring our, uh, ensuring that our hardest-hit and hardest-risk communities have equitable access to testing. Uh, with that, Darlene. Uh, I wanted to start with Chicago. Can you tell us if the White House or the Education Department or the administration at large is doing anything to help get teachers and students back into school there? Well, uh, we are in uh, across government. We are in regular contact with a range of stakeholders on the issue of school reopening and closures, including superintendents, state leaders, principals, teachers, parents, and other school staff. And that is certainly uh, the case now, today, this week, uh, as we're as the president is working, uh, and we are all working to keep schools open. Uh, as the president said yesterday, uh, he wants schools to be open. We know they can be open safely, and we're here to help make that happen. And he agrees with medical, scientific, and education experts that because of the historic work we've done, we are more than equipped to ensure schools are open and we're and to keep our children uh, and educators who, selfless, uh, who selflessly serve their community safe, but ensure that children are not enduring the mental health impact of not being in school, that we are, there are not gaps uh, in learning. Uh, this includes schools everywhere, including in Chicago. Uh, fortunately, 96% of schools are doing just that. And just as a reminder, and I know I touched on this yesterday, but uh, the president uh, and our, our administration foresaw early on that schools across the country would need uh, additional resources. That's why he uh, fought for $130 billion in the uh, American Rescue Plan for funding to schools to implement mitigation strategies, including $10 billion in uh, for, uh, for testing, which has already been distributed to states. And the Department of Education has also been providing technical assistance and resources for months now on everything from implementing mitigation strategies to connecting schools with testing providers, hosting vaccine clinics, and addressing pandemic mental uh, related mental health issues. So long story short, we want schools to be open, the president wants them to be open, and we're going to continue to use every resource and work uh, to ensure that's the case. Are there any equipment needs or PPE or testing or anything like that that you're hearing from Chicago that the White House can be helpful with in terms of trying to get schools off of the virtual uh, model and back into the classroom? Well, again, $10 billion in testing has been and testing funding has been distributed to states already. Uh, prior to this month, last year. That funding, I, I can certainly check if there's more funding available from the state of Illinois, but we're encouraging states to uh, ensure that uh, that money is being spent, is being distributed to schools that need that funding. And we already distributed $130 billion in uh, in funding to, school, to states to distribute to school districts for mitigation measures. Now, different school districts have made different decisions about what their needs are over the course of the last year, but a number of school districts did take steps to uh put in place contracts with testing contractors to ensure that they had that uh, availability and access for their schools go ahead thanks jen looking back to that um arp money does the white house wish that there was more oversight in where that american rescue plan funding went since the president said yesterday that some of the schools have not used it well and we're seeing in some places like Chicago and Milwaukee, 
Um, some of it's been earmarked for other purposes, including critical race theory. And in Chicago, you've got kids not going back to school now. Well, Jackie, it's always been the case that local school districts uh, make decisions about what is needed for their schools. Um, that's always been the case long before the president took office. Um, we did distribute that money out to states. Uh, as he noted yesterday, some have spent it, others have not spent it. They've spent it in different ways. I would remind everyone that when the CDC put out a range of mitigation measures, there were a range of steps school, schools could take, and different schools, some schools needed to redo their ventilation. Some schools decided to invest in more bus drivers or more space so that they could socially distance. Different schools made different decisions. What is important for people to understand is that there is some of this funding that hasn't been spent in certain states to put in place mitigation measures, now is the time to do that. And then on the new um, CDC guidance, it's getting some criticism that it's confusing, um, the, the testing after leaving isolation, because it says that you, know, you don't need to test after day five, but if you can get a test, if you want to test, and you test positive, you should continue to isolate until day 10. So that would potentially create a gap of people who are positive after day five, but don't test and go back out into the community. And then there have been other policies that have shifted, um, including the policy around healthcare workers um, needing to test negative before returning to work and then that going away. And also the note in the new CDC guidance that negative tests don't necessarily mean that you're infection free. Um, so is, this, is the CDC still led by science and not by other factors in determining its policy. Well, Jackie, the CDC is absolutely led by data and science. Um, and, you know, again, if they hadn't changed their recommendations over the course of time, schools would probably be closed across the country, right? Uh, they, of course, are um, continuing to address, as they have for the past year plus, uh, steps that need to be taken in order to protect the American people. Uh, the CDC's guidance did not add a recommendation for testing, including in workplaces. Uh, the, the CDC director just answered this question on a COVID briefing about an hour ago, where she basically said there was a lot of questions about testing, and she wanted to provide information in response to that about, uh, about how to apply a test should people decide to use a test. They have also conveyed in their guidance, and they can speak for themselves, of course, that, uh, that uh, transmission and infectiousness occurs in the first five days after a diagnosis with COVID-19, somewhere in the range of 85 to 90% of the time, hence their guidance on the five days. So they can speak to their own guidance. It is led by data and science. It is not determined here by the White House. It is determined by the data and the scientists who work at the CDC. See, um, you know, Rochelle Walensky and Dr. Fauci, as we've talked about earlier this week, had conflicting accounts of whether testing was necessary. Dr. Walensky said part of that consideration was what people would tolerate. And we know that it's important to keep schools open, to keep the economy running. Isn't it time to incorporate some of those other uh, messaging points into the, this administration's discussions about you know, how we emerge from this pandemic. We talk about how it's led by the science and we're following the science, but it seems like we're also following, you know, economic needs and political needs and logistical needs. Well, here's the difference from the last administration. Uh, we are not uh, driving our decision-making on how we're addressing the pandemic through messaging uh, or through political concerns. 
We're driving it by what the CDC and the medical doctors and the experts there convey. Uh, they change their, they update their guidance, they change their guidance. Uh, certainly, I'm sure they have disagreements internally about what guidance they should put out. Uh, that is a healthy part of a discussion of a policy process. But that's what we're driven by. And that's also why we do COVID briefings, so that you all can ask those questions, as you just did this morning an hour ago. The president yesterday said this continues to be a pandemic of the unvaccinated. Isn't it also fair to say that it's still also a, a pandemic of the vaccinated, given the breakthrough cases that we've been seeing? Well, Jackie, we also know that you are seven time, 17 times uh, more likely to die of COVID if you are not vaccinated and 20 times more likely to be hospitalized. Uh, so I think in terms of the impact, the dire impact on people across the country, we should be very clear about uh, the impact of not getting vaccinated and the people who will be, uh, be hurt, uh, be hospitalized and uh, face the threat of death the most. And those are the people who are unvaccinated. One last question on uh, the CDC announcement, um, or the, rather the COVID briefing announcement. The CDC is not going to change its definition of fully vaccinated to include a booster shot. Jeff Zients and uh, Rochelle Walensky said there's no plans for that. They didn't explain, though, why that is. Can you give us some context on how that decision was made? Again, I would say that's a decision made by our health and medical experts. Um, you know, they conveyed the technical definition. As you said, a fully vaccinated with COVID-19 has not changed. Someone is considered fully vaccinated if they receive a primary series of vaccines. They also clarified that CDC recommends people stay up to date, as, as everybody should stay up to date on any vaccine. If your kid needs a vaccine, when you go to the pediatrician and they say you get a five-year, you know, a vaccine at five years old, you kind of hold your breath because you don't want to have your kid get a shot, but you keep it up to date. Uh, and that's what they're recommending. But they can speak to their own decision making. Go ahead, Trevor. Uh, Jen, so next week, I know we've got these three tracks of talks with um, Russia. Yeah. One is U.S.-Russia, one is NATO-Russia, another is broader European security talks. For the for the U.S.-Russia talks, are there is there scope, uh, you know, in, in terms of what the agenda looks like? What are the specific areas you want to Focus on. Sure, that's exactly right. There are three sets of talks uh, next week. They start on the 10th in Geneva. Those will be led by Deputy Secretary Sherman. Then there's the 12th in Brussels, the NATO-Russia Council, and then the 13th in Vienna, which is the OSCE, uh, which will start then will be represented by our ambassador to the OSCE, Mike Carpenter. Uh, so let me give you a preview, as you just asked, for what to expect. Um, Russia has, 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 of course, raised, as you've seen them raise uh, publicly, they've also raised privately the issue of European security. Let's be clear, uh, over the past two decades, it is Russia that has invaded two neighboring countries, interfered in many other elections, used, uh, country, used chemical weapons to attempt assassinations on foreign soil, and violated international arms control agreements. We and our allies will be raising those issues uh, and other issues with Russia in the days and weeks ahead, and certainly as a part of these talks. And of course, we cannot forget that there is an ongoing Russian military occupation in Ukraine. In addition to the three meetings next week, we will uh, continue to actively support progress on the Minsk Accords to resolve the current 
conflict in the Donbass. There have been a number of proposals, of course, that Russia has already published or put out there, um, advocated for. Uh, President Biden has made clear uh, that we can make progress on some issues, uh, while others are not viable. Uh, we're not responding to them point by point, and I don't expect we will in these negotiations, because in our experience, you don't make actual progress by negotiating in public, and also because many of the proposals don't merit such a response. Uh, but Russia is very familiar with our positions, uh, which are grounded in the fundamental principles of European security they once agreed to, including that borders cannot be redrawn by force, and countries have the sovereign right to determine with whom they associate. Finally, uh, we don't know uh, what next week's conversations will bring, um, but our approach to the discussions will be pragmatic, results-oriented, and we believe there are areas we can make progress on with uh, Moscow, um, uh, make progress on uh, if, if they come to the table ready to do that. Um, and obviously, that's the nature of diplomacy. Okay. Oh, sorry, just one more. Within that region, we've also had seen um, uh, a lot of instability in Kazakhstan. Mm -hmm. um, is, is that something that the White House has a position on? Yeah, we have obviously, um, as you noted, we have seen that. And we have, uh, we're monitoring reports of protests in Kazakhstan. We support calls for calm, for protesters to express themselves peacefully, and for authorities to exercise uh, restraint. Um, there are some crazy uh, Russian claims uh, about the U.S. being behind this. So let me just use this opportunity to convey that as absolutely false and clearly a part of the standard Russian disinformation playbook. We've seen a lot of in past years. Go ahead. Thank you, Jed. Uh, on this plan or agreement that the White House had with Walmart and Kroger to sell those rapid tests at cost, did the White House make an effort to extend that agreement? Well, I'm not going to get into details of our private conversations with these providers. It was a set number of a set period of time. But what's important to um, for people to understand, or the American people to understand, is that our focus is, of course, ensuring that we are increasing access and, and access to free tests to people across the country. So obviously, that has been the case. Selling them at cost, something that we strongly supported, advocated for for the last uh, couple of months. Uh, since that time, uh, the president has quadrupled the size of our testing capacity. We have announced the intention to um, purchase 500 million. We're in the process of finalizing those contracts, of course. Tests, we've made 20,000 testing sites available. We've opened a range of federal testing sites across the country. So our objective is to continue to expand access to free tests uh, for the American people across the country. And I'd also note, of course, next week, uh, people can submit uh, to their insurers, and we'll have more details on that. I know you asked about that yesterday, on how that will work. Um, can submit to their uh, employers, or I mean, sorry, to their insurance companies to get reimbursed for their tests as well. But I guess the point is those half a billion tests aren't available yet. You can't go on a website and sign up for them yet. You can't receive them yet. You can't yet file a claim with your insurance company to be reimbursed for the tests that people have been buying. And so I'm wondering, since the president has had the CEO of Walmart here at the White House before, they have a pretty close relationship since he took office, why he would not try to extend that agreement that they had with Walmart, that the White House had with Walmart, to keep those tests a little bit less expensive than they already are? Well, I'm not going to detail private conversations, but I will just reiterate that next week people can get reimbursed for their uh, for their tests. I just announced at the top of this briefing a number of additional federal testing large sites that we're opening. We have 20,000 free testing sites across the country, and we are very close to being able to announce the put 
put up the website so people can order, uh, if they desire, free tests to be delivered to their home. So we are very close to continuing to expand uh, access to free tests, and that's what our focus is on. And of course, we certainly believe, and our focus continues to be, that we don't want any American to be in a position where tests are only available at an untenable price. Uh, that's why we are expanding free testing. Why make the decision to have people have to file a claim with their insurance companies for each rapid test that they buy to be reimbursed by the companies instead of just making the rapid test free? We are making the test free. Uh, this is an additional step. We're making them 500 million of them free to people who want tests, uh, and we'll continue to build on that. Uh, but this is another step people can take. 150 million Americans who are insured uh, to uh, get reimbursed by their insurance companies, and I expect we'll have more on that uh, in short order. A few other questions I have. Uh, tomorrow the president is going to speak uh, on Capitol mm -hmm. Hill. Is he going to address his predecessor's role in the riot? Uh, yes, and let me give you a little more preview of that. Um, so um, in addition, and I know I noted this yesterday, but I think it's important for people to let me briefly reiterate, um, the president is going to speak to the truth of what happened, not the lies that some have spread since, and the peril opposed to the rule of law and our system of democratic governance. He will also speak to the work we still need to do to secure and strengthen our democracy and our institutions to reject the hatred and lies we saw on January 6th and to unite our country. Uh, I'd also note that um, President Biden has been uh, clear-eyed about the threat the former president represents to our democracy and how, how the former president constantly works to undermine basic American values and rule of law. And President Biden has, of course, spoken repeatedly about how the former president abused his office, undermined the Constitution, and ignored his oath to the American people in an effort to amass more power for himself and his allies. Uh, he sees January 6th as a tragic culmination of what those four years under President Trump did to our country. And they reflected the importance uh, to the president of winning uh, what he has called many times, and you've heard him call many times, the soul, the battle for the soul of our nation. So just as you heard him say on January 6th of last year, I would expect that President Biden will lay out the significance of what happened at the Capitol and the singular responsibility President Trump has for the chaos and carnage that we saw. And he will forcibly push back on the lies spread by the former president in an attempt to mislead the American people and his own supporters, as well as distract from his role in what happened. So. Uh, uh, he will, of course, speak to the moment, uh, to the importance uh, in history of the peaceful transfer of power, of what we need to do to protect our own democracy and be forward-looking, but he will also reflect on the role his predecessor had. Will he call Donald Trump out by name? Uh, we'll see. We're finalizing the speech, but I think people will know who he's referring to. One more question. When it comes to voting rights, and you've talked about how important that is to the president, will he directly call Senator Joe Manchin and Senator Kirsten Sinema about voting rights? He is in touch with a range of members of the Senate, uh, including uh, those you have mentioned about a range of topics that are of a priority to him, including voting rights. But we're not going to outline more details from here. Have you been in touch with them this week? I'm just not going to outline more details of private conversations from here. Go ahead, Kristen. Jen, thank you. Before I get to what's happening in Washington, I'm wondering if the president has been briefed on the tragic fire in Philadelphia. We know that 13 people so far have been killed in that fire? I, I have seen those reports. Absolutely devastating, a number of children. Uh, but I will have to get an update on if he's been briefed. I know they were just coming out as we were coming out here. OK, thank you. Um, going back to the CDC and the new guidelines, yeah. they have come under criticism with a lot of 
parents, teachers, other folks saying they're just flatly confusing and, and that there was a clarification put out yesterday that doesn't feel much like a clarification. And I guess the question is, does President Biden have confidence and is he satisfied with the job that the CDC is doing? He has confidence in the, uh, the scientific expertise, uh, the medical expertise of the team at the CDC, and the, he believes the American people uh, had a desire, a need uh, for us to address this pandemic led by data and science, and that's what he's going to continue to rely on. One of the things that people are focusing on is this idea that people can decide whether to get a test. You were just asked a version of this, but I guess the question is, why should it be up to individuals to assess their own symptoms or whether they even have symptoms? Again, I, I think, Kristen, I would encourage you to ask uh, the CDC director and uh, the CDC any specific questions about their guidance. Uh, they're determined and issued by them. Okay. Um, Senator Schumer, Majority Leader Schumer, said yesterday that he expects negotiations to resume shortly in the near term between uh, the President and Joe Manchin about Build Back Better. Do you have, I know you were asked about this yesterday, but let me see I if I can get an update from okay. you. Um, any timeline or guidance on when those discussions might start, and will they just start in short order, or is voting rights the priority right now? Well, we can walk and chew gum at the same time, uh, and I can assure you that we are in touch with a range of senators and their staffs and committee staff about Build Back Better, even as we're working uh, in lockstep with Leader Schumer about getting voting rights done, a huge priority to the president. So uh, I would not confuse the legislative calendar uh, with a lack of action or behind-the-scenes discussions about an important priority. Ultimately, for the larger goal of seeing Build Back Better pass, be willing to sign a final piece of legislation that did not include an expanded child tax credit? I'm just not going to negotiate from here, uh, but the President obviously sees the child tax credit extension as a key priority. Uh, he sees it as uh, a benefit that has provided um, essential assistance to families across the country, has uh, cut uh, childhood poverty by 40 percent. That's an amazing statistic. I'd also note, and I mentioned this yesterday, but I got a little bit more information on it. So um, we are going to continue to fight absolutely to, ha to have it done. I would note, though, that Americans who qualified for the extended child tax credit will still receive half of the entire benefit when they file their taxes this year. So the families who have received monthly payments will get up to $1,800 for each child under six as when they file their taxes, and up to $1,500 for each child aged six to 17. Obviously, that doesn't address what happens after here, but just an important component for people to know and understand. And just finally, quickly, on the speech tomorrow, you've given us a, a little bit of a preview of the substance. Can you talk about how the president is spending this day in terms of preparing to deliver this speech? How, how much is he focused on that today? Is he doing dry run-throughs? I mean, obviously, this is a significant moment. Sure. Look, I, I would say first, um, yeah, I know the president doesn't have public events today. He does have a number of uh, meetings with uh, policy teams, uh, and that's often what he's doing behind the scenes. If you if he were standing here today, which I know he's always invited, is what you guys will say, but he would say we never give him any free time or any time to think, um, and that is probably true. So that is a big part of his day-to-day. -day. Uh, he is uh, obviously very personally involved in what he's going to say tomorrow. And as somebody who served 36 years in the Senate, uh, 
you know, he watched in horror as uh, many people who were in Congress that day, whether they were members or staff or people who just had been working in the Capitol building for some time, at what a dark day that was in our democracy. Uh, it hit him personally. Uh, and I think the role of the former president uh, in this, the role uh, and unfortunately the silence and the complacency of a number of far too many, not every, but far too many member of the Republican Party uh, in the time since then in uh, perpetuating the big lie has stuck with him as well. So I will say, I would say that of course he, he's involved in the writing of, of any major speech he gives uh, in feedback um, and, and conveying whether it's meeting the moment of what he wants to say, uh, but certainly tomorrow the significance of it is something that uh, he feels personally about. Go ahead. Uh, on the idea of some fresh uh, spending uh, for uh, COVID relief for small businesses, first of all, can you share some reaction to that? And then also, would the White House be open to spending for restaurants, COVID relief for best restaurants, or would the, would the president be opposed to that? Well, uh, we, as you know, we, we did a major relief package that included helping restaurants just last year. We are in constant discussions with Congress and leadership about the needs of the American people, whether they are small businesses or restaurants or people sitting in their homes as we continue to fight the pandemic, uh, but don't have any uh, new prediction of pending uh, or new pending request or specific request and wouldn't predict that at this moment in time. Reserve on the search. Does the White House have a clear idea from Senator Manchin how he would vote on, on some of these nominations? Has the president been running some of the names by him to see how he feels? I'm just not going to have an update on that for you. Okay, and then a question on some big tech legislation. Sure. Um, do you know if the president supports the House package of antitrust bills to rein in big tech? Um, I know that they were brought up in June. Yeah. Has he asked the speaker to bring any of those bills to the floor? So here's where we are. Um, I mean, the president's view is that um, the history of the country suggests that strong antitrust laws have been a key to American technological leadership and preeminence. Uh, and for generations, American our, Amer our approach has been to expose our main tech firms to more competition. The president has been very clear in his view that we need more competition in the tech industry. That's his fundamental view. You saw that in uh, the executive order on competition he signed in July. Uh, and uh, his view is that uh, over the past 10 years, the largest tech platforms have, uh, as they've acquired hundreds of companies, including alleged killer acquisitions meant to shut down a potential comp competitive threat, that's not a healthy place for the system. And the large platforms, um, the, the large platforms power gives them unfair opportunities uh, to get a leg up on small businesses that, re uh, that rely on them to reach customers. Um, the president also called on federal agencies like DOJ and the FTC to use their existing tools to tackle these problems uh, in the executive order. I know you're specifically asking about the legislation. We're continuing, we're encouraged, he's encouraged, uh, to see bipartisan interest in Congress in passing legislation to address the power of tech platforms through antitrust legislation and to protect privacy. I don't think we've done a statement yet of administrative policy on this particular legislation, but we're in, in discussion and we are encouraged by um, the bipartisan interest in doing something about this. Go ahead. A uh, question on climate. Uh, I'm sure you saw Senator Manchin's comments yesterday, a positive about reaching a deal on climate. Uh, what is the White House's reaction to that? And is there a possibility that that could be uh, sectioned off and reach a separate deal on that? 
Uh, I'm not going to have any direct uh, reaction to, to Senator Manchin's comments, um, wh which were extensive, and he frequently talks to the press, which of course is a good thing. Um, but I would say that uh, a key component of the President's Build Back Better agenda is climate. Um, and addressing the climate crisis. Uh, that's how he feels. Um, it's, it's vitally important to him. As you know, there's a significant uh, investment in addressing the climate crisis in the bill and legislation that we have been uh, working uh, on with uh, Congress on. Um, and that's important because while we have taken a number of steps uh, from the administration with the power he has as president, tackling super pollutants, phasing down HFCs, uh, rallying the world on methane in Glasgow, um, standing with auto workers and, and America's big car manufacturers to roll up plans to boost electric vehicles, putting America on track for one of every two cars sold to be zero emissions. These are important steps he's taken on his own. We know that working with Congress on legislation is, is vital and important to reaching our objectives, to reaching our goals, and to really making an impact. Um, but I'm not going to negotiate from here on what the specifics are with members of Congress. And two questions on voting rights. Um, does the what is the response to Senator McConnell, who uh, was critical of the focus of voting rights on January 6th, this was, you know, this day was being used to, to push Democrats' agenda of voting rights. And then secondly, uh, does the president plan to address voting rights tomorrow, and will he address specifically the filibuster and changing the rules of the filibuster? Sure. Well, I would say first on this speech tomorrow, I can't believe it's tomorrow, um, but uh, the speech tomorrow, um, he will touch on voting rights, um, but he will have more to say on that soon um, in a longer format. And the speech tomorrow is more focused on the day, what it means in our history, um, and the role uh, that uh, some have played in continuing to perpetuate uh, the big lie and mis and perceptions in the country, uh, but he will touch on it. I would note, um, as it relates to specifically the filibuster, um, in March, just to go back a little bit here, because I expect we'll be talking about this more, um, the president said he had, quote, an open mind about dealing with certain things that are just elemental to the functioning of our democracy, like the right to vote, like the basic right to vote. We've amended the filibuster in the past. He's also said previously that senseless obstruction would be a big factor for him. And I think there's no question, objectively, Republicans have not once but four times obstructed basic legislation that should not be partisan, but is about upholding our Constitution as they simultaneously attack the most fundamental American right, the right to vote. Uh, he also said back in December that if necessary, he supports a rule change to uphold the sacred right of Americans to vote. Uh, and this is reflective of the fact that while he is a creature of the Senate and, a, and somebody who respects the uh, history of the Senate, he wants the Senate to function. Uh, and he wants to move towards and is open to rules changes that will help the Senate function. Uh, so I expect he'll have more to say about that, but I just wanted to note a couple of the things he said, including re right before Christmas. Sorry, you said a longer format down the line. Is there another speech planned on voting rights? We'll have more to say soon, but he'll have more to say tomorrow, uh, past tomorrow, in another format about voting rights. Go ahead. I, I wanted to kind of piggyback on what um, my colleague was just saying, because I was wondering, does he plan to visit the Senate at all and do a full federal speech on reform, um, just as he did when he went to the House regarding uh, the infrastructure bill? Can we see that? And, Back on the speech again, I know you can't give out everything, however, um, in calling out Trump, is he also going to speak directly to his own party that have stood in the way of the filibuster? 
Well, again, I would just note that tomorrow, while he will touch on voting rights, is not a voting a speech about voting rights. And he will have more to say about, about that soon. In terms of the location and the format, I don't have anything to preview for you at this point in time. But I think you can expect he will make a passionate case for voting rights, as he has done on a number of occasions in the past, and he will do that in soon. I want to ask a quick question um, on COVID. You're talking about the tests that are going to be available free online. What is the administration doing to um, confront communities, underserved communities, that don't have broadband access, that are going to have trouble getting and ordering these tests online? How, what is the administration doing on that end? Well, I would say it's not, it is an important tool, but it is not the only way that we are providing access to free testing across the country and certainly ensuring that we are uh, reaching communities uh, that may have challenges because of lack of broadband access or the inability to order online as part of our objective. I, I started this briefing announcing a number of the um, federal testing sites that we've opened and ones that we will continue to expand. Uh, this is in addition to the 20,000. 20,000 tests we have available across the country. Uh, 50 million tests are in the process of going out, started in December, to rural uh, health centers and community cell health centers, though a lot of those are targeted to lower income communities, communities that may not have access to broadband or be able to order on their computers. And we will, con mobile testing sites is something that we have also continued to build out. So we will continue to build out all of those options because obviously equity is a key priority to the president as we work to address COVID. It. Go ahead, Daniel. Um, I have two questions. French President Emmanuel Macron said this week that he plans to hassle the vac unvaccinated to try to get them to get the shot. Since there are millions of Americans who have not been persuaded by, uh, you know, the various government campaigns to get vaccinated, does, uh, you know, why hasn't the president focused more on kind of scolding the unvaccinated to try to tell them, hey, this is not working for society and we're, you know, we keep getting these shutdowns. Well, I would say that um, if you look just to a little over a year ago, last December, only about a third of the American people were willing to get a shot. And today, over 85% of American adults have at least one shot. Uh, and more than 70% are fully vaccinated. So our, our objective has been to uh, continue to convey to the American people uh, the fact that getting vaccinated will help protect them from hospitalization, from death. It will help protect their loved ones. Uh, it will help protect their neighbors and their community. Uh, and we've had a great deal of success in that. Uh, and obviously the French will make their own decisions about the most effective way to communicate with their public. Is there going to be any change in strategy in terms of messaging? You know, you guys have had like the Jonas Brothers and others, but like, <laughs> what do we, you know, Joe Rogan? More Jonas Brothers. Um, you know, I would say, Daniel, that, that our approach to date has been that we have looked for trusted messengers. And some of them uh, may have been people who supported President Biden, and many of them were not. Um, and it's been important to us to reach communities, meet people where they are, uh, including with voices. Some of them have been local officials. We found, and this is no surprise to most people who've been covering politics, but local officials, local leaders, pediatricians, they are often the most trusted uh, voices in communities, but also uh, to work with um, voices of people who, again, may not have voted for the president, uh, but can be effective in helping uh, encourage people to get vaccinated. Yesterday, uh, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell said that Democrats' version of the big lie is their concerns that Republicans are making it uh, harder for people to vote. Does the White House have a response to what McConnell said? 
Well, I would just say facts are facts. And when you make it harder to vote, you make it harder to vote. So let's just give a couple of examples. Um, Michigan Republicans have been replacing members of county boards of canvassers who voted to certify the 2020 election results and are replacing them in some cases with individuals who ascribe to the big lie. Georgia passed a law that allows the state legislator to control the state election board and in turn allows the state elections board to remove local election officials who manage the voting and counting process. Texas passed a law that makes it easier for partisan poll watchers to hover around people while they vote and intimidate them. Montana passed a law that repeals same-day voter registration, makes it harder for people to vote by mail. And Republicans in Arizona, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin have been pursuing purported audits of the 2020 election, something that's been thrown out of 80 courts in service of the big lie. So if that is not making it more difficult to vote, I don't know what is, uh, but maybe uh, Mr. McConnell has a different definition of that. Go ahead. Thanks, Jen. Ahead of the January 6th anniversary tomorrow, does the president think Attorney General Merrick Garland has done enough to, investi to investigate the attempt to overturn the 2020 election? And also, some Republicans are accusing Democrats of playing politics with the anniversary. Does the president think like bipartisanship and relations between the two parties are better or worse off than they were a year ago? Um, well, on the first one, uh, we do something different here. We leave any decisions about investigations to the independent Justice Department, something that the Attorney General uh, naturally demanded and the President uh, wanted to in his, in his Justice Department and his Attorney General. Um, and in the second, I would say that uh, what you'll hear the President talk about tomorrow is the fact that uh, you don't just love your country when you win. Uh, you love your country, you love democracy. Uh, in any in any scenario, and uh, what is most disappointing uh, to him is that uh, there has been a silence and a, and at times a complacency by far too many Republicans who have sat by and defended the big lie um, and perpetuated misinformation to the American public. Uh, that is not meant to be a partisan. That is meant to be a statement of fact. Uh, and an important reminder to people of uh, the history of our democracy in this country, and I think that's what people will hear from him tomorrow. I just have to get quickly around here because I don't want to get to everybody. Go ahead. I have a question on testing. You started by talking about testing uh, capacity and increasing testing capacity. I'd like to know if the administration, federal government, is doing anything to increase testing processing. We've seen the lines of people waiting, but they're also waiting a long time to get those results, and that keeps society from moving forward. So what is the administration doing to help with that processing gap? I know that question was just asked on the COVID briefing. It's a very good question. I believe they said they'd look into more information. So let me see if they have more on that. Okay, one more question for you. Um, similar vein, with the Omicron variant having such a big impact, perhaps an outsized impact than we were expecting, is the administration eyeing any additional COVID relief? I know. Jen asked about restaurant relief, but just sort of a larger package to help people sort of get through this new phase of COVID. Uh, the same answer applies. We, we are constantly in conversation with Congress and leadership and members about what we think and what they think the American people need in any moment. But it's important also to remember we are in a very different place than we were uh, a year ago or six months ago. Uh, historic records of job creation, historic economic growth across the country, historic low records of low numbers of unemployment, uh, low levels of unemployment, I should say, and 200 million people who are vaccinated. So we're in constant conversation, but in terms of a prediction of a, a, a specific request, um, you know, I would say they're constant conversations, but nothing new to report at this point in time.
Thanks, Jen. Go ahead. Uh, sorry, I want to go. Make, uh, I will quickly get around to the last two, or last three. Go ahead. Okay, real quick, um, asking one question on behalf of a colleague who couldn't be here from Catherine Lucy of the Wall Street Journal. Um, does the White House see the teachers' union in Chicago as an obstruction to overseeing schools? What is their message to union leaders? So I believe I answered this a little bit earlier, and the president wants schools to be open. Uh, he believes we have the tools for schools to be open, uh, and we're going to continue to work to ensure that students are in classrooms, they are in classrooms safely, uh, and, uh, and they are for the foreseeable future. And yesterday, New York City Mayor Eric Adams urged local businesses uh, to return back to their offices. We know that the president has said, you know, it's safe to return to schools, but um, does he agree with this message that, you know, workers should be going back to their offices to help out the, quote, you know, financial ecosystem? Local leaders are going to make decisions about what is safe and best in their communities. Um, I would say uh, that we would we would really defer to them. Uh, go ahead in the back. Uh, about uh, the Russia, the upcoming Russia talks, uh, what are you guys expecting? Uh, are you expecting any concrete results after these three rounds of talks, or are you just happy with keeping the line of communication open with the Russians? Well, I think, and hopefully I gave a pretty extensive preview of what we expect um, or what we are going to into the discussions, the three sets of talks to accomplish, uh, but I'm not going to make a prediction of what's going to come out of them at this point. And uh, just a quick follow-up, there's a lot of focus on if Russia does indeed invade uh, Ukraine, we will have very harsh consequences for the, for the Russian government. What about the status quo? What, what is the White House's position on if things don't change and they don't invade Ukraine? Well, we are continuing to provide uh, defensive assistance to Ukraine. Uh, we've been providing assistance, and we will continue to do so in the weeks and months ahead. And that is building on, of course, when President Zelensky was here. And we will continue to uh, discuss, work in close uh, coordination with our partners and allies in Europe. Uh, uh, as we work uh, to reduce and de-escalate the situation on the border. Go ahead. Uh, thank you, Jen. I have one follow on testing and then sure. one separate question. The follow is, you say the CDC is driven by data, but I'm wondering what role the data about just the sheer availability of tests at this exact moment in time is playing in the guidance that they're offering. And once those 500 million tests and all of the various tests that the White House is procuring, once those come to market, could we see the guidance change? Well, Dr. Walensky answered this question on the COVID briefing and said specifically it had nothing to do with access to tests. And actually, there's a wide expansive, uh, we're, we're continuing to expand the number of tests that are available, but it's not an issue with tests, their guidance. A child who has simply been exposed to COVID in school is going to participate in a test to stay in school program, but someone who has actually had COVID is not required to test to re-enter society. Well, again, I would point you to the CDC to answer any specific questions on their guidance. It's driven by their own data and their own scientists. And then on Build, build Back Better, um, CNBC and Change Research conducted a poll in late December asking various demographics about some of the legislation that's been proposed, the state of the economy. Pure independence, the group of voters that secured the election for President Biden, they give the president a D across the board on economic issues, and only 30% say that Build Back Better will grow the economy and create jobs. What is your own internal polling telling you about whether independents 
want Build Back Better and whether you should recalibrate for a different set of policy proposals? Well, without getting into internal polling, I will tell you that Build Back Better, as you know, hasn't passed yet. Um, and we are working to get it passed. And what we see in a lot of polling is that people like the components of the, of the bill, but they don't know exactly what's in Build Back Better and what it means. Um, and it's always easier to sell a package to the public once it's passed. So we are hoping we are going to get to that point. That is our objective. Um, I would note that um, well, the economic data is very strong right now in a lot of areas, uh, economic growth, job creation, low unemployment. Uh, we also understand that the way people are experiencing, uh, the American public is experiencing a life right now is through the prism of a pandemic that is almost, we're almost two years into. They're tired of it. They're fatigued by it. While it has been an unpredictable historic pandemic, uh, they want it to be over. And their experience with the economy isn't, is Inher uh, inherently tied to that. Um, we understand that, that it's less about data and more about what people are experiencing in their day-to-day -day life. It doesn't look normal. They're worried about there being labor shortages and there being canceled flights or not enough teachers in school because of the spread of Omicron. We understand that. So our focus right now is on doing everything we can to continue to fight the virus. We think that is the biggest driver in uh, making people feel better about their daily experiences um, and better about uh, we know the progress that's been made in the economy. Uh, thanks so much, everybody. We'll see you tomorrow. What's up, everybody? This is Carrick with ACG, and welcome to the Video Game News Wrap-Up, where I wrap up the biggest game news stories, at least to me. The first thing I want to talk about is Steam seeing a massive increase in the users of VR, in particular driven by the Quest 2, which grew 3.3%. It is almost at 40%. It's like 36% right now. That's a massive increase to VR, and it shows that VR strengths are still there. It's just that it is very difficult to grow that outside of the holiday season. We also see that the Vive Cosmos jumped a little bit, as did Windows Mixed Reality. Well, it didn't really jump. It went up 0.1%. But a lot of people have issues with the WMR system and how it was originally connected to the WMR side versus Steam VR, which now you can actually launch that without going directly into the WMR ecosystem. It is awesome to see VR doing such a good job, and it doesn't take a genius to understand that the Quest 2, especially at its price, subsidized by Facebook itself, has really helped out. We'll have to see what the price in 
ends up being when Facebook doesn't require you to sign in, which they technically do still at this time, though they have stated at some point in the future, they'll be able to remove that. Now, all this is driven by a hardware survey that is actually optional on Steam. So be aware that that these numbers are not definitive. They're just what's been reported by the hardware survey on Steam. It's a little bit like the review system. It can't be 100% trusted, but it still gives you a good general overall picture of VR and it's increasing year over year. This is all going to be increased when Sony finally decides to release their PlayStation VR, as we know that there are some improvements there. We'll have to see how all this works. I'm excited for this. I like VR, especially when it's working well and you get some of these unique games. In particular, the Oculus does actually have some very nice games on its marketplace. But now that you're starting to look at Steam, you're starting to see a lot of titles come out there. And I've definitely heard through the grapevine that some bigger titles are planned for VR as well once we move into the future, especially in mid-2022. At least that's the rumors that I've been hearing. And next up, if you've been watching the channel, any of the podcasts, you absolutely know this is something I've been talking about for over a year, and that's Samsung and their deals when it comes to gaming and their new TVs. So CES is currently occurring, and today Samsung announced that their new gaming hub will be on their TVs moving forward. This is not necessarily these titles actually being installed on the systems when you buy the TV, but the ability to install GeForce Now as well as Google Stadia. But what's even more important is they now have a pass-through system which allows for you to use your controllers from the Xbox and the PlayStation. The Steam Link has been available for a while on some Samsung TVs, but this is reported that it's not actually going to be a part of the gaming hub. I use the Steam Link on mine, and it actually works quite well when it comes to even my older Samsung TV. We definitely know that Microsoft and Samsung have talked in the background as well, and it wouldn't surprise me if we start to see more and more streaming services being added directly to the game hub on Samsung, as well as some rumors of LG. This is something to me that is quite important because streaming is not only there, but you're actually gonna get that ability to sort of jump from your TV over to your tablet, to your computer, what have you, and be able to play without any real adjusting of the controllers. That pass-through is a big deal. This is something that, once again, Samsung announced today. What wasn't announced today but is going to impact us for a long time is the metaverse, or metaverses, because anybody telling you there's one metaverse is completely full of shit. Another one that is, is the CEO for Square, who wrote a letter to investors, to the people who work at the company, as well as fans, discussing the metaverse and basically introducing that first moment of something I've talked about in the past that was going to pop up, which is guilt gaming. Any of these companies that are trying to push NFTs are going to try to get you into it in some way. And one of the ways the CEO for Square has done this is surprisingly enough, basically saying that uh, if you're playing the game just to win, you're not really what they're actually looking for. If you're just enjoying the game, that's not necessarily the most important thing to them. I'm going to quote a second from this letter. It says, I realize that some people who play to have fun and who currently form the majority of players have voiced reservations towards these new trends, and understandably so. However, I believe there will be a certain number of people whose motivation is to play to contribute, by which I mean to help make the game more exciting. Traditional gaming's offered no explicit incentive to this latter group of people who were motivated strictly by some inconsistent personal feelings as goodwill and volunteer spirit. This fact is not unrelated to the limitations of existing user-generated content. So let's sort of deball this right away. The first thing to say is even he admits this is an inconsistent personal feeling like goodwill and volunteer spirit, something that you absolutely cannot guarantee. Additionally, the pointing out of 
play to have fun kind of gamers versus these play to sort of make the game more exciting kind of players, there isn't really a great split there or certainly a percentage that anybody knows. What's more interesting here though is that the idea that the players themselves need to make the game more exciting. One of the problems that we have a lot of times is companies themselves won't support a game. We've seen this with various different companies and the actual fans have to step in. But this is not something that we want day and date. That doesn't make any sense. If we're talking about two, three, four, or five years down the road, there is some expectation that the company continues having those servers run. And if they don't, sometimes we get them to release the server files or somebody hacks it like we've seen recently with Titanfall. But you certainly don't want to rest on your laurels and already be talking about it. Another bit from this that I want to read. From having fun to earning to contributing, a wide variety of motivations will inspire people to engage with games and connect with one another. It is blockchain-based tokens that will enable this. End of quote. First, no, it's not. Anything that can be done with an NFT can be done prior. We've already seen that, and the experience of that is something like Second Life, which has been doing it for years. NFTs do not allow for this. The companies are telling you that because they want you to buy into NFTs, and they want you to believe that something is actually impossible. Now, this is backed up by the developers I've talked to who basically stated, including, as we saw an initial report from Ubisoft devs, not even understanding why the publisher was pushing NFTs so hard. But what I've been told is nothing so far whatsoever could not be done with existing technologies easier. The statement that was stated by multiple different developers is NFTs legitimately are the exact same thing only done far less efficiently. And the last bit I want to read because I take personal issue with this. And if you don't, that's fine. In the quote, he states, our lifestyles have changed and we're learning to coexist with COVID-19. Against that backdrop, I believe that the new technologies and concepts that I've discussed and the changes that they bring to our business environment will provide us with numerous opportunities to enrich people's lives through digital entertainment, which is at the core of our business. End of quote. That's absolutely correct. However, I do take severe issue with bringing up COVID-19 engaged with this. That is a very simple guilt gaming kind of situation, something I've been telling you guys would pop up and we're starting to see this here. It is no way, shape or form related to COVID-19. NFTs were prior to COVID-19 or at least the idea of them. The idea that we need to basically bring this up as some kind of magical fix that will help us throughout gaming really is just distasteful. I didn't like this entire presentation. You can find this actual letter in the link that'll be in the description. I'd like to know what you guys think. Again, maybe this is just me and I'm the only one who takes issue with it. Also, if you want to learn about NFTs, if you want to learn about how these are going to affect your games mostly negatively, and this is backed up by the actual research that's been done and the actual experiences we currently have, feel free to watch my older videos that discuss NFTs in depth when it comes to video games, because they are slightly different than your typical JPEG, right-click, save Dan, and then uploaded to OpenSea to become an NFT. And while I mentioned this briefly before, I want to bring it up once again, Titanfall 2, there's a mod out there that allows for you to now set up your servers for that game. So if you're a fan of Titanfall 2, you want to go out there and you want to play some multiplayer with other people, there is a way to do so. Go online, look it up. You can find the link to the various different files for setting up your server. This is something that as we move forward and games sort of start to peel away on the wayside older titles, titles that were structured around general consoles at the time and not the 
these current gen, more powerful titles, we're going to start to see this kind of thing sort of ramp up. What I would like to see is the company step forward and say, here are the server codes for doing something like this. Here's the information. We've definitely seen companies do that, where a company ends up sort of looking at the game and saying, hey, we're going to mothball this thing. And at the same time, here's the information if you want to run your own private servers. I don't like the idea of them dropping a server, but I do understand that as things change, some of the old titles are just going to fall to the wayside. But I think it's absolutely imperative that this becomes the norm, that we start to get companies that are at least looking at the future and identifying that, hey, if we drop support, it doesn't mean that people are going to stop wanting to play. We have the server files, maybe build up a package and put that together and give it out to people so that they can continue playing your game. You are only going to create fans. Lastly, I got to talk about the success that Sega has seen these last couple years, and much of it has been driven by their adjustments to how they do business, and we can look no further than the Yakuza series coming to PC. 2.8 million units were sold on PC. Sega had a management meeting. They talked about the strategies for Yakuza, for all of their other Sega titles, and we have seen this do nothing but success. Now, we know that Lost Judgment is not coming directly to the PC. There's various issues with the actual star or actor's main agency and their dislike for anything that's on PC. But you look at this and you can see that Sega is starting to see that growth that a lot of us old-style fans really appreciate. Sega's got a number of IPs that many of us would want to see, and the idea that they can possibly release some of these out on the PC as well as the console means that a company like Sega can take a few more risks in what they want to release. I, for one, am waiting for Space Harrier 3D and Space Harrier VR. If that happens, I'm going to shit myself. Then you got Thunderblade, you got Altered Beast, you've got all kinds of different games. Afterburner, Sega has a ton of IPs. Headhunter 3, yes please. And this kind of information from Sega is only backed up by Steam itself. They broke a record. Most concurrent users, nearly 28 million people, were logged into Steam playing games. Guys and gals, this is awesome. I love the growth of various different companies as well as just a larger community of gamers. This is fascinating stuff, but it also is a place where it allows for you to have a little bit more of a voice. There's more people here that can possibly put down their foot on some of the stuff like the random NFTs or rampant microtransactions. And I suggest that you do. Don't take anything at face value when it comes to a company telling you, hey, we're in it for you. Technically, they're in it for the dollars in your wallet. They've never been in it for you. And as we roll out of this new segment, I just want to say thanks to everybody. If you get a chance, subscribe. If you don't, hey, you know what? That's fine too. Go out there. If you want, post a couple of your comments. What were your favorite games in 2021? I would love to know. Post them here in the comments. Post what you think about NFTs, what you think about Steam breaking records, what you think about Sega, what games would you like to see. I would love to see more of these companies that don't release on PC start to do so. We are already seeing a massive almost continental shift when it comes to Sony doing so. This is something that many people thought would never happen, and it has really shaken the Sony faithful and understanding exactly where their platform is. Personally, I don't think it devalues it, but I know a ton of people who do. We see a lot of these companies that just release on consoles, even if it's on two or three of them, that I would love to see on PC. This is excellent. I would love to see them take the advancements of higher frame rate, adaptive V-Sync, everything they can, because those are now on the newer consoles as well. And really, all you can get from that is more players, more games, and more fun. Peace out.
Steelers keeping their playoff hopes alive last night in Big Ben's likely final game in front of the home fans in Pittsburgh. Did throw one touchdown pass. Got a ton of help from the defense. They picked off Baker Mayfield a couple of times. They sacked him nine times. Najee Harris went for 188 yards and a touchdown. Steelers still have a chance to make the postseason, just a 7% chance. Last night, though, was all about Big Ben. He talked about taking that final knee. You know, anybody in football will tell you when you're on offense that that's the best play in football, the best formation, the best best play. And so to go out there and take a knee made it probably even more emotional and more real. And, um, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't pretty. But I, like I, I said out on the field, I think that's kind of been – feels like that's been my style. Not pretty, but finding a way to win. And I think that's 92 wins here at Heinz Field. And that just – that's what it's always been about for me is winning football games. And um, this is one more, and it's very special. A deeper look at uh, the home dominance for Ben Roethlisberger. The most wins by a quarterback at a single venue. And Tom Brady has the most at one stadium, Gillette Stadium, with 135. John Elway up mile high with 104. And Ben Roethlisberger, 98 at Heinz Field at building opening in 2001. Let's bring in Charles Davis for more on Ben Roethlisberger. Charles, I mean, you, you look at the numbers. He threw it 46 times for 123 yards. He, he's nowhere near the quarterback that he once was, but it seemed pretty clear there was an inspired effort from his teammates and from that grateful fan base, didn't it? Absolutely, and don't forget, this is a team that still has playoff aspirations, and with that organization, they're not going to just let them go. It's not just Mike Tomlin getting his 15th consecutive non-losing season which I think is the best start ever for, for a head coach in the NFL. It's still playing to try and get into the tournament, as a lot of players talk about. But when you put it all together, let's, let's, let's not underestimate, as you pointed out, the inspiration that these guys had, wanting to send their quarterback out the right way. If anyone ever has any questions about a quarterback and how a team feels about them, all they got to do is plug in last night's tape. You found out how this team felt about their leader, Ben Roethlisberger, because they got they got contributions from everywhere. The defense, nine sacks, as you pointed out, two interceptions. Baker Mayfield hit 11 times. They didn't give up 100 yards rushing. Prior to that, they'd given up over 200 yards rushing three straight games, three out of the last four games. So they played well on offense. How about Najee Harris, 188 yards, looking like a young Franco Harris, whose record he broke for rookie rushing. So put it all together, they obviously played for their quarterback and leader. They also played for the chance to have a big game against Baltimore this weekend in hopes of still getting in to the tournament. Yeah, if they win that and the, and the Jaguars can pull off a big upset against the Colts, the Steelers would likely be in the postseason. That's a big if. That's why Sportsline says it's only about a 6.6% chance. Now, Baker Mayfield, you mentioned, sacked nine times. He was a mess, picked off a couple of times. He, he's injured. He's, he's not going to play in the – in the season finale because he's going to have to undergo surgery on his shoulder. This is a, a big moment uh, for, for his career and for the Browns in that franchise. What, what do they do at quarterback uh, ahead of his potential fifth-year option? Yeah, there's a whole lot going on here because yesterday, I believe I said they hadn't picked up the fifth-year option. I did some investigating. Chris, you're going to have to help me. I think that they actually did. So now we got to figure out is he the guy going forward after this year that you're going to pay that kind of money to be your starting quarterback? That's what's going to be the discussion because if you took it into if you took it from last year about midseason through the postseason, there's no question they were on the right track and Baker Mayfield was the guy. 
This season, so many different goals not met by the team overall. But in Baker's defense and in his favor, a toughness to him, a grittiness to him, played hurt, always shows up, answers the call. I think what's interesting is this offseason discussion, is he the guy, not the guy, is actually in his favor. Because the Baker Mayfield I know, and I've known him since he was a freshman at Texas Tech, he doesn't have a chip on his shoulder, Chris. He has a boulder that Sisyphus tried to push up the hill, okay? Mm -hmm. That's when he operates at his best. When he's doubted, when people criticize, when people say he's not the guy, that's when he's at his best. He'll have to be next year because they got some big decisions to make. Last thing, this is not the draft, I think, that he has to worry about in terms of quarterbacks coming out. I don't think there'll be a major rush like there was last year to go get these guys, but he has to show that he's going to be the guy long-term in the season coming forward. Yeah, they picked up that fifth-year option last April, thinking maybe, you know, he performs well this season. Maybe he gets that long-term deal before going into that fifth year, but it certainly appears like he's going to have to earn that contract and maybe an extension with that uh, with that play next season for the Cleveland Browns. And it, it feels like there's more pressure on him and the Browns as it pertains to the quarterback position because, you know, you look across the division and, and across the state at what Joe Burrow is doing with the Cincinnati Bengals, Burrow and Chase, I mean, they're developing like a, a Montana Rice type connection here. How much do you think that plays into what the Browns are going to do moving forward? It plays into it in a big way. And you mentioned within the division, Lamar Jackson's in Baltimore. Okay. Pittsburgh's the one that has to answer some questions. But this Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase thing, obviously it goes back to LSU. Remember during the run up to the draft, the big debate was. Should you get a left tackle to help protect protect Joe Burrow, who had torn his ACL in his rookie year? Panay Sewell was the name most mentioned coming out of Oregon. Or do you add another weapon to go along with T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd at wide receiver? They chose the weapon. And then, of course, Jonah Williams made him look good at left tackle by having his best season yet. But when you put it all together with these two, it's not just a matter of Jamar Chase's pass and Joe Burrow meets him with a pass. It's understanding each other. It's playing through some confidence dings, some drops by Jamar Chase. Joe Burrow never shied away from it. And when Joe Burrow makes a second and third reaction play in the pocket, Jamar Chase knows how to adapt, adjust, and find his way open. And those two, that's a heck of a connection. So back to the draft day, Chris. <laughs> Duke Tobin in, in the brass at, at Cincinnati, they got it right. Not that Panay Sewell isn't a terrific player. But they got what they wanted because look at the season T. Higgins is having over a thousand yards. Tyler Boyd has a chance to go over a thousand yards. Joe Mixon rushing the football over a thousand again. I think Jamar Chase helps open things up for everyone. And already clinching the division, they're going to get at least one home playoff game. They take on the Browns, who will not have Baker Mayfield in the regular season finale. Biggest game of week 18, though, Sunday night, Chargers and Raiders. It's a virtual play in game for the postseason. Another off-field issue for the Raiders this week. It's been a, just a, one thing after another, right? Starting nickel, Nate Hobbs arrested for DUI. You've had the Raiders a lot. You had them you know, before the John Gruden situation came about, before the Henry Ruggs situation came about, and then again after. How have they kept it together on the field when things off of it have been such a mess? Well, I think it starts with you've got to look at the locker room itself, and this is where Derek Carr probably should get a lot more you know, a lot more love about what he has done there. Because, you know, how many years have we talked, Chris? Is Derek Carr really John Gruden's guy? Is he really the right guy for this job? And every year he puts up nice numbers, but they don't pay off with the playoffs. 
this one could have easily gotten away from them. And I get the sense that he just wouldn't let it happen. He kept this team going in a lot of ways. Other guys have jumped up and given better contributions lately. All of a sudden, Josh Jacobs has emerged. He's one of the top runners when he's right. Finally got over 100 yards, 129 in the last ball game against Denver. So now we're starting to see that happen. The defense, which has been better all year long than it was before, again, starting to put pressure on quarterbacks led by Gus Bradley, their defensive coordinator. But when we talk about what's gone on there and we use the word distractions and not, and not you, Chris, but a lot of people on the outside, when you say distractions, you're not even coming close to what's gone on at that place. We're talking bona fide tragedies that have happened there. We're talking about things that are ending up in, 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 in criminal court. And we're talking about lives in the balance and lives lost. This is amazing that they are in this position in terms of on-field play, considering what has happened off-field. So I never want to get short shrift to that because that's real world stuff. But if we're talking strictly football terms, if they get in, make sure you point a good finger at Rich Basaccia, the interim head coach, and at Mike Mayock, the general manager. In tandem, in lockstep, they kept this team moving in the right direction, and this team's responding for Rich Passaccia now. And they're one win away from getting into the postseason. In some cases, maybe one tie away from getting in as well, but that's uh, that's for another day. Uh, on the oh, other don't throw that one out there. <laughs> crazy yeah it could be a situation where you know if the teams tie if, if you guys don't know watching if the teams tie they could both get in but that nobody's going to do that you no, just no put, you just put that in the atmosphere where one's going to receive the kick and they'll just kneel down and then hand the ball to the other and they'll kneel down and we'll go through 60 minutes and imagine that oh imagine calling that game uh on the other side though it's the chargers right and the, and the team that you know we expected to be in the postseason this year with justin herbert how important is this game for last year's Offensive Rookie of the Year, Herbert in particular, who now, I mean, you, you, could, you could argue he's the second-best quarterback in his draft class behind Burrow. Yeah, and, and look, remember, he, Burrow, and Tua, Tunga Valoa, will be in lockstep together as long as they're in the league because of where they went in the draft, one, five, and six. So put it all together now for Justin Herbert. It's not as important within his own locker room because they truly believe in him. They think he's the guy. But I will tell you, having talked to at least two top personnel people around the league, independently, after they lost to Houston, I heard this quote, and I'm paraphrasing for both, but essentially this is what they said. Joe Burrow doesn't let his team lose a game like that. So that's the outside perception. I think this kid is built of steel, a lot more than what people know. And this is a great opportunity for him to change that perception from the outside world. But yes, he's a gorgeous thrower of the football. But Joe Burrow has that so-called it factor that, take, that has taken the Bengals to an AFC North title. It's a great opportunity for Justin Herbert to join him and let people know that that it factor is there. And I believe that it is. He's got it. Win or lose this ball game, I think this kid has it. But I'm just telling you, Chris, talking with people around the league, just a couple people who are pretty highly placed, that's how they felt. So it's a very interesting deal to see how Justin Herbert and his team finishes this thing off. Yeah, interesting stuff. Chargers, Raiders for the right to go to the postseason Sunday night. Charles Davis with us here on CBS Sports HQ ahead of his final regular season game of the season. These are the Week 18 matchups beginning on Saturday with the Broncos hosting the Chiefs and the Cowboys taking on the Eagles. Two Saturday games, and then on Sunday, Ravens-Steelers. It's the one Charles is going to be on the call for, 1 o'clock Eastern time on CBS. Both teams still alive in the playoff race. The winner will have a chance, but definitely going to need the Jags to upset the Colts if they're to get in. Rams 
uh, trying to win the division. 49ers trying to get into the NFC postseason, the wild card there. And that Sunday nighter is Chargers Raiders for potentially that last playoff spot. Do you want a sports network that delivers everything that matters about the game? The highlights, the picks, the instant analysis, no yelling, no fake debates, no politics. Hit the subscribe button and never miss a moment. So appreciative of seven not only his play but his leadership and um just a tough night man but uh awesome night you walked outside and felt the energy and saw all the seven jerseys all the seven signs and um it was truly an atmosphere that i've never felt here before hey, did you get the game ball um i don't i have no no he didn't coach didn't like make an announcement or anything but um i'm sure It'll be in my locker. Would that be your favorite game ball? Probably. I mean, probably. It's going to be up there. If not, it's um, it's special. Tuesday edition of PFTPM, the morning after Big Ben's farewell to Heinz Field. Slightly different scene than last year with the final home game against the Browns in the playoffs. Ben and Marquise Pouncey sitting alone on the bench. This time it's kind of a victory lap for Ben Roethlisberger. He didn't do the the whole lower bowl at Heinz Field, but got to walk off as a winner, 26 to 14 over the Cleveland Browns. Playoff hopes still alive. Still alive. This is PFT Live, by the way, not PFT PM. Wake your butt up on a Monday. Did I say PFT PM? Oh, yes, you did. Did I really? Yes, you did. Jeez. Yep, wake wow. up. Let's go. Get wow. your butt. Get your butt going. You're wow, having a Baker PFT Mayfield uh, 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 performance here early on. Come on, let's go. <laughs> Well, I've, I've thrown four interceptions. <laughs> yeah. I've 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 completed 24 46 passes for 123 yards. You know, history was set last night as Pete, who is quick to rain on the Big Ben parade, pointed out. History was made last night. The fewest yards ever gained by a quarterback with 45 or more it's amazing. attempts in a game. Ben Roethlisberger, 123 yards on 46 attempts. That's that's uh that's not a good night throwing the ball, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because they won. That's they right. They beat the Browns. It worked. I, it's amazing. I, it, it was it was amazing to see the outpouring, whether it was the, I don't know, it felt like a 10-hour Super Bowl pregame on ESPN with all the Ben Roethlisberger adulation and the fans stayed until the very end. And, you know, he was there 18 years and he won two Super Bowls. Yes, it's been a while since the last one. And yes, there were some unfortunate things that happened that everyone has apparently forgotten about back in 2010 or thereabouts when they wanted to run him out of town, literally. I remember listening to talk radio in Pittsburgh 2010 when it was just one person after another calling in, sharing their grievances about Big Ben. I, he, you know, he cut in line at a Subway restaurant or whatever it was. I mean, it was any little thing they could come up with. They were, they were so upset with him after he got suspended for his misadventures in Milledgeville, Georgia. Right. That's all gone now. It never happened. Never happened. It's amazing. It's an amazing act of redemption. And now he walks off into the sunset uh, and, and still has a chance to, to get to a Super Bowl and literally walk off into the sunset. Uh, with a with a trophy under his arm, although I would put the odds at that is very slim, especially since I don't think they get into the playoffs because the Jaguars have to beat the Colts for them to get to the playoffs, and they have to beat the Ravens in Baltimore. I 
I'll be stunned if the Jaguars beat the Colts. Uh, but crazier things have happened this week, Chris. So uh, yeah. I can't rule out anything at this point. It's a crazy year. I mean, altogether, you're right. This week, this year, whatever, this month, we see crazy victories all, all you know, all the time. We saw the Jets be really controlling a football game against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the Super Bowl champions, just this past weekend. So you're right. Anything's possible. There's no doubt. But I mean, hey, Pittsburgh, uh, that that was cool to see last night. That really was. I mean, first off, I want to give credit to the whole football team. I mean, just again, the way to get your butt whooped the way they did against the Kansas City Chiefs, I think the first thing that jumped out to me last night, their energy, their emotion, their toughness. I know you picked them to win the game. Pasta and meatballs, correct, check mark. I mean, but but you're right. And that's to me like Mike Tomlin. Uh, again, uh, you know, Mike Tomlin, you say what you want. I mean, the, the Pittsburgh Steelers just always come ready to fight for, for the most part. Or whenever you think they're dead – you know, they show you a little life. I think between that, the energy in the stadium uh, provided by, you know, people knowing that it was Big Ben's last game, uh, the Steelers played an emotional, tougher football game from the get-go. And I was glad to see Big Ben go out a winner. I really was. He's a legend. Yeah, you said it. it's been some rocky, rocky roads there. Uh, but for the most part, come on, man, what he's done in Pittsburgh, it's all-time great status. It really is. The fact that they're in it every year. They went to three Super Bowls. You're right, it's been a while. But, oh, my gosh, I mean, every year in the conversation for playoffs, in the playoffs, certainly years sprinkled in with are they the best team in the AFC. Uh, uh, just a, a phenomenal career by Big Ben. And, um, you know, cool to see him get sent off in that, in that way. What's amazing for all their struggles this year, they haven't lost at home yeah, that's crazy. since week three against the Cincinnati Bengals. Now they had that unfortunate tie against the Lions, which ultimately could be the thing that keeps them out of the postseason. But they have, have won every other home game since then. The problem is they haven't won on the road since Halloween at Cleveland. Yeah. And they're going to have to win on the road at Baltimore. And maybe that's a tougher task than uh than than the other side of it i don't know but because look the jaguars as pete pointed out they've beaten the colts six, six straight times yeah in jacksonville now this jaguars team just gave up 50 points to the patriots this yes. jaguars team has shown no life since urban meyer was fired usually there's some sort of a of a lift that you get after the the coach is fired because guys want to play well for the interim coach because they realize a new guy who comes in may make a lot of changes, and those changes may include me. So let's go out and win for this guy because maybe we can keep him as our coach and everything stays the same. I don't, right, it never right. happened for yeah. the Jaguars this year. But they get the chance to play ultimate spoilers. And, and apparently there are fans who are planning to show up in, in clown paint or clown outfits because this is this is the, the the thing they've been doing to put pressure on Shad Khan after the decision was made and leaked to NFL media that they're bringing back Trent Baalke as the GM so I don't know what what factor that's going to have I don't know how many clowns are going to be in the uniform or, or in the stadiums rather on Sunday in Jacksonville but but that becomes a critical game now critical if the Jaguars can beat the Colts and the Steelers can beat the Ravens, the Steelers are in the playoffs, unless the Chargers and Raiders tie. This is the ultimate chaos scenario. Steelers beat Ravens. Jaguars beat Colts. If the Chargers and Raiders tie, both the Chargers and Raiders are in and the Steelers are out, which would just be perfect if it happens. <laughs> um, and, and, and you have to wonder whether the two teams are tempted to – 
engineer a tie. I'll tell you what, if the NFL ever caught wind of something like that, I could see the commissioner issuing the unprecedented double forfeit and knocking them both out of the playoffs. But if it would just naturally happen that they would tie, they'd both be in and the Steelers would be out. And the Colts would also obviously be out because they would have lost to the Jaguars. So it's it's an amazing potential outcome if it gets to that on Sunday night. No, it definitely is. I mean, it, it, it seems far-fetched, but in a year where, again, we've seen that there's no great team in the NFL, there's inconsistencies every week, who the hell knows? We could be sitting here Sunday night going, man, there's, there's, a, there's a chance. Holy cow. Uh, I certainly don't expect the Jags to beat the Colts. Uh, and, of course, like you said, it's going to be tough sledding for the, for the Steelers just to go into Baltimore and beat the Ravens as is. But we'll see where it goes. Uh, either way, I didn't expect them to win last night. I didn't. But I knew they were going to win about three minutes into the football game just because you could tell the energy and one team was, like, you know, ready to go, fired up, tough as hell. I mean, to me, it, it's, it's like Big Ben's career. It started off 2004. Oh, man, is he ready to play? I don't know, and man, what did he do? Like, when won his first 11 starts as a starter, as a rookie. That was unbelievable. Last night, you know, Cleveland team that, that is more talented coming into town. You think, oh, man, all right, they got knocked out of the playoffs, but still, maybe there's no pressure. They'll let it fly. They want to end their season on a good note. No. Big Ben, the Steelers smothered them from the get-go. Uh, clearly, were the tougher physical team, wanted the game more, and uh, that was that was impressive. It really was. Like you know, like you said, it wasn't like a great offensive showing by Big Ben. But you know, the one thing is, you know, it, it took care of the ball for the most part. You know, was somewhat efficient as far as keeping them in as good a situations as they possibly could. But you know, the, the, this is where Big Ben is at. This is why we're saying goodbye. It, 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 he's no longer. He's a shell of the guy he once was. And you know. At one point of his career, he was the ultimate magic maker, the guy who can make things happen in the pocket, people hanging on him, throw the ball still 40 and 50 yards down the field. Yeah, what we've seen here the last year and this year especially, yeah, I mean, look at this sprite chart here. It's it's a lot of let me find a way to get the ball to my hand quick, throw the ball accurately, accurately into short windows, and it's not all that fun to watch, but it's not all on him either. They don't have the greatest offensive line. Uh, but but either way, uh, good job by them. The running game dominated, and Big Ben, pretty cool. I was really hoping, Mike, that he would get the kneel down at the end of the game and kind of have that last little bit of, like, you know, uh, showman or, or that last little bit of the, the spotlight, I should say, and uh, that, that was cool too. I wish he would have, like, kneeled the ball and got up and ran around the stadium and gone crazy. He seemed like he was so reserved. He almost didn't know how to react, but still it was a cool moment to see a legend go out like that. Yeah, you could tell he didn't know what to do, right. and I was looking to see if anyone was going to give him some guidance. He eventually did that kind of a half victory lap, yeah, and then he yeah. was still out on the field, and there was a neat moment when his family came down, and, and the, you see him walk off into the tunnel with his wife and his three kids. That that, that was great, and, and I, I haven't seen the pictures of it yet, but there was a cameraman right behind it. There's got to be some great images oh, of that major, final walk-off. Uh, and, you know, Najee Harris had 188 rushing yards yeah. on 28 attempts, and it felt like he should have had more because there was a sense that, that you know, Ben was doing what Ben does where he just 
changes the plays whenever he feels like and the RPOs. Do is fire him. Right, right. What are they going to do? What are they going to do? But it's his last game. He's done. Yeah. He's done. It and, did seem and, like he and, was going to go out like a Kobe Bryant blaze of glory where he's just like, I might throw it every play tonight. The hell with it. Uh, it did feel like and, that and at it, one point. <laughs> it helped that the Browns were so inept offensively. Yes. And, you know, there was this Nick Chubb mystery. Where's he? And there was no designation provided during the game. And then after the game, the coach says, oh, he had a rib problem. Hey, teams have been fined. And I mean, not significant amounts as it relates to the overall net worth of an NFL franchise, but they've been fined, you know, five figures for for failing to provide injury updates during games. It's just weird when it happens because it's so commonplace. Guy's got a rib injury. His return is questionable. There's there's no strategic edge that you sacrifice by making that disclosure during the game. And it is required. It is mandatory. It'll be interesting to see whether or not the Browns get in any sort of trouble with the league office for that. Hi, I'm Mike Tirico, and thanks for watching. Make sure to hit subscribe for the latest news and highlights from NBC Sports. Welcome to Buttheads, the only podcast on the internet where these two dudes talk about media. I'm Tristan Edelman, and with me is Isaac Ely, and we are butting heads on the best of the Legend of Zelda series for our very first season. Hello, Isaac. How are you? I'm good. How are you, Tristan? (laughs) (laughs) I'm doing good. Uh, This is interesting because we're both uh, huge Zelda fans, and we're going to be talking about every game in the mainline series across, well... 20 episodes i guess yes and i say that because we're going to be doing 19 episodes each dedicated to a game mm-hmm. and we're going to have a finale and we're going to talk about spin-offs in between and we're going to give our thoughts and uh, general background have a guest and then just discuss how we rank each game as we go along and that's where we might actually butt heads yeah it's going to be kind of slow at first because you know, you will only have one game down, so there will be only one on the list. But as we go on, uh, you know, we both have played enough Zeldas to know that there's going to be some variances in our list. So it'll be interesting to see. Uh, it'll be fun to have guests on and hear that their favorite game is Zelda 1, Zelda 2, you know, those those kind of games because it's, it's just not heard of. So it'll be very interesting, very fun, and I'm excited. Me too. And I say this is like Zelda is the first season because if we continue doing this, it could be tracks tackle some movies yeah tackle some some other series music yeah so we'll see how things go but for now it'll be 20 weeks of (laughs) of zelda Zelda, which is uh, a lot and so uh, just before we get started and explain who we are i do want to just give a road map of everything um like i said we're going to be covering some of the spinoffs that are released between the main lines but i'm just going to list off all 19 mainline games that we're going to be talking about just so people get an idea of course to start the legend of zelda and bear with me as I'm just listing off names. The Adventure of Link, A Link to the Past, Link's Awakening, Ocarina of Time, Majora's Mask, Oracle of Ages, Oracle of Seasons, Four Swords, The Wind Waker, Four Swords Adventures, The Minish Cap, Twilight Princess, Phantom Hourglass, Spirit Tracks, Skyward Sword, A Link Between Worlds, Triforce Heroes, and Breath of the Wild. Episode 20 is finale. Thank you for sticking through that if you're still here. (laughs) It's a lot. (laughs) But I want to make clear because I think some people don't think of like, oh, Four Swords as being a mainline Zelda game. And it pretty much is. It's not like Mario where there's really that many spinoffs. The spinoffs are 
Lynx crossbow training or the CDI games that are like not canon all that. And now more recently there's been Hyrule Warriors and Cadence of Hyrule, so those are yeah. true. But everything else is still within the vein of like adventuring Zelda games. So most of them are are part of that main series. And the the thing is too is you don't like you said I I when we talked about which games we would play, which ones we wouldn't wouldn't. I really didn't think even Triforce Heroes was technically canon and then you know we went in and did our research and it is so it's just going to be interesting to see those games or certain games that we haven't played before and figure it out in our list um but when you read them out like that it just seems like a lot it's it's exciting though yeah and i you mentioned the guests we're gonna have a guest who are our friends people in the gaming industry whatever um, talking and we we're trying to get people whose favorite game is each of the episodes we're addressing so far what we have planned out for the first two that's not the case <laughs> it's impossible to find <laughs> um, but there's people who uh, both love the games that we're talking about so that's what we're really looking for it doesn't have to be their favorite but that was kind of the goal to begin with that being said for this episode as we talk about the very first Legend of Zelda with uh, you know on the NES we'll be talking to Austin Clark a friend of mine and uh, he's a maker of uh, games, little indie games under Good Cat Games. His uh, Twitter is Aesop Beef, A E S O P B three E F, and <laughs> <laughs> so follow him because uh, he's coming up later. And we appreciate him for coming on because, yeah. like Tristan said, it was very interesting saying whose favorite Zelda game is Zelda one and not getting any responses, and then saying, well, who likes Zelda one and getting a little more responses. So, uh, no. I think it'll be cool, too, hopefully in the future, uh, with people listening in, maybe they'll say, hey, my favorite game is Zelda 2, my favorite game is Oracle of Seasons, and we can get people on that are actually, that's their favorite game. And to that point, too, we're going to have a little bit of input from uh, one person who messaged me on Instagram who's like, I really like Zelda, who's not Austin. So um, we'll oh, get to that good. later. <laughs> the, more, the more the merrier. And I think that'll change as we go along. Because part of it, too, is we got to talk about who we are. Right, our age, and uh, you know, the certain games mean more to us. Um, so I'm Tristan Edelman, as I mentioned. Um, I am a how old am I? Twenty <laughs> <laughs> mid twenties. That's all that matters. Twenty four year old uh, man, um, and I have worked for I've freelanced for various games outlets and hard news. Technically, I went to journalism undergrad, getting my master's in film studies, and I still write stuff for myself basically on my medium page um so i i i spend a lot of time with pop culture video games movies music whatever um what about you isaac and then Who there's me uh <laughs> i'm isaac i'm 25 now i'm one of the 26 god we are really <laughs> selling ourselves as idiots who <laughs> don't know how to <laughs> the thing is, is is after 21 it doesn't really matter for a while um i'm 25 uh I work in insurance. I love music. Music is my first love. Um, I would say compared to Tristan, media in general isn't my biggest thing. I have my favorites, but I don't necessarily go into every single you know, Zelda game. I don't go into every single parts of a series if I like it. I'll just pick what I like and keep it there. Um, but Zelda is one of my favorite, all-time favorites. Um, I started one of my earliest games I can remember playing was Ocarina of Time. Uh, and it's still one of my all-time favorites, if not my all-time favorite video game. Um, and everything past that, uh, Wind Waker, Majora's Mask, all those games I've played and I've loved. So I'm very excited to go a little bit older than those games because I've never really been one to play Zelda, Zelda 2. You know, I remember having an, NES, an SNES. I remember 
an NES being around, but I didn't really play those games. So, you know, getting the chance to go back and kind of figure out what started it all is really exciting. I think you have, like, a very similar love of Zelda kind of back from your childhood. Yeah, and I've played a lot of these older games more as well. And actually, um, we had been talking about this, and I had said that the first... Zelda or Zelda 2 were some of my earliest games after playing like a little bit of Ocarina of Time or whatever. But I realized actually my first Zelda was Oracle of Seasons on okay. the Game Boy Color. And I also had a Choose Your Own Adventure book like licensed by it. It's that really, rem- yeah, that's bringing up memories. So it's, I, it's weird that I didn't think about that. So it'll be interesting to get to those games because I think those two games are really great, uh, by the way. And um, both of us have played a lot of the Zelda games, even though like you said, you haven't played... Yeah. Um, the older ones, and but we all we both have holes. My biggest one is probably just I've not played Breath of the Wild. Yeah, still. and I have, and that's the thing. It's it's weird that you know Breath of the Wild is the newest one. You think that would be the first one you would jump onto, but I kind of remember around that time you were going through a whole phase of retro video games, which is funny because you ended up playing these games we're playing right now while I was playing the games we'll play down the road. I also just didn't have a Switch, so <laughs> that's helpful. I have one now. Um, so this is all a big background thing. You know, this is our first episode. Um, we should probably mention how we know each other. Yeah, we're just friends from middle school. Yeah, so middle when we school. were playing, you know, that's probably when I was getting into Zelda games. Yeah. Stuff. And I was a, you know, a Sony kid and I didn't have Nintendo consoles and I got a couple. And then I was like, I got to play the Zelda see, game. I was a Nintendo kid who didn't have anything until eighth grade. And then I got a PS3. And then I kind of strayed away from Nintendo because it wasn't cool anymore. But uh, you always come back to the older classics and i found that nowadays the only games that really excite me are like nintendo yeah, right so, i mean like yeah. cyberpunk whatever looks cool and that was a whole thing but the the the, the childlike wonder of it's nintendo remains, games is still yeah. um powerful definitely definitely agree so that's our whole uh spiel and our whole background of who we are and, and uh why we love zelda um or how we even know zelda why do we love it though because it is uh it's just such a, a beautiful fantasy world that I think is, you know, there's Tolkien in there like everything is after Lord of the Rings, but it's Japanese, but it, it's it's in between. It's not so um, obviously Western or Eastern influence in terms of the aesthetics and stuff, and that's part of why I love it, I think. I think, too, is just the watching, playing, well, so when I played Ocarina for the first time, I watched my dad play it, and I remember... I could read, but I couldn't read and comprehend big sentences. Just like now. <laughs> yeah, not much has changed. <laughs> um, but I remember <laughs> that I was watching him play, and it just was like a whole other world because, first of all, it was my like one of my first video games. So it's like you're transported into a whole new world to begin with. But even just looking back, I think it was just the mystery and the magic of being in this world where you get to do whatever you want and seeing this great land of Hyrule in front of you and meeting, you know, Zelda, you meet Goron, Zoras, all those things, and just wondering, like, what is all this? And you get to discover it. Um, it, It's just something that's hard to explain, honestly. It's it's about being a kid and... Yeah, and and there's this thing, you know, there's this term that I've used and other people use called game feel, and it's kind of just... It's kind of a cop-out, and it's also exactly how to describe things like just the game feel like you know it's like it makes me feel a certain way and i think most zelda games make you feel that certain way that exploration and excitement danger and stuff because you know combat and and feeling smart sometimes when you solve a puzzle that's (laughs) bothering you but bringing it back to just this so i guess we're going to jump into it now because i have to say 
talking about all that and then playing this first Zelda game for the first time, I will say I went in as a skeptic. I did not think I would like it. I didn't think it would be anything like Ocarina of Time was as I was a kid. But the more I played it and just even starting it, I was like, wow, this it really stands the test of time, first of all. It, it didn't miss a step. I, I just kind of was like, okay, I like this game. I'm going to keep playing it. I'm going to keep doing things. Um, but the mystery and the magic definitely was still there. It had what you said, that game feel. I just felt like, oh, this is a Zelda game. You go, you get these items, you can now do something that will let you progress, and, you know, you see all these weird enemies and stuff. Um, it definitely felt like a Zelda game, and I liked it because of that. Yeah, I mean, if you're talking about a template being set for, what is it? Uh, this is a, actually this good timing. It's the 35th anniversary this yeah. year of the first Zelda release in Japan. Um, it it said it, but I guess before we get into the game, um, <laughs> we keep, I feel like we've said that like three. Before we get, let's do more. Um, I just want to talk about um our history with it specifically because I've played this game before. I um like I said, it was one of the first ones I played because my um uncle had an NES and he let me borrow it and I played Zelda one and two. And we'll get to Zelda two obviously next episode. Um, but uh, I I loved them even as like I don't know how old I was ten or whatever. And you know these games were before my time. Um, but I had fun with it on the, at that time. On the NES, probably could I don't think I beat the game in that form. I might have beat Zelda One in that form. Zelda One, I could see. But then I got a I have a Retron Five, which lets you play old cartridges and suspend points are built in. So that's important. And <laughs> the, uh, so, <laughs> some of the I, I I playing it. So yeah, I I didn't play it on the NES. I played it on the Switch and. Suspend points were a lifesaver. I give props to those people who started out no walkthroughs, no anything, and they made it through because walkthroughs and suspend points helped me yeah. a lot. And that's what we used this time around. Uh, we both played it on the Switch, Nintendo, the NES uh, downloadable thing that you could get for free if you have Nintendo Switch Online. Um, so that's how we played it. It definitely augments the experience. And I think <laughs> some people are like, oh, you got to do the hardcore thing, but you still get the experience. And I have played it like that. We both tried it out like that. Um, but I, the Zel- it is weird because Zelda one has, a, I have a nostalgia for it, even though I didn't play it w- around the time it came out. I did play it as a kid. So it was interesting uh, returning to it. And um, this might be a good time to talk about kind of the, the backstory of the game or its place in, in video game history and stuff, because that's stuff I didn't know, you know, when I was a kid, and that's yeah. stuff that I've learned since. But um, it came out in uh, 1986 uh, in Japan, and then a year later uh, in America. So it came out in Japan for the Famicom, which is, you know, our version is the NES, Nintendo Entertainment System. Um, and when it was uh, on the Famicom, it was a Famicom disc system game, so they kind of look like floppy disks or whatever, not the cartridges we're used to. And when it came out here, it was in this gold cart. I don't know if you can even see it. We're in, in the room we're in. Yeah, it stands myself. out a you lot. Know, it, yeah. it was, that was kind of the special thing about it, I think. I mean, you still see way. those in game stores today, like right. as the prize possession right. right in the middle. And, uh, you know, you could save and stuff. And this was all really important because it was, you know, this is only one year after Super Mario Brothers, which a uh, great game. I love it so much. But it doesn't let you scroll backwards. You know, there's no, like, saving or anything like that. And this game had some of those elements like there there there's secrets and stuff in super mario brothers that the graphics or whatever looked better than anything you could have seen on consoles at that time um but it was just so much bigger it was like an open world when a time when open world wasn't a thing and that's something that stood out to me was just i was expecting mario um 
which I know we're not supposed to go ahead, but you know, Zelda two is what I was expecting, but this game was something completely different. When I first started and I kind of like went right and I was like, well, where is this leading me? Then I was like, okay, let me go back and then let me go up. It was like an adventure in itself because that is nothing like any other game I had played on that system. Uh, it just felt like just different. I guess that's the only way you can put it is different. And it set a, a set of precedence for the future. Yeah, and it's not like Legend of Zelda invented like that ability because there was some, like there was PC games like Ultima and Dragon True. Quest, and I don't know exactly. I think Dragon Quest was 86 or 87. So around, but that was an RPG, right? And that was like, you, you know, menus and turn based and stuff like that. And, you know, talking about Zelda, people call it an RPG sometimes. It's not really, I think it's an action adventure. Yeah, Me you too, progress and like quote unquote level up by getting more skills and stuff. But like every game you get, that's not just that You don't really get a choice big, either. It's just, here's this. Right. It's not really like, it, yeah, it's not really role playing you know, in that sense, even though a lot of role-playing games aren't really role-playing if you think about it too, but there's no experience points. Zelda two had them, whatever, but you can see the elements it brought into role-playing games right. and vice versa, yeah, how it was influenced exactly. by, but it was just kind of adventure game. And that's, um, you know, that's, it's timeless still somehow, even though it's, there's a lot of games from 1986 that are hard to play. Um, both literally, I mean, like just controlling Controls, them yeah. and hard to play in, ter in terms of like figuring out where to go. And Zelda one can be like that, but it, it the the thought behind it is so good and the design is so strong that it's still fun to play. It's got a certain genese qual. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think is that, are you using that correctly? Yeah, I, don't know. I, think, I think so. so. I've watched enough movies to know a little. But finish. I I think it's because uh, you know Nintendo has a history of. Des designing game ideas, developing game ideas, and then assigning kind of a, a franchise to it. And at this point in their history, right, like video game history, at least they had no franchise. So they're kind of just coming up with new ideas. And I know the big famous story about the, the uh, inspiration for Zelda is it was inspired by Shigeru Miyamoto's childhood out in, I don't know where exactly where he lived in Japan, but I think it was semi-rural or rural Japan. And he would go explore fields and caves and stuff. And you get that from Zelda. Oh, yeah. Yes. You, you really get it, too, with the monsters, I feel like. Some of those monsters, I'm sure, are based on folklore or something like that. But a lot of it is what I imagine as a child, just, you know, walking around. You see a little gooey monster, and you want to, you know, who knows what it is. Maybe it's some sap on a tree, but in your head it's, oh, this little choo-choo is jumping down at me. And I, stuff like that, it kind of gave that childlike wonder. And I think, too, uh, from the aspect of Link being younger in this game, it kind of also... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It kind of soaks, not soaks, but it puts you in the role of a child. Yeah, kind yeah. Of. It in like uh, I can't think of the word I'm trying to say. <laughs> like a painting when it goes one color to the other. <laughs> I don't know. A gradient. I don't no, know. Uh, I'll think of it. Okay, but you mentioned Link and his age, and I think this is a good point to talk about. Um, kind of the actual in-universe stuff that this game set up, which is obviously everything you know yes, to come. Yes. not everything to come but you know everything i mean basically every, there's stuff that obviously was new to each game going forward but the template was set here both gameplay wise and lore wise so how does that all fit in with the, the first zelda you, you could say uh, it's very strange because like you said it was supposed to be the first zelda and everything if it made sense everything from then would be after this game but that's not what happened at all um i think with Zelda, uh, something that came with it was like un, 
unfound success. Like they never had the success before except with Mario. And so once they had this and they just wanted to keep going with it, they kind of started having to place games in different order to make it make sense. It gets difficult and going forward everyone will see like how hard it is to explain. Like this is not what it seems like it'd be. But with the first game, what basically ends up happening is you are Link. Link is set on this adventure to, uh, he knows that there's Zelda. He knows that he needs to help her. He needs to go find Ganon and save the Triforce. Um, it's kind of, I don't know how much I should get into it because it doesn't make sense until more games come out. Well, I think an important thing to note is that we're kind of referencing the Zelda timeline, right? Which is something official that they put out five or six years ago after like, you know, deck little decades of like fan theorizing and stuff like that, and um, they didn't plan it from the jump. No, I think they not were just like I think they did have the idea that you know some games had like semi direct sequels, and they're like it's just kind of a different legend reincarnated, and they eventually worked that into the actual literal plot. But it was kind of something they came to I think after much fan demand. Yeah, definitely, uh, because the way it looks to me would be different stories entirely. It'd be like if you are watching Star Wars and instead of having like a linear plot it's just like let's look at the life of han solo let's look at the life of luke skywalker they're all heroes in their own respect the only thing with zelda is it's all someone who's named link and right goes on it's an just adventure. the name it's a name and the general appearance exactly but, but eventually they did you know they make put it. a put a destiny in front of yeah. every single link right instead of making it their own story right um so it introduces a lot of key factors going forward we have the triforce um you kind of learn what the triforce is uh you have impa uh very important in ocarina of time uh, well, what's something that's interesting about impa that i didn't like i knew this but i didn't realize it. like she's never in the game you only learn yeah. it from the manual and that's a big thing from this era as well like you get yes. the story you get all the story you get the cool illustrations and you that that famous image of like link overlooking the forest from the cliff and, stuff and there's like that. death mountain and yeah, the, yeah and so like that the game doesn't look like that but you get that image in your head so when you're playing this game with like you know 8-bit and it's early 8-bit you know by by the end of the nes nintendo had refined how graphics could look uh, on the console but it's still pretty early and so uh you kind of get that it was a good supplement, whereas now if you just come to it to the NES online thing, you're like, oh, this is just the game. Exactly, and that's what we benefit from in a time with internet is right. that we don't have to go and read the whole manual, which is like nice, especially with me when I was growing up because I remember having to buy those huge manuals for Ocarina of Time, like oh, the yeah, guides like the, and everything. Oh, yeah, the guides, yeah. And um, I remember that, but uh, you could still get the general gist of stories, which was also kind of funny and something I did want to mention. I got a lot of the Legend of Zelda story from my dad. He would tell me like, oh, this is what happened in the original. This is what happened in the Zelda 2. And I would be like, oh, cool. So it was almost like a word of mouth. And then going and finding out afterwards by looking on the internet. But yeah, uh, you, you see Ganon for the first time. You see Zelda. There's the Triforce, Death Mountain. Uh, there's a lot of, lot of key characters and key things that continue on through, I would say, every, if not almost every Zelda game. Maybe not Ganon, but Zelda, the Triforce, stuff like that. Yeah, and there's games definitely without Ganon, but like, and there's I think even games without tri the Triforce, like Link's Awakening or whatever. But like, the series is defined by those things, and yeah, like you said, Death Mountains in there. There's enemies that come up, oh, yeah. again and again, like the Octoroks and Moblins. like likes, like likes, Gibdos. <laughs> the, the list <laughs> the goes names on. Names are so funny. I think one of the most interesting thing about enemies is the Zora, yes. which are like 
they're um, evil in this. Yeah, game. but it's like, and this kind of speaks to where it is in the timeline. Um, and you could maybe explain this better, but it is down a timeline where things did not go well in Ocarina of Time. Ocarina exactly. of Time is kind of like the fracture point for the story. Yeah, the to explain so. it, basically, Ocarina of Time, you're a child and you're an adult. There's time travel in there. When you're a child, there's a whole timeline where you come back successfully from your mission and you live as a child again. Then there's a timeline when you stay as an adult. But there's also a timeline when, as an adult, Ganon actually defeats Link. And this is where Zelda 1 is in the timeline. Link is defeated in Ocarina of Time. And basically, that's kind of where we end up with this weird post-apocalyptic setting almost. Because if you've noticed, there's not a lot of people around and if no they villages. are they're in caves hiding around giving little kids swords and saying go fight the monsters it's very it's very post-apocalyptic and um i think if you were starting out it'd kind of be weird honestly if this was the first time i played a zelda game and had no idea about the story i'd be like why is this little kid like going off fighting monsters saving the prince like where are all the adults where's the army to say you know it's it's very weird yeah there, you don't see any castle or anything no, either no and i think and it's weird because zelda 2 and we'll you know get to this game later but it is a direct sequel and it um does have towns and stuff so yeah it, and it's it's kind of it, this whole exercise about figuring out what well why does zelda like one why are you like in the total wilderness and all this, it almost they didn't intend it quite so literally. That they didn't so want you to think that much yeah, about it's, it. It's just supposed to be a good, fun game, and it's like an adventure and stuff. In the in the self-contained game of Zelda, you're out in the wilderness, and there's people in caves giving you stuff, and that's fun and exciting. I think as a kid, I would be able to imagine just being a little kid and wandering into a forest, and someone saying, "Go save the princess." Like it makes sense then, but now that we're adults, we want to know. But why? And there's more games that have built out. Exactly. That. I think that's something we benefit from. Benefit from. But I also wanted to say, playing this, and with the little dialogue and the little story, if you're not playing with the manual or you don't know anything about Zelda, reminded me so much of the first time I played Dark Souls. When I played Dark Souls, I just was like, this game, what is the story? Like, where am I? I'm in this fantastic universe doing these things, and I just don't understand what's happening. Like... What is the story? And then when I was playing this the first time, I just was like, this is like when I played Dark Souls and I had no idea what's going on and I'm kind of making this story up in my head. Yeah, and uh, of course the, the the comparison to Zelda and Dark Souls has been made a lot because they're both really good games, first of all, but that, yeah. that trade on kind of that exploration and learning things as you go. Exactly. Um, but I think this is a good point. I mean, there, there's, there's other stuff that kind of carries over. There's items. Uh, there's weird stuff that doesn't carry over like the blue ring, I don't think, you know, it's stuff yeah. that improves your, your armor. And so, like, some of that stuff doesn't carry over. Um, but I think we could talk about just specifically what we like and don't like about the game, funnily, about our opinions <laughs> um, after we gave a, a lot of backstory about us and the game itself. But um, I guess I'd ask you, what was your favorite thing about The Legend of Zelda? That's a hard one. There were a lot that I liked about the game that I didn't think I would like going into it. Um, I'll say the graphics are one thing that really surprised me. Uh, even for an older game, I thought they were really nice graphics. Well, what's interesting is that like, it's this weird era where like you know PS one era 
games like look like worse because they're trying to be photorealistic or whatever exactly. whereas with this game and i think that's part of why it looks post-apocalyptic too or whatever it's like they they're the technical limitations they couldn't have <laughs> bustling towns or exactly whatever. yeah but i mean just like i you're right like it's just so simple but like the textures of like the little bushes and stuff the first little bushes yeah. you see and stuff like it's just so simple but good like there's that's a yeah. simple uh, color palette and everything the but, music, that's another yeah, one. Yeah, even though there's only like you know a few tracks or whatever, all of them are classics, and of exactly. course they were built up across the, se- the series all yeah. by Koji Kondo. So um, I, I don't know if I have a just straight favorite because there's so many little things I do like about the game, and there's not a lot that I dislike per se. Um, I think the most favorite thing I like about the game would be... I'm going to have to say just the open world. I think the open world was something that stuck with me and that I was like, if if this game was more linear, I think there would be less reason for me to like it because it would seem like a game from that time. But right. because it's so open world and it doesn't match with what I know of NES games, it kind of felt different. And I liked that. I did like that it was not another Mario. It was not... <laughs> Zelda 2 it was it was its own thing and I can see why it stands the test of time because of that yeah I, I agree I think the exploration that it offered is probably the biggest thing about it that even today stands out because even if you know if you don't use a walkthrough you know you're just like oh, where am I and that was the biggest thing was without the walkthrough I don't know how I would have finished that game because there are certain things those little secrets, like when you burn the bush in that one right. area and you go down and there's that little hog goblin. I don't even know what it's called. Moblins. Moblins, okay. So it is a moblin. Yeah. They, those go, again, into another uh, Wind Waker there. there. Um, anyways, but what I'm saying is is I wouldn't have known that and I wouldn't have got those rupees right. to be able to go buy the blue ring and go from there. Right. So and, and those things are optional, but they make the game so much more doable. <laughs> like, you know, and like the... It, you mentioned the mo- the moblins, the friendly moblins, or whatever. They say, you know, it's a secret to everybody. Kind of a catchphrase, meme. yeah. And then the the guy that gives the sword at the very beginning, yeah. Um, you know, it's a, uh, what does he say? Uh, it's dangerous to go yeah, along. Yeah, take, take this. this. Yeah, and you that's know. that's funny because literally above my TV in my room, which is kind of poserish of me, but I had I have that little painting. I got it at Target, <laughs> but I have that hanging above because I do love Zelda, and I've you know obviously that's a. Uh, iconic Zelda thing. I just had never played it before. But uh, playing it, it just it didn't disappoint. I will say that's the one thing I loved about this game is it didn't disappoint like I felt like it could. And that's why I think a lot of people I've talked to about this are afraid to go back because they have these great memories of Ocarina of Time, Majora's Mask, Wind Waker, whatever it is. They're afraid if they go back and see these older games, they'll be like, oh, man, those sucked. Thank God they got better. But in my opinion, it started out really great. It makes sense why it's such a strong franchise. And, you know, I could have said this at the top. Where I don't think I maybe I'll feel differently when I play the ones that I have not played but i don't think there's a bad mainline zelda game which i think we'll disagree yeah i think we disagree immediately (laughs) (laughs) yeah um but in any event zelda one you know for the nes is 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 truly tremendous for its time and today i think um i think that exploration like i said is is my favorite thing and and the dungeons have a distinct feel yes um i think i don't know if you i forget which one it is but like you get the map and it's like it looks like a swastika. Yes, but I remember seeing that, and I was like, "Is this?" I, I think I just have it's seen the things. other term. It's the uh, it's it's some other. It's before shape. it was bad. Yeah, I mean, it was. Not, I mean, it came out after World War Two, <laughs> but but it's it's fr- it's a symbol that had meaning before 
it was I bad. Know what you're and I think saying, it's yeah. technically not it's tilted. Not yeah, right, yeah, yeah. So, but it is funny when you get that. Um, and I don't know why I thought about that, but I was just gonna say the dungeons are are cool and they they have kind of a different flavor. Even though it's not like oh, here's the water temple. Here's the like. There's one where it's like so many bombable walls. Like exactly. that's like what you have to do yeah. for that one. So like they kind of have different. Um, meaning like kind of different uh, puzzles to it's, it's theme different at, at thematically throughout. Yeah, that. and it's different. I would say than comparing it to Ocarina of Time, but Ocarina of Time was very much like you said, elemental. Here's fire. Here's water. Here's X Y Z. But in this game, I couldn't really ever put a finger on exactly what the theme was until I got to the final boss a lot of the time. Then I was like, oh, I kind of get it. Like the one with the three-headed dragon. I didn't really understand what that was until I got to the end. I was like, I can kind of see it. And maybe that's just me, but like there was no no real. Sometimes it was just a color. Yeah, uh, just green (laughs) poison. Like, (laughs) but, you know, it it just I think the the the. Dungeon designs are really cool, and it's why you see games like Binding of Isaac and other games yes. kind of like take that that approach. And people have been wanting. I think it'd be really cool if they did a Zelda Maker, kind of like they did Mario Maker, where you can make your own Zelda. Oh, that would be dungeons, really cool. You know, yeah. so that, it, because it it is such a simple thing that works really well. That being said, I think my least favorite part of the game, if we've been talking, I guess about you know the the feel, the aesthetics, whatever, the puzzle solving, whatever. The combat is probably the the most dated aspect of it. Yes. Um, because you're it, it's not exactly it's not very you know after how a good Super Mario Bros. One feels at least in my opinion still it's not like controlling Link and Zelda One is like oh my gosh it's so fluid and whatever it is kind of janky a little bit. Yes. And and shooting at his little sword is like kind of <laughs> awkward sometimes. Yes, it's yes. it's a small hitbox whatever. And it's not bad, and it's fun, and it's and it's especially as you get more powerful and you're not getting your ass kicked all the time. Yes, it is satisfying, but it is the most frustrating part of the game sometimes. I would agree with the combat definitely. I would say I think you hit on a very big thing with we both have just with talking about walkthroughs. I think that is a very big weakness in the game, and I think that might be from a generational standpoint of just not being used to having games not hand you everything but i will say at the same time i played my fair share of games where that's not the case you know one of my first big games i ever completed as a kid was morrowind and that game a lot of it is just you picking up these quests and having to read journals and figure out where you're going and you know you're going to get quests to places you haven't been before the thing with zelda one was you're really just put into this world and figure it out like you could end up at a dungeon that you really shouldn't be at right off the get the bat. And you can go without getting the sword at the beginning. Exactly. And people have yeah. done runs where you never get the sword or you get it till very. I don't know exactly how it works. I'm like I could oh, never yeah. play that. No. <laughs> I, I wouldn't do that. It's not fun. But uh, but you know, someone like me, at, at, when I was a kid, I was stupid. I feel like I could have done that, and I would have been like, I don't get why people like this game because I didn't go in that cave in the first little area. So I think that's one of the biggest flaws for me, and I wish. Maybe it is just technical limitations of not being able to put those text boxes. And it just wasn't part of the design culture at yeah. that point still, you know. And, and so the, the, if it feels dated, it's because it controls a little strange. I think also there's some strangeness with the Switch, playing the Switch and the yeah. digital D-pad we talked versus about the that. analog. Yeah. Like, I don't know if there really is or I'm just imagining it or what, but I think there is part of that. Um, I will say, though, as much as that's a complaint, it's not huge no it doesn't ruin the game or anything. i think the game really stands up against these negatives we're saying 
I would say they're not even really negatives. They're just like, I wish this was better, but it's fine the way it is. And on that note, it's interesting that they've never like remade The Legend of Zelda. Like They've ported it numerous times, but they've never remade it like they and i guess they haven't really remade a ton of um a ton of zelda games because they've remastered right yeah, like wind waker's like yeah. remastered and they've tweaked a few things twilight princess ocarina almost all of them are remastered yeah they're all like re- there's not except for link's awakening that got yes. like a, that's what would you call a full-blown remake where the graphics are different they changed some gameplay systems like all that stuff um so it's interesting they haven't done that with the very first one but i don't think they will i think i think it's one of those things that's just if me as someone who doesn't play these old games comes into it and is okay with it or even happy with it, I think they know that most people are going to go and be like, I'm happy with this gameplay. So I think it's, I think they just know it's a classic and they shouldn't touch it. Watch me say this. And then next week, <laughs> well, it is the 35th anniversary. Exactly. So maybe they'll, they're going to do something this year and it, it is uh, in February. If um, they did, I don't think I'd be mad at it. If they don't, I wouldn't be mad at it. Yeah, it is still a, a really good game. But I don't know. Is there any, is there any other points to make about how, how much we love uh, Zelda One? Because I think we both. I would say the biggest point is if you haven't played it and you're ever thinking about it, it's free if you have the Switch and you have Nintendo Online. Just do it. Uh, it's worth it. It's not at all an old game in my opinion. It feels very very new. It, it's a good adventure. So I don't have any more points to make about it. I'm happy with it. Um, I know we've both played a little bit of Zelda 2 at this point, so I'm excited to really dive into the differences between those two. But I would say the biggest, biggest thing for me is that at the end of all of this, with all the games I've played down the road, I think this will rank pretty high for me. I agree. I think... uh I think it'll. I don't know. It might be in the middle. I don't. Know. There's a lot of games. There's a lot of games. But yeah. Before we uh, wrap up, let's go over to our little guest segment with uh, my friend, our friend Austin, and see what he thought of the game and why he thinks it's so special. Austin, let's hear it. And we're here with Austin Clark, my good friend Aesop Beef himself on Twitter. <laughs> uh, how are you doing, Austin? Doing good. How are you? I'm doing good. Uh, we uh, have been talking about Zelda, of course, this whole episode, the very first game for the NES. And, uh, you know, it's interesting when we talked about getting guests for the show is about kind of finding a guest who um, their favorite game was whichever uh, game we're talking about for the episode. And it was kind of difficult for some of these early episodes. That being said, uh, you do enjoy and, and appreciate the original Legend of Zelda. Definitely. Uh yeah, I would say appreciate even more than, uh, you know, it's 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 not my favorite. And I know you, you, we've talked about how it was kind of hard finding somebody who was uh, in love with the first game. But I think the impact that game has and just the overall respect I have for it goes maybe even beyond any other Zelda, honestly. Well, what's your personal history with the game? Like, when was the first time you played it? Have you played it a lot uh, as it's been ported and, and come out on virtual consoles and stuff like that? Surprisingly, I didn't play it until um, a few years ago. It was probably, actually, well, it was probably like six or seven years ago. It was when 3DS had it on their virtual console. It was the first time I actually played it. Um my first Zelda experience was A Link to the Past on Super Nintendo. And I think that's a lot of people's first Zelda. 
or yeah. maybe the yeah. Game Boy one. Well, we've talked to Isaac and I have talked about this, that I think it's kind of an age group thing, because for us, you know, I don't think, you know, we're a few years apart, but ours is Ocarina of Time and the N64 game. Yeah. Okay. I definitely now, remember A Link to the Past, but it was not my first one that I like got into. Okay, so real quick, a little off topic. So then is Ocarina of Time your guys' favorite Zelda? It's mine, Isaac's, yes. I believe. Yeah, yeah. That's mine my is favorite. mine is Majora's Mask. And hey, you know it's not off topic because that's a perfect segue to my next question, <laughs> which is uh, since you know Zelda NES, it's weird to call it just the Legend of Zelda because it makes it sound like I'm just talking about the whole series. But yeah, Zelda One also sounds weird. But anyways, the original Zelda, first Zelda, Zelda One, it's not your favorite. But what is your actual favorite Zelda game? It's now it's kind of a toss up between Wind Waker and Breath of the Wild. And Wind Waker's up there. Yeah, I agree. Wind Waker is up there, but man, Breath of the Wild is is a hell of a game, guys. Oh, <laughs> and yeah. and I know people there's there's definitely some uh, some well-based criticism against that game and I'm all for it. You know, I don't think the dungeons and the bosses are at the level of of Zelda that they should be at, but there's something about Breath of the Wild that I just I played that game and I was like not only might this be the best Zelda game, this might be my favorite game of all time. Wow. <laughs> and like that doesn't happen when you're getting in your 30s anymore like you don't really find new games that are like your favorite games <laughs> right well it's Majora's <laughs> Mask is my favorite game of all time as in addition to favorite Zelda game but you know it's interesting this series is pretty cool for me personally because I played a lot of the Zelda games I'd say we're doing 19 there's 19 mainline games and I won't bore you with uh, which cool. one, the weird ones that are included in that but you know Triforce Heroes is is technically part of that um but anyways, uh, and there's some holes there, such as Triforce Heroes, and including most uh, uh, glaringly Breath of the Wild. Um, I didn't have a Switch up until, um, I was going to say earlier this year, but I guess 2020, a few months ago. So, um, and I understand it was on Wii U, but I was like, I'm not going to play <laughs> Breath of the Wild on my Wii U. <laughs> I'll just wait until I get a Switch. So that's going to be fun uh, revisiting, or not revisiting, visiting that at all as I revisit uh, the rest of the series. Oh, wow. So, yeah, I'm excited for him too, but I would say I'm, I definitely agree with you. Um, not to stray too far off into the future, but once we get to Breath of the Wild, um, I'm excited because like you said, it was one of those Zeldas I played where I just kind of like felt like the childhood wonder again of like, whoa, the exploration, the way yes. like the whole world like looked and whatnot. So I'm excited for Tristan to experience that too because uh, I think that's something Zelda, at least for me, is very unique in video games. It, it gives me like a childhood wonder again. And I think I mentioned that earlier. Yeah, and, and bringing it back to the original game, it's sort of how I, I, I again, I wasn't born until 89. So uh, the original Zelda came out 86, I want to say, in Japan and 87 in US. Correct. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I imagine for somebody who first brought that game home, I feel like the same feelings I got with Breath of the Wild would be the same feelings kids playing the original would have. Yeah, that's and I feel like I've heard that comparison quite often because Zelda became more, you know, it's 
quote unquote open world, you know, uh, with with the 3D games and actually all of them really in some sense. But um, I had heard Breath of the Wild described as as being more exploration based than even some of the other ones, considering they kind of handhold you, especially more recently. So going back to the original Zelda, um, that you know, it just plops you in. You know, famously you can just walk past the the the, the cave with the sword. And people have yeah. done that run or whatever. Um, what was it like, you know, going in there? And I know you also kind of played some of it in preparation for this uh, this podcast, which I appreciate. So that first time you played it and then revisiting it uh, just this past week or so, um, how'd that impress you? Um, well, yeah, that's one of the big things about that game is it it is not handholdy at all and i mean a lot of nes games were kind of like that um but yeah the original legend of zelda kind of plops you in this world and says here you go and it's up to you to discover and go adventuring and spelunking into caves and uh dig dig for secrets and try to figure out what to do because the entire game is really based on uh, how you play and how you discover things. And that's really exciting. Um, again, if, if we're looking at it in terms of just like what was going on when that game came out, like 86, 87, you were still basically getting like arcade games uh, on your home consoles, you know, very yeah. straightforward games. Um, even some of the more open stuff, like, um, I don't know, like the RPGs, Dragon Quest. Yeah, I would say Final Dragon Fantasy. Quest had been out by then, I guess. I think Final Fantasy was 87 and yeah. Yeah. Like e even compared to that stuff, um, again, like we were kind of saying with further Zeldas, you're still kind of locked out. It's not like you can, um, just cross seas or something in final fantasy until you get your boat or, or something like mm -hmm. that you know and zelda there's so much you can do and and again i was uh telling you guys before the podcast started uh on the recent playthrough i've never actually beaten the original legend of zelda because i refuse to use a guide <laughs> oh <laughs> <laughs> um, that's, that's, a, that's our approach especially on this replay <laughs> yeah and uh, and actually, there's a little caveat to that. We'll get to, we'll get to that in a second. Mm -hmm. But this time, I, I beat the level one dungeon. I beat the level two dungeon, and then I've spent uh, I don't even know how long. I feel like it's been a couple hours just trying to find something else. And then eventually, I found a secret that told me how to get to the through the the forest maze. And that led me to the level six dungeon, which is completely out of order. Yeah. And in level six dungeon, you got these wizards that shoot lasers that basically one shot you if you don't have enough hearts. So I'm like trying to, I'm pounding my head against the wall, like trying to get through this dungeon. And then eventually I left and I'm like, I got to find something else. <laughs> I can't do this now. Well, mm -hmm. you said that you read through the manual beforehand in preparation, which again is awesome because we didn't even do that. But yes. did that help you at all? Because with 
my playthrough originally I had tried to do it without a walkthrough and I I got more frustrated than anything I could not finish it because I was just like I don't know what to do so ended up using a walkthrough uh did the manual help at all or is it just mostly lore or yeah so that's actually what's really interesting and again if, if we're looking at this uh, in the context of time like I feel like probably Legend of Zelda's instruction manual probably paved the way for a lot of other uh, instruction manuals to kind of like ease the player into their their game world, you know? So the Legend of Zelda's manual is nearly 50 pages long. It's a long manual. Wow. Yeah. I did not know that. (laughs) Half of that is literally just lore. Like it is story story and preparation and setup so again if you just pop in the game and go you're like okay who is this little elf boy and why am i outside of a cave (laughs) right yeah but again the instruction manual lays everything out it talks it about zelda ganon it talks about the triforce pieces um what's going on in the world it talks about um zelda's uh like handmaiden impa who's a recurring Mm -hmm. character in the series so like i didn't even realize that until i read the manual like impa is actually canon for like the original zelda yeah she's in she's referenced in both zelda one and two in the story but never in the games themselves which is interesting and um yeah so like it really sets the tone for the entire adventure um so much so like i feel like you're sort of missing out if you um, don't read that stuff, you know? Well, it's interesting um, because they did assume at the time that if you bought the game, you had the manual, right? And that, that you know, secondhand market that emerged, um, you know, that was not part of that culture to have everything. I mean, I know collectors go for everything, but it, was, it became more expensive. And of course, mediums weren't the uh, mediums. Video games weren't the treasured medium they are now. So like people probably just right. threw out the manual or used it as, you know, newspaper for <laughs> dog training or you know for the painting or something. Like I've heard stories about that. You know about comic books and and other things that are now would be valuable. I was going to ask you though, like the the manual thing. It, it gives you a sense not only of the story but of like kind of visuals that the the abstract eight bit kind of provides. Yeah. And I also wonder if like, um, you know, without using a guide and stuff, it's not that there, you know, there was no um, internet in the sense that we know it today in 1986 or 87. Um, and uh, there was though like a whole game help industry. So it's not like a six-year-old, well, maybe a six-year-old, but like not like a 10-year-old was totally in the in the dark. At least you had some friends when you were in the schoolyard who like my uncle works in Nintendo and they could have been lying or they had some, they were saying that, but they actually did know about a secret or something. And it's so interesting because you can't really get that piecemeal experience anymore. You either are dropped into the game or uh, you find a full internet walkthrough or whatever. What do you yeah. think about that that dynamic now? Um, it's, it's sad that it's missing because I, I almost... And I mean, I haven't, I've read some interviews on Zelda, but I don't feel like Miyamoto has said anything in particular about this, but it feels like the game was meant to be shared like that, you know, it, because it's so, 
uh, obtuse and there's so many secrets and it is so difficult to play just by yourself without any kind of help that it feels like it was meant to be shared and expanded on. And it kind of, again, kind of falls into like that whole mythology of the universe. Like it's the legend of Zelda. Um, and again, as, as people, as humans playing this game back in the eighties, like you're building this mythology together with your community. And um, I, I think like, again, for ta- hearing people in different podcasts and interviews who really enjoy this game, like that is a topic they always bring up is, is that schoolyard um, communication and like just sharing back and forth. Like, Oh my God, if you burn this bush on this screen, like there's a secret down there and like, you can get a whole bunch of rupees and people are like, what? That's insane. Oh my God. (laughs) I have seen the manual before. Like um, my, the first time I played it was my uncle had the game Um, and he was actually like in his twenties when he came out. So he wasn't like a, but he played like Dungeons and Dragons and stuff and, you know, had those nerdy interests or whatever. But I remember him telling me that he would just, sit and like go through every screen and like burn every bush uh, or attempt to burn every bush and like bomb every wall or whatever just to like find the secrets and i i assume there are other people who are like that who especially back then if you got like one game a year two games a year they were more expensive both literally and due to inflation you know considering inflation so it's 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 not something we really go through now and and now the game um if you have a walkthrough or even if you don't like do 100% 100% run or whatever which it's hard not to do that if you have a walkthrough at all but you know it's pretty you can beat it pretty fast but if you're working from from scratch or, or scraps um, you know it's it's a full lengthy you know epic adventure I, I suppose yeah and and like my playthroughs both the first time I played it and now uh, I mean like you're saying you could fly through the game pretty quick if you know what you're doing because the world isn't that big but again if if you're somebody going in with you know uh, no help other than the instruction manual because that is the other part of it is like the other part is basically a walkthrough for like the first two dungeons sort of it it kind of helps you guide you along the the game and it definitely hints at like things you can do and like secrets to look for. So that's actually very helpful. Um, But the world feels so much bigger when you keep dying and when you're repeating screens, when you get in those like maze levels, um, when you're kind of circling around a, a screen that you can't get to. And then all of a sudden you like figure out how to get there. It's like, Oh my God. Like it, it feels like the world just expanded tenfold, you know, but it's all still this like tiny little game world, but it feels massive when you're um, again, just exploring and trying to figure out where to go. Yeah. Isaac, did you have something else to add there? No, I was just going to say, I definitely agree with that. And just you bringing up that point kind of makes me think about how I used the walkthrough and how there were some times when it would be like, skip this area or you know you don't have to do this and it it, even though that's what I did because I was following the walkthrough it definitely made me think like well what am I missing what what's there like is there anything there that maybe the walkthrough doesn't deem important but 
you know, finding it would be cool. But, uh, you know, the, like you said, with the mythology thing or just like, you know, being able to talk to your friends back in the day and say like, oh, did you find this? I think that is something we're missing in video games now. And, you know, just bringing that up kind of makes me miss when <laughs> something that comes to mind is uh, Super Mario 64. I remember my cousin, he like heard about that Luigi thing. The Luigi is dead. And he would tell me about it and it scared me. And I didn't play Super <laughs> Mario 64 for a long time because I was scared. But, you know, there is a magic that kind of um, is missing with these newer games because, you know, the Easter eggs get tweeted now and it's just like, oh, look at this cool Easter egg. And then, you know, 100K retweets later, everyone knows about it. So that's it. I like that point you made. It was very uh, interesting to me. Yeah, man, like the the mystery is is a huge part, I think, of just video games in general. And it's it's really nice to see that some developers go out of their way to try and like keep the mystery alive in their games, you know, yeah. like you got stuff like Spelunky, Dark Souls, um, games of that nature. Again, even with a <laughs> voracious internet that just dissects these games the second they're released, <laughs> like there's still a period of time. And again, even if you're just somebody playing, like, you're you're not going to be spoiled on like everything before the game comes out you know there's still going to be stuff to experience well we've been talking kind of about the i guess broader philosophical you know the way the game makes us feel and stuff but austin do you have a uh i I guess i'm like generally hesitant to like make things so rigid but i think it can bring out specifics do you have a favorite thing about the game and a least favorite thing about the game um one one let's let's start with the negatives because <laughs> for me uh, the, for me uh, since you missed out on the rest of our conversation it's like the combat right like the combat part like link play you know it's not like it's really super hard to play but it's not really the reason to play it for me yeah yeah th- that's kind of one of my main points is is it isn't the best combat and it's kind of frustratingly so and again that could easily just be the fact that it's an old game that i'm playing in modern times right you know but um (laughs) it's uh very rigid and very specific so link attacks straightforward so he's like he's more like he's fencing more than like slashing with his sword um so he can only attack straight in front of himself and so if enemies are like just out of that range, like you can get hit, but you won't hit the enemies. And that's super frustrating. Um, and like the fact that you can have the laser beam shoot off of your sword right from the get-go with full hearts, it makes it really painful as soon as you get hit and lose a heart because now you have no range and you have to poke these guys and um like collecting items is is really tough too because um the drop rate of right items in the game is is very low like if you're running out of bombs and or hearts or arrows anything you actually need you're probably going to be in a rough spot for a while because the drop rates are so low. Um, And and 
not to mention like um if you die anywhere on the overworld you're back to the the starting point so even if like you exit a cave or exit a dungeon like if you anywhere on the overworld world you die now you're starting back at the beginning so i think like a checkpoint sort of system would have would have been nice where like if you're inside of a dungeon you'll start at the beginning of that dungeon great super nice <laughs> but anywhere outside it's like back to the beginning of the game it seems like some of these things are like a combination of technical limitations but also just like weird kind of dated game design challenge yeah sometimes i wonder how much of it is just they wanted the challenge but like you said sometimes it's weird because dungeons you go back to the beginning but why not in the overworld so right Mm. And, and and yeah that's that ends up being like the most frustrating thing about the game for me it's just all these little um I can't even think of the word, but they're they're just little things that like with a tweak, little inconveniences that could could be tweaked to make the game uh, just so much more playable and enjoyable to play. Um, again, if you fast forward to a link to the past, now his sword attack does like a core uh, a quarter of a circle kind of mm-hmm. space, yeah, and it actually does the slash motion, and that is so beneficial to just gameplay in general i think if 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 we were able to go back and just implement that into the original zelda it would play a hundred times better <laughs> i definitely agree with that. and then even the drop rate because like you said it's like impossible to find anything you need um mm-hmm. in the first zelda but uh go to a link to the past and it's like i can actually rely on enemies to drop hearts if i need them you know it's not as hard and then zelda 2 it's just impossible there's no hearts being dropped yeah (laughs) Yeah. right well i think the 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 criticisms i think hold up for sure like i think that's a common thing but what is what is your favorite or among your favorite things about about uh, the Legend of zelda i mean it's really just the stuff we've been talking talking about and i know like you didn't (laughs) we were kind of getting away from the uh the feelings no 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 no, that's that's philosophy of it but (laughs) but yeah that's i feel like that is the best thing about the original zelda is is kind of just the the openness of it the the feeling of discovery um because that stuff doesn't change you know no matter how old a game is or how new a game is like there is still excitement in figuring out a puzzle or you know finally pushing the right block that (laughs) opens up a new passageway (laughs) you know um that stuff still is engaging and still feels good and i mean with a walkthrough i don't know how much you guys saw but like there's people in the game that give you like weird obscure little tips and hints Mm -hmm. throughout the game and so like when you discover one of them, you're like, oh my God, like I got to write this down so like I can decipher what this person is actually talking about. Yeah. Uh, and and that stuff is exciting. I think they did, a, you know, for for the limitations of the, the console and everything, like I think they did a great job in keeping that mystery and that adventure there. Awesome. Well, I think we talked about uh, too, like, you know, it's not uh, your favorite, um, but you appreciate it and enjoy it and i assume you know i assume you don't have a, a full <laughs> 19 game list ranking of all the other zelda games but if you had to like <laughs> approximate where this falls in the spectrum of 
of, of Zelda for you, um, where would you place it? Kind of like a, a benchmark in terms of, is it better than or worse than some other key games? Uh, well, it's definitely better than Majora's Mask. What? So. <laughs> <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> no, uh, it's it's really hard to say. It, it, again, I definitely don't have like a whole list, but it's probably somewhere in like the mid-low area. Sure. So if there's 19 main games, it's probably it's probably right above the top 10 somewhere around yeah. there. <laughs> yeah. Um, See, that's that's how I feel too. Like playing it the first time through like I just did cuz I hadn't played it before, but I felt like, "Oh my goodness, I think this is going to be up there like near Wind Waker." But now even just playing A Link to the Past, I'm like, okay, I kind of I kind of <laughs> see it slipping in its place like every time I play a new game. It's yeah. still amazing, though. Uh, again, like I think it's hard to – it kind of depends on what you're judging by. But if you're just judging by like gameplay and for what each game is and what it brings and how fun it is to play, like I don't think this one – can can hold up to a lot of the other Zelda games. It's only when you really kind of get into, um, again, that f- philosophical side and kind of like what it means for the genre and what it means for games and uh, the respect of starting the series. You know, that's when you it kind of really starts showing its showing its weight and showing its power. Yeah, I agree. I think these are all sentiments that. Uh... Isaac and I have addressed uh, throughout this episode. So um, it's good to hear we're not alone. <laughs> and you, brought in, you brought in some interesting perspectives, especially <laughs> the, uh, the, the manual and some of that walkthrough, uh, you know, lack of walkthrough perspective and, and some other things. But thank you very much, Austin. We appreciate your yes, time thank coming you. on. I wanted to ask Thanks you before for you go, uh, do you have anything to plug? I, I know you're making games under the, under the guise of Good Cat Games and other things. So do you want to point people to, to that stuff, your Twitter and what have you? Uh, yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, uh, I'm currently working uh, on on making my own games. I'm an amateur developer, so uh, they're definitely not um, Legend of Zelda quality <laughs> games. <laughs> maybe Zelda one. Maybe yeah, Zelda maybe one Zelda quality. One. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, if you uh, want to follow my studio. Although, frankly, I'm just one person, so I, I might just go back to just Austin Clark, you know. Mm. Anyway, you can follow at Goodcat Games on Twitter uh, for some updates on games. Uh, you can follow me personally at ASOPB3EF, A-E-S-O-P-B-3-E-F. Um, and then I also have a Patreon uh, if, if you want to see, like, see and support my development um that's just patreon.com slash good cat games awesome thank you very much austin and uh i'm gonna throw it back to past tristan and isaac Hi, <laughs> tristan. Tristan and austin. <laughs> thanks for having me guys well wasn't that great isaac austin's a good guy i love it <laughs> Jeez, peaking the audio um, but that was great talk. Um, I do want to just shout out uh, Trey Vincent on Instagram, a, f- a friend of mine, a, a guy I know from doing stand-up slash open mic music things um, in 
the Phoenix area. But when I put out a call like, why do you like Zelda? He said, this game deserves infinite respect for the precedent it's set for adventure games. It is absolutely revolutionary, but it's pretty dated in my opinion. Link to the Past of the Style of Zelda much better and Breath of the Wild is one of the best games of all time. So he's, he, he starts out basically saying what we're saying, but then he's like, it's pretty dated. And it is dated literally because it's 25 yes. years old, and you can see that. Um, I do think that he did, that uh, Link to the Past did this better. Yes. Um, but we'll get to that um, in a couple episodes. But I would say most points I agree, except for the Breath of the Wild, but we'll get to that yeah. too. But I, I, I appreciate his, his input there. Um, so this is usually where we would do a ranking segment. Uh, and Number one heads. so far. <laughs> <laughs> but we kind of have to, by default, agree that uh, The Legend of Zelda for NES you know, is, is number one, number one <laughs> of so 19. Far. <laughs> number one of 19. I think as it continues coming, it'll be interesting to see. What do you, what do you think, out of all the games you've played so far, where do you think this will rank? Lower, middle, or upper? I think middle. I think mine might be upper, but we'll see. And I guess we can say, too, uh, this is a good point to to kind of give our forecast for the entire series. I mean, Majora's Mask is my favorite game of all time. So we'll see if that gets dethroned by... I think Breath of the Wild is the only one that could possibly do that because the ones I haven't played are like Minish Cap and stuff. And knowing you, I don't think Breath of the Wild will. It could very possibly, but I don't think it will. But yeah, my, my favorite all time is Ocarina of Time. With Majora's Mask as a close second... Um, but, you know, as I say that, I literally think of Wind Waker. I literally think of all these other games. I like Twilight Princess, even though Twilight I Princess. <laughs> I think I've played a lot of it. Exactly. It's going to be hard. And I think that's what's the most exciting about this is that, you know, I'm already having these monkey wrenches thrown in. But now I even have Zelda 1 thrown in there because now I'm like, I like this game. I really do. It's one that I would come back and see if I can beat it without X item, without Y item. So I'm excited for these upcoming games for sure. Me too. Well, this is a great end to our first episode of Buttheads. You should uh, go to ButtheadsPod. Jesus, ButtheadsPod.com. Just learning to speak. Uh, just learning to speak. Uh, I haven't said our domain name yet out loud, I guess. Uh, but there, you know, you'll find episodes, and uh, we're going to have a page that is going to be uh, li- showing our ranking as we go. And if you like the artwork on our website or on whatever uh, podcasting service you're on, um, that's because of the the hard and good work of Nicole. Her Twitter ad is the names mock, M A C H, and uh, I really appreciate the 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 artwork. It's it's really cool, and it'll probably be updated seasonally. So that's gonna be fun. She's a great artist. Go look at her work and give her a shout if you need any. This first episode of Butt Heads didn't have much butting heads, but I guess we'll have them soon. Isaac, what is your uh, socials that you want anyone to follow you on if there is even any oh you're putting me on the spot because i don't even know my social media um i don't have a lot of followers i use social media mostly to follow to a lot lurk. Of, yeah to lurk exactly if you want to follow me i'm at sacky the boy s-a-c-k-y the boy on twitter um yeah i don't really post a lot but maybe if i get some people who want to hear my opinions on things on twitter i will but i mostly just reply to tristan and make fun of him so uh, and you can see me posting things that isaac makes fun of me for on twitter at edeltod e-t-t-l-e-t-o-d-d and that's me on instagram and most other things that exist just remember i came up with that at in middle school so that's true all credit to me again well share this episode or in the whole series uh with your friends and family if you enjoy it and uh we'll see you next time on buttheads thanks for listening to buttheads
Hey, what's up? It's head coach of the Tennessee State University Tigers, Eddie George, inviting you to join me each week on my new podcast, Beyond the War, where I sit down with some of my favorite people to discuss, well, everything, the good, the bad, the past, the present. Nothing is off limits. Beyond the Roar, a great combo media and TSU Big Blue Sports Network collaboration. Listen to the show on Apple, Google, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Y'all better not come to my studio with that fake shit. Y'all better not come to my funeral with that fake shit. Y'all better off realizing there's nothing that y'all could do with me. All I ever ask is keep it eight more than 92 with me, 100. Yo, 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 what's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the 8 More Than 92 podcast where we always keep it 100 with you. I'm your host, Harrison. Najee. And we are joined by our special guest, the last one to close out 2021. So don't nobody else ask me to go. We save the best for last. We have the beauty stunner, stunner beauty uh, herself, Miss Jessica Ashley, joining us today. So hello. How are you, ma'am? Hi, guys. What you been up to? How are you? Nothing. Uh, working. You know, stay busy. Oh, okay. So uh, we are glad you decided to come on today to join us to close out a very good year for us in 2021. So uh, how's everything been with you at the business? Okay, well, for those who don't know, I'm a permanent makeup artist. Um, I am actually practicing in body art as well. So I'm starting with body art this year, so that's exciting. But I tattoo brows, I tattoo lips. Um, yeah, I do all that fun stuff. Um, and I moved to Atlanta about five months ago. I'm building my clientele here, and I am making progress, and I'm pretty happy here. Oh, you're not in uh, Mississippi no more? No, James. Well, I mean, shit, you surprised everybody. You didn't tell me you moved. But uh, it's I'm glad to see that you uh, moved and transitioned well. Yes, yes I did. Oh, okay. I thought my fault. I thought you did. So did, you, did you know people in Atlanta, or you just decided, like, yeah, I think I want to go to Atlanta? Like, did you already have Well, I was in Atlanta. I was in Atlanta, like, seven years, like, previous to being in L.A. So I was here before. Um, so it was just a comfortable move. Okay. Move. Well, like I said, um, definitely congrats to the move. Sorry for my unawareness. Thank you. So we will go ahead and kick it on this fine day. Uh, well, the first topic I wanted to go ahead and say, um, I had seen something online and so i kind of feel like this i really feel like this is nowhere this ain't nothing new to me but i mean since everybody wanted that will and jada love you know i seem like all the relationships now that last are that last the longest are open relationships so um it just came out i don't know if it's true or not that steph curry and aisha were in open relationships and as you seen from will they were in an open relationship, and I just want to know, you know, what's y'all take on open relationship? Do y'all feel like they're realistic to sustain a union, or do you just feel like it's some some trash? Mm, I think, I mean, I just think I think it's a communication. It's, it's y'all. It's it's whatever y'all got going on because you got polygamy. You got you got people that you know. So that shit been going on for ages. You know, what I'm saying you got other countries. That's all they do. So. It's really just communication. Like if you're trying to do some sneaky shit or or y'all not talking or y'all not having y'all not communicating in y'all household, then a normal relationship don't work. So 
So let alone, you know, saying you bring somebody else or two other people in a relationship, it's definitely gonna not gonna work if y'all not sitting down and communicating about y'all issues and y'all trials and tribulations or whatever's going on in y'all house. But I mean, I feel like if, if that's what's gonna make they they household happy and it's, it's working and it's working, you know, that's for them. But you know, it's whatever it's whatever's for you and your family. That's really what it is. What about you, Jessica? Mm, well, can we touch on how um, Jada and Will were goals for? Are you speaking in general? Uh, I was. Uh, you could start with either one if you want to start. With okay, Jada, yeah, because they were never my goals. But um, yeah, I would also say it depends on um, the arrangement that y'all have going in and what y'all actually communicated before, like. I know a lot of people that are in relationships and a status that they did both didn't agree on, so it doesn't work. But I mean, if y'all both go in and you know you're going into a poly relationship or you know you're going into an open marriage, um, outside of new things coming up, I don't see where it should be a surprise or a reason uh, for, you know, turmoil. But even though I'm not for those styles, that's not my thing. Um, it's kind of whatever works for them. Yeah, yeah so. I was about to say that was my next question. To uh, could either one of y'all be in a, a open open marriage? I don't know. Like I, like I say, like I just feel like it's it's what y'all got going on in y'all life. Because I mean, could me? I mean, open marriage is different. Because I mean, I just feel different about marriage. But I mean, if me and my old lady and she want to have a girlfriend and we happy, then I mean, I'm thinking financially, we bringing in more money. So. I'm cool Stephanie, with it. Stephanie with the big lips. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, man. I think I think if we if it's not hectic and it's not drama and we can just, you know, have a good time and whatever, then I feel it. Cause you gotta think like same sense, Nick Cannon. Nick Cannon got all these, he got this grand scheme of plan of getting all these women pregnant and stuff. And that's just what he wants. So I mean, whatever you got going on. What about you, Jessica? Um it's I wouldn't have it. It wouldn't work. Um because mm, that's to me that's something that happens when y'all are bored. When the fire is out, like y'all just don't have that passion anymore. Y'all just bored and y'all need to see other people. To me, that's more like that sounds like y'all need to take a break, like from each other if y'all gotta add people. And adding people is where the trouble comes in. So I'm not I'm not about that life. That's not for me. Hmm. I don't know. It seemed more realistic to me. For I mean, the, uh, I, the just, idea. I think it to more realistic from times to me, just from a standpoint of I just don't think people really understand. Like when they say "till death do us part," that is really just y'all two motherfuckers for the rest yeah. of y'all lives through thick and thin. And I don't think that I think more. I think more of these relationships exist than people think, but it's like I can go cheat or I could just tell her and she could be down or they can do something, but I don't think nobody really understands it. You don't just be madly in love with a motherfucker for 100, 40, 20, 30, 40 years. Like if you ask grandparents and shit, if you ask grandparents and shit like that, especially the grandfather, somebody cheated. So I don't know. I just feel like it's an easy act, an easy way to, um, just avoid that headache but also i can see like the cons in it because okay cool somebody get attached or somebody do this or shit you could be like uh jada well shit you could have august alcina situation 
motherfucker out here writing diss tracks about your ass because he was in love. So, I mean, I just feel like, you know, sustainability, if you watch enough of if you watch enough shows, you see that there is never just those two motherfuckers. I just, I just, I just think if whatever's going on in your household, that's between you and your household. Like that's the only thing I hate about the Will and Jada stuff. Like if they open, if they want to talk to whoever, like who cares? That's they. That ain't got nothing to do with me. That's their life. You know what I'm saying? And they ain't doing bad for themselves. So, you know what I'm saying? Something's working out. Like you know they ain't got they ain't got sued or nothing. Like you know like like Ti and I'm gonna say it ain't like Ti and Tiny. Ti and Tiny. So, sex trafficking. Yeah, yeah there's sex trafficking. Yeah. They, they, they was forcing people. Will and Jada ain't got nothing like that. So I, mean, I don't even I, feel like they was forcing people. I think people, yeah, when, they, I when think niggas, they. I think niggas when niggas saw Tiny, and they was like, I got to do what to her, and then niggas was like, no, nah. and then like niggas like, bro, you ain't gonna, he's like, you ain't gonna come out here and not do nothing. I feel like the forcing was just on Tiny. Like I feel like you know the females or whoever they ain't had no problem fucking Ti. But then Tiny would come up there with that little piggy voice saying, I want something too. And then they was like, oh, hell no. And so that that's where they made it seem like they was making them do all kind of crazy shit. No, nah, Tip was a thug. It's like, you ain't about to just do my old lady like this. But they was like, well, I'd rather, I'd rather eat bricks than touch that that inflatable look. You's like, you're my little secret for real. You better keep this. Shit. I'm going to tell everybody. This ain't going to be no little Try secret. It. I'm going to tell everybody. That's what that's what the drama happened. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Well, none of the guys spoke out, so I'm assuming you meant when the females had their turn with her. I don't think Ti would have been up in there if it was some of the guys. Yeah, I mean that, that ain't I the tip he that. was talking about. That ain't Tip he was talking about. She know. mentioned like she was always he in the girls. He surprised me with her. So last nigga, last nigga, Tiny was fucking with Ti had like a rap on his hand for fucking with Floyd. That's the last thing you see. So I don't think some niggas was fucking with that. You in Atlanta though? What the streets talking about? You ran into any of his victims? Uh, no, I don't be in the streets. Yeah. Just... Well, I mean, I was like literally pre. I would say last weekend. Last weekend, no, the previous weekend. That was like my kickoff to be in the streets. Um, and kind of everything started getting shut down from there. Like all the events that I had planned. And mm, so you bad luck. Got it. Okay. Nah, streets nah. was functioning cool, and then you was like, I'm gonna go out in the streets, and then they started shutting shit down. No, well, mm. you know, we don't fun like COVID doesn't exist here, like, events are still happening. Like, New Year's, that's what I'm saying. Out. That's what I'm saying. So, for them to not cancel nothing, I mean, Cali the same way. Cali, well, the events that I went to, yeah, Cali, everything's still, everything's still going on now, really. They they put some mask on, but everything's still going on, though. That must be a San Diego thing because no, LA have you gone to like the cities like LA recently? Hell yeah, I go to LA all the time. Oh, okay. So my friends that work there, they're just like everything is shutting back down. So you can still go to the Lakers games. You can still oh, like wow. the most of this that you can do, like Lakers, you can't get that many people anywhere else. You can still go to all the games. You can still go to movies are still open. You know what I'm saying? Like everything where you're going to be close to somebody, it's, it's, it's still open. So all the food and little functions like the little flea markets and stuff like that, all that stuff, that, it ain't closed down at all. Like the fashion district, like it's pack of people. That thing, it's been open since last year. Fashion district ain't closed down at all. So, uh, Yeah, it was a mess when I tried to visit last year. So I haven't gone back since. 
it was shut down like everything was shut down i don't know uh they ain't shut everything down up here yet so i don't know how serious it is i think i heard today virginia okay but uh i know uh they were saying like it was like thirteen thousand new cases just reported yesterday of uh covid but then it seemed like everybody kind of lacks on this one like even like the nfl went from like you got to be out for like 10 days or like five days that's the cdc though that's that that's what that that's been the the joke because the cdc came out with that that's been them the cdc said that if you get covid and stuff now like you only got to be out for five days and then you able to come back to work so that's why there's so many memes and shit like that because like bro like when anybody had covid that shit lasts way longer than five days so now they now they just making up rules they just doing whatever they want to do so now they came up with that five day shit and then the last strain i'm hearing lasts way longer than all of them like it just stays in your system stays active for longer so i don't know what that's about the marion mm-hmm. yeah the old marion they literally said cdc said fuck it that was their statement for the day fuck it <laughs> five days you can go back we ain't worried about it at this point i'm sure they figure everybody's gonna get it anyway it's just gonna have to run a cycle is what it is natural selection unfortunately you caught it yet nope i actually just uh-huh. got tested um this morning yeah this morning Mm-hmm. So but I'm doing that for my clients because you know I work directly with clients. But my two very close friends that I was lit with last weekend are down bad, and so I was just mm-hmm. like, I knew I had it. Say their names so we can make sure people. Hell nah. No. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so um, like <laughs> <laughs> you see these two motherfuckers out in the street, know that they got it. And they ain't following no protocols. They in the house right now? Yes, they down. Like oh, okay, just bad. make a show. What's the name of those? Just so people be on alert. They in Atlanta or they in uh no. Gulfport? No. Yeah, they in Nashville. There you go. Yeah, she ain't she ain't got that many locations. She don't say I said I was physically with them. So they in Atlanta, y'all. So all right. So if y'all done seen Jessica, her and her road dogs, the two, the two that was on the table. They guys got COVID, so you make sure whoever they are, no. they down and out. All right. But uh, our next topic oh, was yeah, I, I wanted to ask you because I know you had said something. Uh, what's your stance on cheating? Oh, I didn't know that was a, okay. All right. Um, well, I didn't elaborate, but I just want to know your stance on it because it's it leads my next question. Um, so I feel, um, well, I have zero tolerance for it, that's where I stand on it. Period. Okay. I don't know if you want to elaborate, but why do you feel I like don't... so many people? Why do you feel like so many people go back to cheaters? Um, because it's what they they're used to. They feel that they're going to change, um, and they're holding on to what was good in something, but they'll never fully trust them like they used to. So, I'm not sure the reason for the connection again. Uh, but yeah, that's why they go back because they're used to them and they think they're going to change. What you say, Josh? Um, nah, I wouldn't talk to nobody that's cheating either. Uh, but I mean, I don't know. Like, I think that a lot of things happen in people's lives, you know. Like, um, I think communication because sometimes I've been in situations where you know you talk to somebody and like you have a lot of people that think they're in relationships that they're not in, you know what I'm saying? Like, so you got to make sure that you're talking to this person and all y'all in a relationship, but y'all not. So, some people they just assume because you see them every day. That y'all together, but then when you ask that person, "Hey, y'all together?" They say, "Nah, we cool." 
So they're like, oh, well, we can't be that cool because I see them every day. That don't mean nothing. You know what I'm saying? So y'all got to be on the same terms of what y'all got going on. And if, you know, and if y'all got something going on, y'all say that, hey, I don't want you talking to nobody else. Then that's the terms that y'all on. You know what I'm saying? But if y'all got like, hey, you know, we, we dating and we cool and we trying to figure things out. That is not the same verbiage. So, you know, saying words mean things. So you got to talk to people and tell them what you what you're looking for, and what you want. So if you're not if you don't want nobody to cheat or you want them like that, you need to say that. You know what I'm saying? So yes. if you don't, then you can't be upset if that person's like, oh, well, I'm not really fooling with you like that. Did you say did you say you you did you give your response for why you feel like people go back to cheaters? I don't know if you did. I no, my response like, uh, I mean, I just feel like it's it's just love. You know what I'm saying? Like at the end of the day, like still, even with cheating and stuff like that, it depends on your uh, what you're taking and, and what you're trying to build. So if you feel like, hey, I mean, people make mistakes. People gonna mess up. People gonna do things because it's some things that people can do that's worse than cheating. So, I mean, people can make mistakes, and if you feel like, so hey, is cheating a mistake? Cheating is a mistake. Yeah. Yeah. You do if you do something that you're not supposed to be doing, that's a that's a mistake. So what do you call it if you are completely aware, like you're aware that it's about to happen, you're coherent, like this is this is something you actually plan to happen. It's, it's still, still a mistake. mistake. Still a mistake. Yeah, you're still wrong. Like like you can like I can plan I can plan to go to college and then get my degree and then I'm not happy where I'm at. That's I made a mistake. That's still a mistake. I, it would still be it would still be a mistake unless it's something that I'm happy with. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. but no, it would still be like they made they made a mistake. So they made, and that's that's something that you got to talk about. Like, okay, well, that, is that something that you want, or is that something that you know what I'm saying? Like, you're gonna do this again, or is that something that hey, you fucked up, and we can move on from it? You know what I'm saying? If you can't move, if we can't move on from it, then we can't. Like you said, if you feel like. Oh, I, I don't think I can ever trust you again, blah blah blah. Like, then cool, that's that's what you that's what you feel, and it ain't gonna work out, you know. But if you feel like okay, well, damn, you know, it is what it is. I get it. Our communication was bad. You know, we didn't really say what we was. You know, I do feel some type of way, but you know, what I'm saying like now we know that this ain't gonna happen no more, and that's different. So what if we're talking about like a solid marriage, like y'all are clear on the terms. Y'all are not in an open an open marriage, and cheating happens. So, what? Yeah, I mean, it's change. Is it still okay if it happens? Because I'm not saying it's okay, but I'm saying that it's the same thing with anything else you do. If you're in a marriage and your wife hits you, hit you in your face, that's something that I'm absolutely solely against. You know what I'm saying? But that's a mistake that they made, and so it's it depends on what I'm gonna talk and what I'm gonna take. And what we're gonna do? Like, are we gonna move on from this, or are we not? So that's what I'm saying. It's things that people can do, either or. You know, since she's in that, that you know, it's up to y'all. It's y'all communication. It's, it's it's how you're gonna take it. And you know, do you feel like this person just like you say, are they a fucking a nympho and they just out here in these streets all the goddamn time? Or yeah, you- I think the real issue is just not even knowing this person. Like, y'all really don't know each other. If somebody has to step out. Um, because it, it does come back to communication. So, like, was I not listening to what he was saying, what he didn't like? Like, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, are we just not yeah. on the same page? But I don't know. I don't know. Sometimes that ain't it. I don't think it's that they don't like you could be doing things right, but it could be. So I'll say, prime example, somebody that's deployed, somebody could be gone for 10 months 
And you know what I'm saying? Like you single, married, whatever. Like when you when you deployed and you gone for 10 months, like gremlins start to look fucking cute. So you got people that's literally like they ain't been is that how it is? like I was so I tell you for me on the ship, I was on the ship <laughs> with all males, and we was gone for 10 months, like no females on the ship. It's all males. So when we hit port and we hit land, you just a girl walking by, you just smell her perfume. You just like, oh my God, it's a girl. Like, oh God. I ain't smell no girl in months. You know what I'm saying? So, like, it's certain it's certain hormones and stuff that, yeah, it, like, you know it's wrong. It could be bad, but you put in a circumstance to where, like, motherfucker, like, a girl touch you, you just like, oh, oh, God, please don't touch me. I love you. You know what I'm saying? Because you ain't been around a while. So, I mean, I don't know. That's what I'm saying. Like, it's some circumstances that, and then, like you said, a lot of times people, sometimes people cheat, and they think that they're going to something that's better and they realize that they're that it's not so like once again that's still a mistake you know what i'm saying like they think like oh man this person she got money she got good she thick she this that and the third but she ain't nothing you know what i'm saying and what you got what you got at the home is what you need so you you know what i'm saying like they're gonna learn the lessons and that lesson might lose what you got at home correct so, but it might not so that's what i'm saying so I, that's why i'm saying like i think a lot of times it is it's really that you know, people do make mistakes, like male, female, grown, married for 40 years, married for three years. Like people still make mistakes every day. So the guys that I've talked to personally that have admitted to cheating mentioned that they continue cheating because the woman that they were with allowed it. So do you feel like that's the case in general? Is that how men feel like, okay, well, I mean, I'm comfortable doing it the first time. She good with it. Like she'll stay. That's that's my whole stance on why I'm zero tolerance. It's just I mean, like, that's, but that's a, not that's every but not everybody gets cheated on. Like, gets found out. Not everybody gets found out that they cheated on one, two, nine times out of ten. A lot of guys, if they cheated and they told, that's where it stops. It ain't like she cool with me going out here stepping out. That's that's a whole. That's basically an open relationship, or that's just. But what about the ones who got whole, caught? You said what? What about the ones who got caught? I don't know. I'm saying you said the guys. She know I'm out here doing it. I'm keep doing it. She can do oh, okay, it. That's yeah. a different type of. That's a different type of like standard. Of, that's basically not even cheating anymore. She keep knowing I'm doing oh, it. Like it's, it's, it's permissible. Yeah, because if she still know I'm out, if you, first off, there's clearly that relationship needs to end because if she knows that you're out there doing it and you know and you continue to do it, that's one. But 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 I tell you on on a circumstance another circumstance, I had this conversation with somebody like three days ago, and um she was saying that she was like, Look, I'm not gonna lie to you, like I'm about my business, I'm about my kids, I'm about my family. And she was like, If he out here in these streets, I don't care about that if home is taken care of. But if he if he can't if I'm taking care of home and I'm paying all the bills, this motherfucker need to keep his ass in the house. So that's what I'm saying. Like that's a whole different. It's a, it's your mentality. It's how you feel. Like that's what I'm saying. Like you can't say, like yeah, oh, it's your own standards. It's, it's your own, standards. own you uh, about? level of self awareness and level of self love. Because, mm-mm. but doesn't that say something about a guy who takes advantage of a situation like that? That's just saying he a lot about your too. character. I mean, it ain't really. It ain't a lot of times it ain't really about taking advantage. It's about, like I said, someone thinks that they're in something that they're not and they're not talking. They're not communicating. Like, because a lot of times people just they assume uh, assumes is like it's like pipes. You know what I'm saying? Like a lot of people assume things because, oh, well, we had sex and we with each other. And we every day. That's my man's. 
but they ain't said nothing to this person. Well, that's a that's an assumption. You know what I'm saying? Like that's a that's an assumption. You gotta talk to this person. Like you gotta tell this person. But you like, know if a female, you know if a female is actually um acting a certain part in your life. Like if you see her clearly cooking and cleaning for your ass, doing that's, things. That's, that's a, I, I'm not saying it validates anything. Oh. I'm not saying that does not that does not validate your your relationship with that list. But let's not let's not act like um she hasn't but, she hasn't but, been taken down this road at some point. Like something but, made her feel like something you said or something you did made her feel like okay this guy's worthy of doing all this shit for but, but once again but instead of you stopping that shit like no, but, her, you doing the most I don't think I don't think that's it though because I don't think it, there's one way that people cheat. Like no, I don't think there's a direct way that no, everybody no. just cheats from the same script. No, but I'm talking, like, I'm, talking, I'm talking about she's saying that you know somebody doing all these things for a man. Once again, that's her observation because what she's doing, she might feel like she's doing the most, but that might be everybody do that to, for me. Like that might be average. Like you might think that you cooking cleaning, but I'm from the south. Who don't cook and clean? You know what I'm saying? You might think like you do laundry. I don't cook. Everybody do everybody do laundry, you know what I'm saying? So that's what I'm saying. So when someone's saying, like, oh, I'm doing all these things, I was like, Blase, that's their own observation. That's how they feel. They can't they can't tell somebody what but you know women do that out of care and like that that's because they care about you, right? They're not just doing that shit. Like, I don't think y'all well, I know because I've grown older and I've spoken to men, like I understand y'all are wired different. Y'all pretty damn black and white. Like y'all don't attach emotion to certain actions. So she's doing all this because she has certain feelings for you. Like she cares about you, but you can't see that, or you just don't want to see that, or. But then again, every again, cheating is not a script that you follow. Some niggas cheat because they feel like they can't talk to the person they with, or somebody you get with somebody who's career driven, and she only put finances on her career, and you just wanted somebody to talk to and support, and then that one friend that they got, that's who they cheat on you with. So, like, it's not a script to this shit. It's not, it's not I black I was and white. Saying it. I was saying it more towards his point on how they're on two different pages. Yeah, she's just saying, but, but I'm just, but what I'm saying, I'm saying even with that point is, you gotta talk like you can't like once again. You gotta tell somebody how a lot of a lot of relationships, a lot of people do things, and they never fully talk about how they feel. And they say, "Oh, I'm doing these things," and he should know. Like, no, that's that's still an assumption. If you're doing all these things and you feel like, "Hey, look, I really like you. I really want to go somewhere farther with you." Like, what's going on? You come to my house. I'm cooking and stuff like this. But I feel I'm feeling more for you. Do you feel the same way? Those are conversations you gotta have. Because, like I said, anything below that is a that's an assumption. So if you if you're doing all these things, he come over every day and he just skipping around and he leave and shit, and you just assuming that y'all together. But you know, the next day he might not come home. You know what I'm saying? So that's coming. Well, that's that, I don't think that's a cheating situation. I don't know. I don't. I think when when I think of cheating, I think of a solid like y'all are both on the same page as far as what y'all are in. Y'all are in an actual relationship. Y'all are engaged. Y'all are married. That's what I refer to as cheating. It's not always about the same pages. It's what's happening to the two of y'all in your life at that point. Nobody's ever cheating. That, that y'all everything. are not talking about. And that but, are, nobody, but, it, but nobody's ever cheated when everything is great. I can, prom- I can promise you. That's now, usually when you're on your P's and Q. I've never seen somebody sit there and cheat. Temptation everything is not. Is, it's really it's, it's readily available. I've never seen. Life and be in Miami. 
I've and never seen and and a nigga and if everything's great, he is not partake. He is not partaking in any. He's of not even in a situation where he's gonna get to. So that's what I'm saying. Like, is I've never seen it when cheating happens. There's a disconnect somewhere. It's not always physically. It's not. Sometimes you could be tempted, but even then. If a nigga is cheating, he wasn't in that relationship to begin with. He liked certain aspects of it, but he wasn't all the way in in general. And there's just the fall to like the part of a mistake or just to wrap it around. Like why do people stay? I don't think people like really fathom how much emotions tie into a relationship. And then also niggas don't really realize if you've been in a relationship for a certain amount of time, starting over is hard. You know what I'm saying? Do I... My family knows this person. I got kids with this person. I got a house. You know what I'm saying? All these things play a factor. It's something a nigga do one time, or let's just say he maxed out it one or two two times. I've been with this nigga for eight years. You know what I'm saying? Is that worth me starting over again? No, it's easier for you to stay. It's cheaper for you to for you to stay with the person that cheated than going off on your own and do that because little do you know or little do y'all think like when you go back out there and do everything independent your taxes is different that's if you marry your taxes is different you got to go back out there and learn a nigga new color you got to go out there and meet a nigga mama you got to do all this and if you pass a certain type of age ain't nobody gonna do that so it sound cool it sound cool to just get up and leave but how many times do y'all give people advice and they don't listen to you while they're madly in love or while they're while they're madly invested? Once you get to a certain point, it's not about love anymore in a relationship. It's about what's invested in it. And my time is invested in it. Things about certain parts of you that you aren't as young or whatever, you're you're no longer that. So it's not a simple thing of just leaving, packing your shit and going because you think that you have a hard standpoint on what loyalty is. Okay, well, let's just say this nigga cheated with another person. This nigga cheated with um, um, another person. Well, you probably fucked up somewhere in the relationship as well to be just as just as a culprit of it. Not saying it ain't, but I mean, the same with fucking insecure. Everybody justified Issa. And shout out Insecure, thank you, and good. Everybody justified Issa cheating on Lawrence because Lawrence was going through a depression, wasn't putting any effort into the relationship, wasn't, you know what I'm saying, he was just stuck on the couch, he'd be not paying attention to certain type of dates. So Issa go and cheat with a former flame, and she actually had sex with the motherfucker. You know what I'm saying? Now, motherfucker, everybody attributed that to she was justified for cheating when she was wrong the whole fucking time. Only thing this motherfucker did was just lose sight of who he was he wasn't that same person but there people justified that because he was out here forgetting all this type of stuff they justified the cheating so it's not it's not a simple cut you, he failed to them he failed somewhere in the relationship that justified her to go out there and do what she did so just because this person probably just because somebody go kill somebody don't make it a not a crime if you go steal something somebody just happened to do something worse so you still drop the ball whether you think you didn't or not and some areas if you cheated if if you got cheated on you somewhere you know what i'm saying in, in, in some cases yeah, you drop the ball by not paying attention it's not not paying attention because you did not hold up your end of the bargain if somebody had to go seek it elsewhere so that's where accountability come in that is not true that it is, is a true. it is it is in some cases like i said that's, that's like if, speaking of a nympho like you were never going to be just enough i mean i guess unless that's the group that y'all have but that's but those are rare cases that's why a nymphomaniac is a rare case not everybody in a relationship is a nymphomaniac are you a nymphomaniac Uh, josh no but i'm saying in general 
Men so have, we're speaking on we're speaking it's not but it's not men because also at the end of the day yeah, usually say, okay that's what i'm saying so uh, i just I that's why i use but that's but that's why i use Issa because she was a woman yeah, and if you ask every woman he failed and didn't hold up his part of being a man so it justified her going out there and cheating that, that oh but they was both wrong so that's what i'm saying he failed his part not saying everybody is the same but there are you are a culprit and it's not about paying attention. I don't attention. believe that. No, it's, it's, it's what it is. I, I that's what it is. That that's what it is. Person is uh, there's always something. I didn't say. I didn't say always. I didn't say and always. But I said but, a lot of cases. Somebody dropped the ball. As an adult, and, and sex isn't always cheating. No, definitely not. Definitely. Let's just put it like cheating. this: If you, if I got with you, and you were always in the gym, and you were always fit, and then you stopped going to the gym. And you just get fat and get beside yourself. You're not holding up your end of the bargain. No, because not. that's how. That's and once, so, if y'all have communicated that, and she has not worked to fix that, and okay. you're not happy, and why so are you still there? Like it's very black and white for me. It's but it's I black and white for you on the outside looking in. You're not a you're not emotionally attached to anybody right now. Take you're single. So when you get emotionally attached to somebody, you will put up with more shit. From somebody that you have your love and time invested in when you do it but if you're not emotionally attached to anybody you're not invested or you don't have a significant other it's easy to say what you will and won't do because you're not in the act i could tell and sell somebody all the time that i am not going to i've literally sat there and said i would not be with somebody if shit got rowdy or whatever but i don't got hit by uh what you uh, i don't got hit by somebody i'm with and that don't mean I drop it because I'm emotionally invested in it. And so that was a that decision. Everybody's that's different. why I said I. That's what I'm I saying. Not everybody. But that's but but you're also not in a relationship. To but speak I. On. But there are certain standards and things that I will tolerate and I won't tolerate. I don't see what's so like. Do these people just not exist? Like I would respect a nigga if he be like, you know, if you don't stay fit it's a dub for me that's just not what i'm in here for and if i fucking fell off then that would be a valid reason for him to drop me and i shouldn't feel no type of way like he, he was black and white from the beginning that's what he stood for and what's so hard about you know understanding that if you go against those rules that shit's gonna end same with cheating for me like if you just feel the need to cheat we just don't need to be together like if i feel the need to cheat like if he's not making me happy and I need to step out and I need to get to know other people. I don't need to be with him. Just like I'm going to just I'm going to just answer before I go to the next topic. Just like everybody keep telling you if it was so easy to make a million dollars, everybody would do it. Just with this theory, if your theory was so concrete and black and white was black and white as it is, then everybody would have just fought. There would there would be That's nobody breaking this. That's not true. If you there was a leader, those are not the same people. I, I, well, a lot of people. I don't follow anybody. So I know that, like I said, if these were, if this was true, if this was a absolute prom, prom, uh, proclamation that you're making, then just like people say, it's so easy to make a million dollars. Everybody would have a million dollars. But I'm telling so, you for me that it's black and white. I get that. And I'm just saying it's not. We it's, have people that are more, they don't really have standards or. We got people. We got people that don't cuss. So I, I said it's obviously different people. But I know. Um, let me see what to say. The next one, Josh, you had anything to say? I mean, I just think the hard, the the the, the, the hardest thing is nothing is absolute. 
you know, like, because, I mean, I like, I, I feel, I agree kind of with both of you, but I just know that nothing's absolute, you know what I'm saying? Because, I, like you said, like, I, you can say anything, I can say anything, and then something happened, and I just fall fucking hell over heels with this motherfucker, and I'm just like, damn, bro, like, I'm tripping, and, you know what I'm saying? Like, some things change in your life, you know, or, on the same sense, it's got some things I just be like, I don't care. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm done. You know what I'm saying? So, I mean, I, but I just feel like every, everything is different. Like it depends on where you at in your life and what's going on. I know the next one you'll have to kind of explain because this one is particularly pertaining to something I seen from you, uh, dating a boss chick. Yes. Yeah. That was, you don't chick on here. I know. I mean, what was it? What about it? <laughs> dating a boss chick. What are some of the problems and what are some of the, the roadblocks that you come across within? dating as somebody that is an entrepreneur and you know people that will classify themselves as boss chicks what do you feel like some of the issues that you run into and what are some of the questions that you would ask two males uh about how you go about dating if you're a boss chick or woman is on our shit so my biggest hurdle would be um trying to figure out if guys are in well most guys will tell you if they're intimidated um I guess my whole thing is not all like to be a boss chick because I feel like we did talk about this um, does not mean that I'm freaking wealthy. Like I'm not rich. Like I'm not on a certain pedestal. That just means that I am locked into my goals and reaching them without all these distractions. That's really what a boss chick is. So um when you come into my life or because I'm dating with a purpose, you really have to serve as a benefit to me just as much as I'm a benefit to you. If we're not a benefit to each other, there's no point in talking to me. Like I'm not trying to, you know, that, that getting to know phase. No, I'm dating for marriage. So um, the standards are different. Um, and I feel like I just that as a whole, like that comes off as masculine to guys, even though a lot of us are very feminine. Um, so, yeah, my biggest challenges are coming off as intimidating, masculine, and them not really understanding the situation before they get in that shit. Uh, yeah. So what would you ask us? As, okay. Um, that other question that I asked, that was more so, that was when I was asking for advice, right? It was, it was my advice question. Mm-hmm. So for women who are boss chicks again does not mean that they're wealthy they're trying to get there they have goals to achieve so um what advice would you have as far as um let's start with dating in the right pool because a lot of us that saying you are what you attract to me is not true at all we definitely attract some unique individuals that are not aligned with us so how would you say we should find these guys like where do we find them do you like approach these men should we let them just i don't know come josh you want to go i don't don't know because we seem to pick all the wrong ones i mean it's i don't know it's just kind of different like um i think I think that, you know, somebody got to know. Actually, it. my fault, my fault, my fault, my fault. I mean, interject. as a boss chick, what type of woman are you going to be in a relationship? You just said what you are as a professional. Mm-hmm. Right. As a boss chick, what type of woman are you in a relationship? I am a team. I'm a team player. That's really it. That's so. Could you be submissive in a relationship? Yes, could you be a number course. two? 
Okay, that's why I, I just want to ask that part before you come. Which is why I said I'm I dating with purpose. I'm dating with purpose. Like I have the intent to care for this man, to cook for this man. Like that. Those are that's my intention. So I expect him to understand that coming in. Um, that this is just not like a flame. We're not just in the streets. So yeah, in that type of situation, like where do I look for these guys since we can't seem to find any? What what are and also my second question would be. How are we coming off as, um, how can a woman come off as masculine or, um, cause I've, I've done that before. I don't know. Masculine. That's, that's weird. I mean, I don't really, I don't know. Like somebody saying that woman's masculine. That's, that's, I feel like that's some new age shit. Like, cause it don't matter what you I've say, heard what, you, what you're doing. Like that is, it's no way that you're going to demasculate me. You know what I'm saying? Like, you, cause you're a woman. Like I can't, I can't see us doing some shit and you be like, Hey, no, you finna take this trash out. And I'm just like, Oh, okay, baby. You know what I'm saying? Like you real strong today. So, I mean, I don't know. Like, I feel like it's a, I don't know. Like that's, that's a weird to me. I can't even answer that part. Cause I, I, maybe I, I feel like I'm a man all the time and I can't see the woman be like, damn. Yeah, baby. I'm, I'm telling you, bro. When we play fucking call of duty, bro, she is the man of the house. Like, I don't know where that would come yeah. in. But um, I mean, I feel like, especially when it comes to like finding people, it's just really on, like you said, like just knowing your worth and just that yeah. being consistent. Because at the end of the day, people can have all these goals and they can say they want to do this, they want to do that. But the way I feel about it, anybody can be touched. You know what I'm saying? Like Beyonce, J Lo, whoever, everybody can, everybody can be touched by the wrong person if that person, you know, you let somebody in your life like that. So. Mm-hmm. I don't really know. It's, I don't think it's more of where you find a man is. It's just more of what's what this person is accepting, because yeah. like you could find you could find a whole bunch of ducks, but it's are you letting ducks in your house? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like it should already be a red flag on certain occasions. You know what I'm saying? Certain things they should do. It should already be a red flag. So if you go past red flags and you just like, well, yeah, I mean, but I mean. Uh, and then next thing you know, this duck on smashed, and then you just like, well, I don't even know how we even got here. And Bob, that's on you, you know. So that's what I'm saying. Any, anybody can be touched. It depends on where they're at in their life. So if you stick to, if a person stick to their guns, then okay, cool. But at the same time, you also got to be realistic. I think a lot of people that are single forever, those single forevers, those above thirties, no kids, ain't never been in a relationship longer than two years. Like some of those things are within that person. That person has to look at themselves and be like, it can't be the whole world. Sometimes it's me. You know what I'm saying? Like I got to realize that it just might be me. You know, I might have unrealistic goals or un- un- unrealistic views that I think somebody should be in. And that, and it's no one out there like that. Because if I think that this girl's going to be perfect, she's going to cook, clean, work out. You know what I'm saying? give me good sex and blase blase talk good i can run a bit you might not that's she's not going to be all those things a person one person they're not going to be perfect and and if you get to the point where you start to look for flaws you're gonna fucking find flaws like you know what i'm saying like you always gonna find flaws but i feel like a lot of people those uh forever single those people they a lot of times they're unrealistic and what they're expecting they're not putting back out you know what I'm saying? So that's the gag. That's the gag for me is that I don't look for anything until I am at that level where I can provide that same exact thing. But that's but but that's what I'm saying. Like that's 
at that point of time, that's already, you're already behind the curve because you got to think about everything else in your life. Like if I'm going to go buy a car, I don't just jump in a car and drive off the parking lot with it. No, I go look and I figure out like what kind of car I want, what kind of gas mileage you get, what color I want. And then I decide and then I go for it. And so like when a relationship is the same thing with everything else in your life, if you just fall in, if somebody just fall into your life, like that, you know, he kind of cool. I'm going to hang out and you ain't did nothing. You know what I'm saying? Like that's the same situation with food, going out to eat, the what you're wearing, checking the weather before you go to the beach. Like it's the same, it's kind of the same thing. So it's like not knowing what you knowing what you want. That's what I'm like looking for something is knowing what you want. If you don't want no little bitty ass dude, then can't no little bitty ass dude fall into your circle. You know what I'm saying? Like if you don't want no light skin or no dark skin or no fat dude or whatever, then dumb people can't so you're you're just you're speaking law of attraction at this point because I mean kind of law of attraction, but that but still, law of attraction would still mean that you're talking, you're looking for something, because that's the only way you can, you can't attract something and you're not you're not attracting it. You know what I'm saying? You still you law of attraction. You still speaking those things. You're attracting yeah. you. So if you're not doing that, then that's what I'm saying. That will put you behind the curve, because then you're gonna you basically just getting what everybody else is, what the universe is bouncing off everybody else. So you getting scrubs because you're not putting out what you want in the universe. So that's why, you know what I'm saying? I'm getting ducks all the time because I ain't putting nothing out in the universe. The ducks are falling for me from these other people that's letting the ducks go. So, like, you still will have to be like, this is what I want. This is what I'm looking for. Like, oh, okay, shit. I want somebody to got a job. Like, they got to have a car. You know what I'm saying? Like, I got to. Well, you would think these basic things, um, you know, you'd find somebody decent with having those basic standards. But it's, it's really not, it's really not the case in this current dating pool. This current, we not talking 20 years ago. We not talking 30 years ago. Like, so much no. shit has changed. Um, I, I'm convinced I was born in the wrong generation because this ain't it. Um, my filter is, it's not that intense. So I should be able to attract something decent. But I'm about vibes and energy. So, I mean, if he really can't provide that, then he doesn't pass. So what vibes are you giving out? That's what I'm saying. Like what? Like because that's what I'm saying. Like it might be a lot of people vibe. You know what I'm saying? Like vibrations hit off of what your vibrations. What's the longest relationship you ever been in? You talking to me? Yeah. Um, if we're counting uh, as an adult. Oh no. I mean, if high school, if you if you going back to high school, then we worried right now. So that's what I'm saying. It's nothing. It's nothing to worry about. Like it's really, it's very simple. You either. Fuck but that would be that would that would be that would be a red flag to a nigga. That would be a red flag to a nigga. That's not that's not realistic though. That's what I'm saying. That's that's what I that's why I said it's gonna sound like some mess. But if you get to this point in your life and you've never done some of the basic fundamentals of a regular relationship, then that's gonna be a that's going to be a trigger like something's wrong with this person whether it sound cool or not some a nigga's going to be like something something's going to something's going to go off to them because you're just something so used to chaos person. no that's it's not chaos because you chaos. it's not chaos because you could be with people that no, just broke up normally women finding themselves through other men like that's it's it's i don't see what's so surprising what about somebody who just does not they like being by themselves they like achieving shit by themselves until they're ready like until they're ready but then you would have to be with somebody you have to be with somebody 
you have to be with somebody who's never been in a relationship as well because both of y'all you know, need to go through the same true. path you both y'all like, need to go through like the same I would marry first. somebody who's been divorced that that wouldn't that wouldn't just mark him off i would marry somebody that's been divorced but at at a certain age as a man as to me and i'm this is specifically me i'm not i'm i'm gonna be lazy i mean i'm we in our 30s I'm going to be lazy. So it's not certain things. I'm going to be waiting for you to go across the threshold that you're going to have to experience. I'm, I'm going to expect that should have already have been done in the later, latter parts of my years when I'm chilling at this point. But what does so, her previous interactions have to do with what she has to provide you today? Like if she's made sure that she is this wholesome person, like she's not broken down when she meets you, but why is everybody that that's been in a relationship is, why is everybody that's been in a relationship broken down? I, Some people could have been in relationships and just grown I apart. I'm if saying a, a person who's in habitual relationships, like but you don't have but I'm saying even everybody that's so Tiffany Haddish in common broke but, up just because of distance. That doesn't mean that they're damaged, that just means that distance put a strain right. in the relationship. I guess so, my my question would be like so, like you said, you've been in habitual relationships. Like, do you bring in past things or do everybody get start from 100? Everybody get 100 when they start and they count themselves out or are you using past things that happen to kind of judge, you know, like, you know, how people be like, oh, well, I know all dudes do this and all blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. And I'm using that from my experience of the relationship. Everybody's going to use their experiences at some point, even if they don't, even if they're giving somebody the benefit, still going to be in the back of your head like that's an ex that's a learning experience for you so then what experience could you bring into a relationship because you've never been in one that's the that's the cap that's i'm not saying it like that i'm just saying it as in you know like like insanity you know what i'm saying doing the same thing over and over and over mm -hmm. that's, that's insanity so if my if my experience is not gaining me what i'm looking for yeah, mm -hmm. am I trying something different? Is what I'm saying. Like, are you yeah. okay? Because I can, like I said, I can experience, you know, like, oh, well, I think that throwing something out. I think that, you know, like, oh, my friends. So I talk to a lot of friends from Cali, and a lot of friends from Cali, they say that black women are angry and upset, and I can't deal with them. But that's not, it's not realistic. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's not just because you have talked to one angry black girl and then you talk to all these other, you know, Hispanic women, then that's what you, you know, saying that's what you feel like. So it's like, are, are people even given a fair opportunity? And that's what I tell my friends because they well, say, that's a question for me. Are they really given a fair opportunity? Uh, I don't, they, I don't come into, I don't come into, I don't come into situations with a new woman prejudice. Like I'm not coming. I don't care anything that any, you just to answer that question. Let's say I've been, in, I know how to end every relationship with that person. Meaning as when that relationship is over, anything I'm in is new. So we, that's doesn't come for So I, and I've talked to plenty of people. That means I know that every situation I have is unique between me and that person. So that and you don't feel like me. you as no, a person. I don't have no because I don't know this person that I'm talking to now. No, I don't, I, I'm not gonna lie. I don't. I don't bring in my past either because, like, I could have been talking to the devil incarnated, and, and this new person might not be like this. This, so this person's not like that at all. Like, like you, like somebody who. Okay, so you just answered your own question, James. 
you're you're asking me what I have to bring or like it's a it's a red flag when she doesn't have previous relationship experience but you just said you start from scratch with everybody so my past should not matter my past relationships or a lack of relationships why does that matter if I'm starting fresh with you you said I come you said I have chaos so I do or people bring chaos and everything to that and what i said to that because i've been in experiences where people bring their past relationships in mm-hmm. to something they're in now i know that that's not always the benefit of the doubt but i can speak on that because i've dealt with that but i what i said to you was you haven't done in any type of relationship so it's certain standards of a relationship that you think that you would mold yourself into based off what you've seen because you can't base it off of what you've done you, in past relationships. Okay. unless you've been so, married can you speak about marriage can you speak about the standards that you want for your marriage can you speak? yes you can speak that i can speak about what i would want i can but i can speak about what i want like you can't like, let's not talk like you can't do things you haven't done before. Like you'd be I can, fucking shit at it. Like, I don't understand. I can speak about what I want and something. Those are hopes, dreams, ambitions. But I can't sit there and give a married person advice if I'm not married. Because no, I'm not give them advice. The, so that's what I'm saying. So I can speak upon hopes and well, stuff I mean, like that in general. And you can, I mean, I give married people advice, but that's yeah, not but, from a friend to friend type of advice is what I mean. Like if you have so, a married friend and you just like, you know, from homeboy to homeboy. I'm just saying, I'm not about to... You can give him advice. I can sit there and ask Stevie Wonder for musical tips, but I'm not going to ask this nigga for driving tips. So that's all... That was my next poll that I'll be posting. You can, yeah, hold off on that. So I just... I just think that it's a certain line that you draw with people without experience because there are certain things that go into it that you need to experience in order for not me true. to take That's in order for true. me to take in order for me to take the, so the advice personally like what what did they have what what would they have needed to do i think you had i think you have it mixed up with people who are not in relationships for a long time like we live in a fucking tent like we live out in a fucking forest right nigga we no. are inundated with friends and family around us going through relationships that we don't or do want. That's pretty simple. You don't have to experience something to know something. Well, that's like saying I don't date cheaters. Who in the fuck in a relationship introduced himself as a cheater? Nobody introduced himself as a cheater. Like it's certain extreme things that you want to be known or don't do, but certain things happen. Okay, okay. That's, that's, you know what? That's that's start from scratch. So Miss Jessica, what are you looking for in a man? Let's let's go there. So, okay, we we on speed. We speed and date. We speed and date right now, one on one. So that's see what what are we looking for. Number one is a teammate. Period. Okay. So I agree. he has to, as far as household, as far as love, as far as business, he has to be a teammate in all three of those areas. Period. Like 50-50, like half and half. Um. He needs to be stable because I can, and it's not me. I'm clearly stable, but he needs to be stable on his own because, you know, lack of stability. Um, I, I mean, I've personally seen it become like a mental in- issue for black men. Like if you are just not where you need to be, like you're just not in the right headspace to really conduct yourself in general. Insecurity. So, so, so what happens? Boom. We, everything's good. We stable. Mm-hmm. I lose my job. I ain't got stability for a couple months. Are you done with me? Or are we fucking... We gonna, uh, no, I'm, I'm because I'm that was going to go to my next 
thing about how he needs to be, you know, motivated and driven because you can't, I mean, you can be locked up and be fucking driven as fuck. Like you over here calling shots from jail. Let me know what I need to do to keep the business running. You know what I mean? That doesn't, that doesn't get pulled from under you. Like it it just doesn't disappear. So as long as as he has that drive, like that's what I meant by teammate. Like you have to have somebody that's going to pull you up. That's the, that's the, that's the, that's the, that's the starting that's the starting. I just want to say, my fault, Judge. I just want to say that's the initial premise of Insecure. He started off motivated. He got fired. He fell into a depression. She cheated on him after depression went too long. See, I just, that's so what I mean. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. That's why. That's why I say like. That's what. But I'm saying. That's, that's why I said mean. like. That's why I said everything starts off good, and then yes, he's still motivated because he ended up having a great job later in the season. But just life is what I mean. The variable. Just because you have a motivated trait in you doesn't mean you can't be knocked on your ass how long can you stay how long can you how long can they how long how long can you hold them down that's why i said how long can you hold them down that's that's also another pro to dating a boss chick or a chick who's about her shit because she's going to survive regardless you know what i mean like if y'all are in a relationship she clearly knows how to get shit she she clearly knows how to take care of business so i i would feel what's the cons josh What's the, so what's the, so what's the cons now? So because I mean because that all this right here we 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 shine and start. It sounds great, you know. What I'm saying I mean, because I would I, think 50-50 is really not a hard concept because somebody no, is no. going to fall off. Yes, I'm some some. Pregnant. What if I get ill? You know what I mean? Like it's always that situation. So if y'all can't yes. hold up the end and y'all are both not stable, it's not going to work. Like if somebody's really pulling the weight the entire time, it's not going to work. So like I said, I'm looking for a teammate 50-50. That's very hard to find. I'm just Wait, so out of it. So you named three things. What's the hardest thing to find out of the 50-50? Because it's, it's gotta be it's nah, a teammate. Because some of them don't want anything to do with business or making money, or they don't, they're not comfortable with talking about finances. Like that's like, you know, when we start, I guess, talking about um how money's made. Cause that's that's the realistic part. Everybody wants to like candy coat that in the beginning of relationships, but nigga, how are you surviving? How am I surviving? You know what I mean? So what, what, uh, it would what, be what, the, the teammate part. What if y'all- A lot of them don't want to talk about it. They want to so talk really, about the, huh? So, really, so basically you saying is a lot of it is the financial part of the teammate? Mm, no, teammate, cause teammate was the first one that I mentioned, like finding somebody who hits those markers like across, you know, financial, emotional, like, 50-50. So, and then out of most of the out of the most of the relationships you have, are you the one that break up the relationship, or do other people break up the relationship? With you? Okay, we're gonna have to define relationships because James clearly is not validating. It. Well, yeah. I, I haven't said any. Yes, James. I have not said anything. Why am I getting drunk? I literally have sat. Okay, so I'm gonna clear go. up what a relationship is for me. A situationship ain't it. He can. I, that's and I can, I have had those. Those are not valid. They're, um, they're interactions that I've had in my life, but they were not, you know, to the point where he was about to put the ring on my hand. You know what I mean? Like that, that's what I mean by a relationship. So no, I can, I can say I haven't been in one. I've just been fooling with people, you know? Um, so yeah, that that's, I don't know who asked about relationships, but that's my answer. When you say zero relationships, because that's, well, that's I mean, relationships for me. I mean, that's, I don't know. Like, I don't know. 
I like I said, I can ask questions all day because like stuff like that, that's interesting. That's interesting to me because I'm just like, you know, like the whole conversation, like even being a boss chick and doing different things and, you know, like all that stuff. Then how have you not been in a real relationship? I don't understand. When you don't meet that energy, like it's if you don't meet somebody who reciprocates that, like you, you settle for, I don't know. I feel like certain things, it those are considered like settling, like basic shit. Like you were saying. He would need an income. It's like basic shit that they're not they're not making pass. So I don't. That's really why I'm single. They're not meeting the basics. I wonder where you going. You going to Popeyes and meet this broke nigga bunch or something like Man, that? Man, look uh, outside. I I clearly. Man, in the line for chicken salad. Some of the best ones I ever met was at Walmart though. So I don't know, yeah, bro. I'm wondering. I'm just wondering oh, what is. What I, I I'm making an effort to step out more, but yeah, I, I haven't. Nothing. I'm waiting for you to say the next. <laughs> myself out there like hey it's me everybody i'm open like here's your chance no because i feel like that's inorganic that's not that's not even my vibe mm. i was about to say uh, i know what you were saying earlier but what i said about i just said i don't count high school anything as a relationship that's all i said right but you never elaborated because i said as an adult I just said as an adult, adult relationship. You told me that I've never been in a relationship, so I feel like I had to explain what my version of a relationship is and is not. Have you been in one? I'm no, asking. Not, not the one that I would define as relationship. No. Well, then I, I got the answer from you, Dan. Okay. Our last uh, topic is discipline for kids. And oh, I, wanted fun, to ask, I wanted to ask your opinion, Josh. I'll say, are you against whooping kids? No. I, I wouldn't um, want nobody else's kids, though. Like, I'm against that. Like, if I'm talking to a girl, she got kids, I won't put my hands on nobody else's kids, though. How do you feel whooping falls in a standard of raising children? I mean, I just, like, I don't know. Like, I feel like I got whoopings. It didn't, like, you not out here putting whiplashes and, you know what I'm saying? Like, motherfuckers bleeding and shit, but. Yeah. Did you categorize it as abuse or anything like that? No. Nah. When I got a, when I, if I got a whooping, I feel like it was deserved. It. Okay. So, <laughs> I, I feel the same way, but um, the last one I just wanted to get, um, Jessica, I'll get your opinion on disciplining children. And where do you I'll, stand I'll, on I won't go. I won't go too in depth, but I don't believe in harming your, physically harming your kids. Discipline, let's, that's, that's pretty general. You can train kids, you can talk to kids, but that's discipline. But as far as physically hitting your kids, no, I don't believe in it. And the word, well, you sugarcoated the word. Um, she Did called I? it traumatic and abuse. So I just wanted to get like your stance on Josh. If you felt like that'd be something practice that you would, you said you already would, and I know you would. You would I mean, not, I, Jessica. I don't, I don't know if it's traumatic and abuse. Like I said, like my mama ain't never tell me to go outside and grab no switch or no shit. Like I ain't like some of those stories that people say. I ain't never did no shit like that. But, so you have heard these stories like these are pretty these yeah are, i mean i've heard stories but, but but at the same time like my like i got family members my little cousins like i mean they still in cars and like all kind of outrageous shit. so like the the punishment can't be okay where well, you're gonna write this and you're not gonna watch tv like hell they don't care about that i ain't gotta watch no tv you know what i'm saying so i just feel like i mean you shouldn't be out here fucking like because at the same time i've, I've also seen like Parents get to fighting with their kids because their kids are right. If your kid run up on you, 
that's like, different. That's different. That's different from a, a discipline. That's why I told James, I was like, until they're 16 and 17, they decide to run up, then in, that'll be that. But I'm talking about raising them from a baby. Like there's some things you can instill in a child that sticks with them for life. And I just, it, it's deeper. I just, it's it's deeper than you know. I feel like the conversation can go here because there's actual chemicals that are produced in a child when they have fear. Which is why I'm wondering why you're being so light with your response. Because I feel like because like you already you knew the, you knew the you knew that you knew the topic before I even I said did, it on the show. I did. So I, I did. I, it just it, there's so many branches to it, but in general. My theory, outside of my own personal experience with being beat, because beat is beat, um, there's, and it's it's including adrenaline. Adrenaline should not be in children under a certain age. Like, that's not a normal chemical reaction to have. Like, I have feared my parents at five, all the way up to what, 15. So just that fear that you know you about to get your ass beat or physically being hit. Like, you out in public, you about to fight. Like, that shit that builds up in you, that's not a normal chemical to have in your body in a developing brain at that age. So if this is something that you constantly have in your body at that age from five to 15, now you're developing your, you know, schizophrenia, your anxiety, your anger issues. Like a lot of shit that happens in the black community, honestly, are a result of their environment and how they were raised um, because we were raised in fear whether it was our parents, it was somebody down the street. Like that's not a normal chemical. So I hate, I hate for it to be a white black thing, but white kids are fearless as fuck. Like, I, I mean, I, I don't know. They like, ready I, to fucking go to war. With... I, think that's, I, I think that's the same thing, though. I think, I think that's at the same time, that's not a good thing either. Like they don't have, like that's why they, they don't have no point. They're not scared of. They can go out and fucking beat the shit, shoot somebody, do whatever, and they're not worried about it because they've never like fear is something fear is that's why fear runs the world fear is something that you can it works you know what i'm saying like it works not, but is it healthy for a child that you like genuinely care about? i mean but but if if, it, if 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 i can put fear if i can put fear in you from doing something like let's say the fear is drugs let's say my fear or my mother's fear is like i'm telling you like drugs is this that and the third you shouldn't do blah blah and I never do drugs my whole life, then that fear was worth worth than my mom not doing that. And she's like, no, it was just not that bad. And then I go up. No, I, no, because there's a difference between uh, condoning something. Like, just because but I'm, I'm just not saying, I'm just not saying condoning. But I'm saying, like, other, like, some things we know work. Like, you know what I'm saying? It's something that How we know How have we work. figured that this works? How has this worked for the Black community as a whole? Like, has it stopped? Has it stopped us from going to prison? Has it stopped us? But pr but, pr but prison ain't got nothing to do with you punishing your kids. It, like, it because, actually, it actually has a lot because you're going back into submission is what's really happening. Like you're, no, but I'm, but I'm you're saying going to, you're going I'm to saying, a place where you lose control. And yes, but, but, but prison, going to prison, a lot of that is society going against the black community. That has nothing to do with you punishing your kids. Like, that has nothing to do with, like, yeah, society, like, everybody against us. I get that. Everybody in the world against us. Like, <laughs> I'm locked up because I got my ass whooped. But, you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> um, no, that's not that, some kids, Some I, niggas I in really prison. Some niggas benefit, in prison. Some niggas in prison about it. The benefit in the black community to beatings versus 
talking to your children? Uh, I feel like some white kids are perfect example of what happens when you just talk to your kids because they yeah. go shoot up shit. That a lot of them, a lot of them aren't beat. <laughs> if you ask them, some of them kids they never got whooped. That's up there shooting up schools, because, up there because, acting because irrational, of, talking back to p- teachers and shit like that. Them kids definitely not getting their ass whooped. Yeah, because I, I can say, I can say, like me, I can say some of my friends. Like it's prime example. Like I shit, I learned my lesson. You know what I'm saying? I did some shit. And my mom was like, dude, don't do this. And I did it and I got a whooping. I was like, damn, I don't ever want to do that again. I ain't worried about it. I ain't ever do it again. You know what I'm saying? Like that was, it ain't no, like somebody just talking to me, like, especially like kids nowadays. Like, I feel like everybody nowadays, they're so opinionated. I'm, I'm saying this out of, out of the military. I'm saying military. Military sailors, like juniors and stuff like that is so different now because like it's almost like you said it's that white kid syndrome like well they ain't gonna touch me what's the worst they can do they can holler at me all day but ain't nobody gonna touch me then i, I, feel, like, I feel like it puts a i feel like it puts a sense of entitlement on you yeah like, it's you not put your fucking like, hands on me like, i ain't yeah. i'm the dope you know what i'm saying so your your parent gonna be like no you can't do this like you know what I'm saying my mama was the she was the mom the dad the coach the 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 everything you know what i'm saying she did she taught me everything so I mean, it's just so things that I feel like for me, like I said, it worked for me. Like I'm grand. I don't have none of those, you know, like if you're talking about like, oh, anxiety and I don't have any of those things. Like I've never had those things, but I learned my lesson. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh shit. Okay. I get it. Like, because she, she told me, because at the end of the day, your parents tell you not to do something and you do it. So that we're talking, they're talking to you. So then when you come back, you be like, oh, come on now. I told you not to do this and blah, blah, blah. Sometimes that don't work. You know what I'm saying? Some kids that don't work for it. You know what I'm saying? Think to I think it's the don't it's work. If you do it anything. What, what, I said what it, is it, the, go ahead. Don't work means your child made a mistake and they done it again and it just don't work. Like is, does that mean, is that what you mean by it don't work? Like what no, it means, work? meaning work? like when, if you something. give somebody a punch, if you tell somebody like, like they tell you don't touch the stove if it's hot okay well if you don't listen to me you go touch the stove and you burn your damn hand well that's going to be obvious do a lot more than me telling you don't touch the stove it was a consequence to it the stove was on you touched it now your hand is so you so you already got that consequence right so now but i wouldn't whoop you i wouldn't i wouldn't have to but i wouldn't have to whoop you i wouldn't have to whoop you if you already got burned you already learned the consequences um I'm not saying you. I'm definitely saying majority of us who did do it, who ended up touching and getting burnt, we still got our ass beat for doing it. It's just like I, a, a. I mean, that happened. I mean, I, I that actually happened to me, and I touched the stove. My mom said not to touch it. I didn't get my ass beat. Like that I was enough. That was enough for the lesson. Like, like I, you yeah. learned your damn lesson. Like don't do that shit no more. But I mean, I, like I just see, like I, I'm gonna say, like in my family. So I see like my cousins or something like that. I see one of my cousins and he got he got three kids and you know like he whooped his kids when they was younger and he told him like hey don't do this blah 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 and the motherfuckers is respectful as hell and then I see the other cousins like oh you know I don't really believe in whoopings and them little motherfuckers running around doing circles and shit you because they don't believe in discipline they don't believe in discipline but it's different like, discipline kinds of discipline is not, kind of discipline. not it's not only whooping like, yeah, it's not only whooping. That's what I'm saying. It's different. Respect you. But, Discipline but, is training them to do certain but, things and what not to do. So, yeah, but it's but but like you said, it's certain kinds of it's levels to discipline. Some disciplines don't work for certain people. Some training somebody, I can teach you how to do something by visually teaching you, but you might not be a visual learner. 
So the same thing with discipline. Some disciplines will not affect you like it affect me. You know what I'm saying? Some disciplines will not work on certain kids. And so that's, you know, if you're doing certain disciplines and you're like, oh, I did this and I did this and I did this and blah, 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 and it don't work. The same way with whoopings. Sometimes whoopings don't work. I'm not saying that whoopings is the only thing, but it because is. I've definitely seen them now. I've seen them not work more than they do work. It's, it's, it's still a form of discipline. You know what I'm saying? So sometimes that's a form of discipline that works. So. But it's not the same level. It's not the same level as it's it's not creating like I was talking about the chemical reaction. Like you're not but, getting I mean, the but, same. But you same. got. But you got as kids. You talking about the chemical reaction that comes to schizophrenic is genetic. Like but, that's not you're not getting that from ass whooping. No, no, but not. But when I'm talking about okay, yeah. I'll send I'll Adrenaline. send you the research later, James. Since but since this, we're this, since we want to talk numbers and um, no, this is what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the chemical reaction that you know she's talking about with discipline and fear. You can also get that from verbal people. You got parents that verbally talk bad to their kids. Correct. That is verbal abuse. And it still I gets don't the same thing. abuse in general. Like I'm not sure anybody that would be. But it's not. Abuse. It's not for you to dictate what the abuse is. It's the person that feels they're being and, and abused. That's why I said my I've kids. said that's what I'm. No, I'm not your kids. I'm saying the person that's receiving it is a person that dictates if it's abuse. And then sometimes later in life they get the purpose of it. When you go through certain things, like when you're a kid and you think your kid parents are the most ain't meanest parents out there in the world. That's because at the time you don't get the message that they're trying to get until you get in a similar situation or you sometimes get older, then you get the method of that. You get the method of what you don't have to to learn lessons through trauma either. But that's what I said. You don't, you don't know. You don't know what you're saying. You could be like, do not do like, you could sit there and say, I don't want people over my house. And they could figure that as trauma. They never wanted me to have friends. They never wanted me to do that. That's something that's so small. That's but they can't register as trauma because you didn't want him to be around anybody. You want him to be isolated. You when your whole thing is people steal, people aren't really your friends, they come and use you. And that's saying it in a calm manner. But you don't realize that because you're the one that's upset with it, or you're the one that's being affected. So that's because how you perceive something may and it's traumatic. Only thing traumatic means is just instilling. So you can make it seem like they were the they were a dictator. In reality, they knew that you were hanging around knuckleheads and them knuckleheads had a problem with going around and messing up people's houses. But as a kid, you don't realize that. So that's why I said it is not always about that. It's about. I, I, how I, this, I, yeah. I compare it to I compare it to athletes. So I always compare it like stuff like that, like parents and athletes, because a lot of times that's where you get sports and stuff you did. Sometimes that might be your only father figure. But I might feel like this dude is fucking like. He got us running all the goddamn time. I'm tired. He beating our ass. He making me do shit. And mud, we passing out. We tired. And I'm just like, damn, bro. Like, why the fuck am I going through this? And then we go play other teams and we demolish them. You know what I'm saying? Like, so some things your parents are going to see the better of it. You know what I'm saying? And you not understand it, you know, until you know, it helps why you out. Do, yeah. Why do we practice? And you go to the game and then you execute it perfectly because you've been practicing and you got it as a rhythm. It's just certain things that you don't understand while you're the person. Same with boxing. So so since we, because I feel like I've asked you this before, James, and you blew it off. But so since we can just, we can, we can sound, sounds like we can justify physically hitting a child to get them to understand a consequence. So why is it so unfair for the police to beat you as an adult for making a mistake? Anybody for that making a repetitive for making anybody a repetitive mistake, anybody or not even 
because the police are trained because the police are slap you across the face because I mean, nobody it's a, said they it's a, aren't it's the same it's the same way where if floyd mayweather hit me he's gonna go to jail for a long time because he is trained outside of the ring outside of the ring legally knows what he's supposed to be doing that same thing with military like i'm military we get trained on certain things that you don't get trained in so it would be unfair for me to do that like that's that's my whole job like my job is to find other ways like that's that's why the police are going to jail because the police have other means okay so so let's let's not even do it police no more let's talk about in a relationship with somebody you love because your parent loves you so it's okay because my parent they love me they want the best for me so i have accepted this beat down because they love me that's di that's so, different. That's di your parent beating their kids because they did something wrong is different than your grown ass boyfriend beating your ass because. He but how is it different? It's totally different. It's the, like you we're two because as a kid, as a kid, you should have you should have you should have leveled out from ass whoopings. The yeah. older you get, like you only whoop for like a dog. You only whoop a dog for a short amount of time in their lives. As in, like yo, don't shit on the rug. I think and it's only your way gauge, you do that. It's your gauge on a on abuse, like it. We're on, we well, I don't call it abuse, first off. But I, I'm, I just, I'm just going to say, like, either if we gauge in or whatever, a child's whooping is not in the same category as a relationship beating. That's because no, nowhere in that ass well, whooping where they punches, punches right? ducks. Like, shit on an adult shit, but uh, take them blows versus a child, right? Uh, you were getting spanked. You were getting spanked. A female that's sixty pounds should be able to take the blows from a dude that's two sixty. That's not just no. Because of the, but but you as a grown man, you can hit a child that's fucking twenty pounds. 20, but you're not. Pounds. But you're not. You're, you're not, not. You're not knocking the. You're, you're not, not knocking the child. You're not knocking a child out. You're not fucking pushing no kid down those steps or. Okay. Okay. So let's say you're in their relationship. He should be able to give you a pop pop on your butt. He should be able to physically, like, he, like any gauge of hitting. He should be. No, because one of the main reasons why you. you get, no, one of the main reasons why you got an ass woman as a kid is because you didn't keep your damn hands to yourself. So, obviously, that, that when you get older, that shit no, should have been instilled in you. No, he should be able to pull out a bell and pop you every now and then because you were not following directions and he already told you and you already knew what you were doing, right? You're not it's abusing not, her. That's not going. That's not going to have the same effect on no adult though. Like that's that's like like he like he was saying about training a dog. If you got a if you got a dog that's grown and old, you're not finna fucking train him the same way that you training no pup. You know what I'm saying? It's the same. Think, James, not, why you keep laughing? Like you don't not, understand. Like that's a basic comparison. That's not the. That's, that's, not, a, that's not a basic comparison not, because. Because as a as as a child, as a little child, the older the child gets, you're supposed to come down less and do certain oh, things. Oh, so there's less stipulations to, to this beating thing. Like there's rules to it. Well, first off, I, I don't know. I, there's no beating. The there's no beating. Because we need to know the rules to beating. We need to know what age, what way we need to stop. But jo Josh, Josh knows the same rules I know. Like there's rules. But y'all just, just talked like, about y'all just talked about how y'all's household whoopings were not as bad as others. That's any yeah, household like, though. But, that, but, that, but that's but that's that, but that's what I'm saying. You can't. Saying like, that's that's anything though. That's anything in the world. Like you know, saying like the way your mama talk to you ain't the way my mama talk to me. So that's that's still not the same comparison. You can't really you can't really put those stipulations in. Be like, oh well, which is why, got, got which is why I'm not standing, 
there okay but, it's, so but this but but discipline is discipline it's your household like the Correct. shit you got, you got some countries you got, you, but i'm saying you got some countries that you still some they cut your hand off they still do that Correct. Okay, that's in a country. That's an understanding in a country. Like you might not agree on it, but that's what the, that's their discipline. So they know better. And it's the same thing with a kid. Like a I kid don't. Agree. Yeah, I don't so have you, agree so you, to call so it. The way you, the way you raising your kid up, like the, the way you teach them to understand or to potty train them or do whatever is the way you do that. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. And like when you get older, that's like you saying, okay you an adult you should still be able to piss in the bed because you was pissing in the bed as a kid like that all no, that's, that's not. like when you that's, that's, is because, that, that's a part but, of training that, but that's that what i'm saying that's said. what i'm saying as you as you get older physically you can train okay not piss in the bed without hitting okay him. but i never got i never got hit and about pissing in the bed but i know as an adult oh, yeah, you don't need to keep but i'm saying i know sister. as an adult i know yeah. as an adult i don't need to piss in the bed because when you get older just like just like they say, when you get older, you need to keep your hands to yourself. As you get older, you should you should be able to adapt that concept. So I, I, I know you're saying even, what so you I should even, be able to do, but we've already yeah. we've already talked about how all kids are different, right? So it's like okay. that only comes in a benefit when it's talking about your situation. Not really, though. Not really. We got like two minutes. We got like two minutes. So like, I would say that I don't know. I feel like. I feel like you putting this discipline in a certain box that it's not in. You know what I'm saying? Because <laughs> you compared it to something that it can't compare to. But I mean, and like you said, some people don't like whooping. Some people do. Some people don't. I mean, I don't know. To each his own. But I just feel like you know what's wrong with what's right. You know what I'm saying? Like, I know. Correct. You, and in my you know, eyes. I know I don't supposed to touch little kids. But you got people that molest kids all the time. So if you want to compare those things to extreme like that, then that's what they're going to be compared to. But you still know. Like, I know if a little kid do something, I pop him. I know I'm not. Ah, smashing his hand, so I don't like. You can handle I, with the stone cold yeah, stutter and shit like. That. You know what I'm saying? Like it's a pop. Like oh stop, you can't do that. Oh shit, you know what I'm saying? Like, but you can't do that to no adult. Pop, and she like, oh shit, I didn't know. That's not the same. That she's a grown adult, so the the effect is not going to be exactly the same. That don't really. That and don't really also usually. I'll say this is my final point. Also, usually, the shit that you got popped for as a kid, most people only do that two kids like they've never seen the only the way you do something as an adult is if you see your adult counterpart i'm sorry your adult parent or whoever do that to another adult and you think it's cool like if i saw my dad beating my mom as a kid that's probably why i would start beating my old lady not so if i whoop my kid that's because that's what i thought worked when i was a kid that's it's not it's not something you do as an adult to the other usually do to an adult what you see somebody of the same or somebody as an adult do to another adult that's what you find is acceptable yeah. if that's what you see in your household that was I, my final point like i said the, the, the main the main point is i always compare it to athletes because the reason why you got like lebron went to the nba then his kid is gonna go to the nba then his other kids gonna go to the nba because they have the same discipline. It's the same thing. Discipline. Discipline, discipline is not so, the same. Like it's, it's the same. It's the same. But that, but you're saying discipline is not the same for you. But you don't know what they're doing in the household. So you know because you got people. You got so kids. Talking about physically hitting. Yeah, but, you but what if his kids got? What if his kids got? Physically hit their kids to become athletes and become best musicians and dance and stuff like that. you got people that you got all kind of stories like that. But so, I'm saying because they do it is right. 
No, it's the it dis- worked for them. It worked for that kid. Like just you're you're I mean, just labeling it. You're labeling I, it as I can abuse. Have the same argument, like because I can have the same argument and say, well, you're not whooping your kids. That's why they're going crazy. So is it right? That don't that it, it's what. But you can never say I abuse my kids. But that, yes, but you your can. kids be out here and kill you, everybody. You, that don't matter. Say I abuse my kids. But you that's but that's what you label abuse. That's what yeah, I keep saying. Just, you like, can't label. Like, you can't. You can't. You can't label something for everybody. If Josh just sat there and said that he did not feel like he was abused because he sat there and said his mother gave him ample opportunity. But, but if not he to goes to psychiatrists, they would tell him certain events in his life were traumatic or woo woo. Yeah, but who? But but, he just, but who's a dictate? But thing, who's a dictate? What's traumatic in your life? That, right. That's what I'm saying. You can only based, the person can only dictate actions, that. Really, it's based on. Okay, but you. if Josh, but if Josh, if Josh was to get whooped for something and he never shows any, type, he doesn't have any triggers. He doesn't have anything. He doesn't have any pulse. He doesn't do anything. He doesn't fear. He doesn't wake up at night. If it, it, that means it wasn't traumatic to him, so nobody can decide what his emotion was. Only Josh mm-hmm. can dictate what it was. It's like drugs. I've seen my family. Family members on drugs. I haven't taken a drug, but I've seen their actions. So, but a therapist can't tell me about something that she hasn't experienced. For me, that's her life. She's but I, I think that's also them. why black people in therapy is taboo. But that's another subject. You're right, because we at the time limit. That's another subject because y'all feel like uh, can't nobody tell y'all about y'all, child. Yes, no, I, I mean, I talk. I told yeah. the. I mean, we in medical. I'm in the medical field. I talk. I talk to a therapist, but it's oh, so, okay. Hmm. I, so could I tell you? Could I tell you, or a therapist tell you more about you than you could tell yourself? Yeah. A therapist can actually yes. break down some shit and tell. Me she more. can break yes, down, but can she tell you about you more than you could tell you about yourself? Yeah, it's possible. It, <laughs> you don't think that's, that's, like I think I think when they can tell you. They can tell you. They're not telling you. They're not telling you about yourself. Like, that's not they're not I'm, telling I'm, you look i'm not knocking people about their therapy it is some amazing therapists out here but it's also some therapists that's not living where i'm living from so that's just like that's just like people that's telling, like when yeah black that's people that's all got a chance choose. you can choose your therapist i'm not yes but that but that's the same it's the same it's the same thing it's the same thing with the people talk about police it's some good police out here some bad police out here so you can't like i don't know like a therapist can't be like, oh, well, you know what? You fucking, you're going even, through. Even easier, oh, even easier to answer your own question. To answer your own question, Jessica, you choose the best therapist for you. You yeah. know yourself enough to know that this person isn't going to be a good therapist for you. But because like you I know said, yourself. Can, they can break down stuff better. Like, you okay, can talk to them that. about, they can talk, you can talk to them about stuff better and you, they can break down stuff. But how how many people aren't 100% with a therapist? So the therapist they can only not, break down what you give them. Exactly. So that means the only person exactly so listen so only person that can know that type of stuff is the person sharing the information i can go into a therapist and lie so i'm the one who most knows therapists I'm... are trained to know when your motherfucking ass lies no they don't the they're trained they're trained That's to know doctors two medical niggas two medical niggas i've talked to them saying. they say they say we just sit here and listen but two medical niggas so you know yeah, you gotta go so uh but i have Therapist well, I know. So, so do we. So do we. We know Taylor's wife is a therapist. I got doctors. I got doctors. So, yeah. Doctors be like, oh, yeah. we, we, literally, we literally walk. With, we literally work with doctors. It's medicine. It's, at the end of the day, therapy is a part of medicine. It's a practice. That's what it is. It's a practice. 
to an extent because yeah. I'm I'm you're 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 speaking all med medicine. I'm all like, medicine. Oh, we got to wrap. So we're going into 2022. Uh, what's some of y'all goals for 2022? Uh, I tell you one of my goals is so I tell you this year and I haven't said this to anybody, but so this year with all my money and everything, I hit, you know, what I'm saying 120,000 this year. So I feel like my goals this year is going to be to uh, just grow, just grow my, all my businesses, uh, plan everything out. Uh, promote, you know, podcast growth, uh, my TikTok growth, uh, body butter growth, uh, crystal business growth, um, and, and just grow another business, you know what I'm saying? Like get another business that's going to grow and just better get more passive income because as of right now, my passive income pays for everything. So other people are paying for my mortgage, my car note, my bills, everything. So now the next goal will be try to build to where all of my money that I bring in I'm making that same amount of money as passive income. Go ahead, Jessica. To my goals is to expand on my current business um, and to venture out and see what else I could do with my brand. So that's, I'm not putting too much pressure on myself, but that's really what I want to do this year. And I want to travel more. Yes, okay. I, travel. I, got my, I got my passport, so we I travel. finally got my last year, y'all. Shout out to uh, Josh. We both hit the 100K club this year. Um, I want to, we signed, we got signed to a network. Um, hit double the amount of check blue checks uh that we did sold a lot of merch we got a lot of stuff to 2022 um i want to close on my second crib i want to take the show even further i want to get a team working with us um for sure and some other stuff i want to do but it's still in the works so i don't want to premature it but um definitely definitely just want to do better than i did this year so uh yeah, that's my goals for them. Oh, I never. I want to hit two hundred thousand. You bet one hundred fifty thousand. I want to hit one hundred fifty thousand. I'm a. I'm a. I'm a. I want to hit two. I want to hit two hundred thousand. Um, my stocks did great this year. My crypto did great this year. Show did great this year. So um, I did pretty good all around. So um, that's all I want to do. Just keep blessing. Um, I overcame a lot of hardship this year. So I definitely know. Um, you know, it's only you know just hoping for better. Um, thank you, Jess, for closing out the year with us as our last oh, female no guest problem. host. Anytime. Female female guest host for the year. Um, oh, Josh, another one. You joined the show this year. So, uh, so that, yeah, I guess. Uh, shout out to Banks. Uh, everybody else. Yeah, shout out to the dog, Banks. Everybody else that uh, helped contribute to all the success from starting to finish, not just this year. We appreciate y'all. Shout out to all my family members, friends, and everybody that everybody who listened to the 8 More Than 92 podcast and uh, contributed to everything for it. Shout out to the people from Great Combo Media for putting us on this platform and signing us to make sure we got the opportunity to do what we can do. Shout out to the people from Great Combo Media that we plan on doing stuff with next year. And we appreciate everybody. This has been another episode of 8 More Than 92 podcast we always keep it 100 we love y'all we thank y'all we gonna see y'all in 2022 peace hey what's up it's head coach of the tennessee state university tigers eddie george inviting you to join me each week on my new podcast beyond the war where i sit down with some of my favorite people to discuss well everything the good the bad the past the present Nothing is off limits. Beyond the Roar, a great combo media and TSU Big Blue Sports Network collaboration. Listen to the show on Apple, Google, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts.
Deeper Than the Diet is an all-new groundbreaking podcast that goes beyond the surface to address the impact of trauma and its influence on your diet and emotions. Join certified nutrition coach Demetrius Cheney Perkins and certified EMDR therapist Yanetta Spring in this weekly raw conversation as they break ground together. Get comfortable in your favorite spot because we may get a little uncomfortable. Deeper Than the Diet does not substitute a relationship with a nutritionist or therapist. Please consult with your professional before implementing any life changes. Deeper Than the Diet is now streaming on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Play, and anywhere you listen to podcasts. Let's go deeper together.